Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. This Super Bowl Sunday, baby. Whatever time of the day you are listening to this, it is definitely Sunday or after. If you listen to it after, we don't know the results. So yay, the team that won. We're rolling three deep today because it is the biggest Sunday of the year. Lee's joined us. But before we get to Lee, big man, happy Super Bowl Sunday. I bet you are absolutely buzzing, right? Yeah, I am. You know, normally Super Bowl Sunday is a, a great occasion, but this one's a little extra special. It's the first uh, time the Super Bowl uh, has my team in it, you know, since I was 17 years old and I'm not 17 years old now. So <laughs> as you can tell, probably for the amount of... Um, hair facial hair etc that i'm slightly old and gray hairs if you can pull them up on the hd um so yeah it's good to it's good to it's good for the game um it's been a great week in the build-up to it in two weeks or so um i've been doing some podcast appearances been going around the houses yeah and- you're gonna need an agent soon man <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh I don't know about that. Um but I do yeah, it's been it's been a fun week just talking about the Buccaneers and, and just experiencing um some really cool things. It's just a real shame if if 
you know, if, if things were different, would I've got on a plane? I'd like to think I would have done um, in just yeah, to be would. somewhat near there. Um, but it's just an amazing experience when your team makes the Super Bowl. And hopefully, you know, uh, after tonight, we'll be crowning a, a victory. And that would just be the icing on top of a, a very large cake right now. It's uh, it, it, it's the bitter sweetness of making it but not winning that would be devastating as to that cake. I imagine the cake's lovely as it is, but when you cover it in, in the non-win, that hopefully doesn't happen because we're all about the bucks right here. It, it, I'm just I'm so excited to to finally see what Murph's like on the on the, <laughs> after a Super Bowl win because. I think it would be just uncontainable brilliance. But you've heard him already, ladies and gents. Lee's joined us. It was uh, the right Sunday to do so because this pod never drops on a Sunday. So we thought we'd get Lee on anyway. Lee, how you doing, mate? Yeah, doing well. It's great to be with you. It's it's, it's an interesting week. It's kind of like it's the, that culmination of a season for fans like me where our team don't aren't in the Super Bowl. We don't have a vested interest. Like I'm going to sit back and I'm going to love the game and I'm going to enjoy this week. But I had not got the, um, I'm sure the nerves that, that Murph has got right now and the butterflies, that anticipation. And also, you know, thinking there's so much longer till my team actually going to do something. So yeah, it's an exciting week, but yeah, can't, can't uh, wait for the game. I think as a Dolphins fan, you should be reasonably optimistic for this season that you know, with one or two moves, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if you find the Dolphins in Super Bowl 56, 57, 58. Yeah. You know, they're they're building towards that. It was a huge step taken this year. Um, and they, they, listen, there's a lot of fans who have never seen their team make a Super Bowl. There's a lot of fans who have seen their team make a lot, especially Patriots fans. Um, I, I think each each time is different. I mean, I've been really reminiscent this week because. You know, like I said, I, I went to the Super Bowl when I was 17. I was very fortunate, very lucky to go in a set of circumstances which you can never really be replicated. And I didn't appreciate it then because I'd been a fan for, that was my third season. And, you know, we had a, an incredible, probably the, the best defense this league has ever seen. Um, we had incredible talent, incredible coach. And you sit there and you think when you get there that this is the start of something um, that it's going to be every 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 couple of years this is going to happen to you, and you know on that day, kind of took it a bit for granted because the team would be in the playoffs every year and I never would have expected to wait eighteen years for us to to get back there, and I think it's extra special to have gone through that entire journey, to have seen the pinnacle. And then to have seen the absolute flaw and the dregs and the dross and the three and 13 and the five interceptions from Winston at Wembley and so many bad moments in between that this time feels really special. And I, you know, I, I, in my head, I've almost got it sort of set that we might not make it for another 18 years. You, you, I, you, it sounds you stupid. That but, as a fan. You just yeah. live it. Like all, all those ups and downs, you know, I, I remember making the terrible mistake of lining up, attending four Dolphins games in a row. And it, it seemed like such a brilliant plan with the last game being at Wembley. That was the year Joe Philbin got sacked and we got absolutely shellacked in every game. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I can appreciate how, you know, for some people, this will seem like it's it, it's a, a regular occurrence. But 
you know, for fans like yourself. This well, I think, is a combination I think... of years of fan of fandom. Yeah, I mean, and like all of us, you know, I've been speaking to a lot of Bucks fans this week, and many of them weren't Bucks fans in in two thousand and two two thousand three when they won the Super Bowl because it's a long time ago. You know, you're talking eighteen years. I mean, it's not an insignificant amount of time, um, and you've now got a new generation of fans who have come on board and, you know, especially in, in this country, people pick their team for any multitude of reasons. I do think that this Buccaneers team will yield to more UK fans being Buccaneers fans. And that, and that's great. Um, but, you know, I, I'm especially today, I'm lucky enough to have been to the Super Bowl. I'm lucky enough to watch my team win a Super Bowl. So I appreciate, I am far more privileged than most fans. And I think that's why this time around, I, appreciate it a lot more because it's it, not just the weight and how long it's been but the fact that I've seen the top of the mountain and, and we're, we're sort of back there again it's just a really nice and it was unexpected this wasn't you know in, in 2002 it wasn't massively unexpected if the Buccaneers could get over the hump in Philly they were going to make it like that was the one game this time around I mean, like, how many times have I spoken on this podcast? Good things don't happen to Buccaneers fans. I didn't think we were signing Tom Brady. I thought there's just no chance that's going to happen. Um, I said before the season, nine and seven is about as good as it will get. All right, we were 11 and five. I didn't think we'd win the division. We didn't win the division. I certainly didn't expect this. Um, so, yeah, it, it's awesome. But I, I also know that there's going to be many fans in Super Bowl 56 or 57 and 58, all the way to 60, 70, 80, whatever, however long we're all here for. Um, we'll get to feel the same way that I'm feeling right now. And I can't wait for that for other fans um, to to experience because it is a pretty special thing. And my advice to anyone will be just enjoy it. You know, if the Buccaneers lose tonight, they lose tonight. I'm... I'll be disappointed. There's no point in saying I won't be disappointed because that would be stupid. But I will, once the disappointment's worn off, I'll be incredibly proud and privileged to have gone through it. Unless we've been shellacked 85 nothing, then I'll probably, you know, throw everything in the bin and then go be a Chiefs fan or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, 85 nothing would be some score against that Bucks D. Here's a question for you, Murph. I'm t- carry on drinking your tea. I'll draw this one out. Well, uh, You've seen both teams throughout the entire season. Like you say, you've watched every play of every game. If you had to pick one of the two teams to play tomorrow, which would you pick? Would, would, what, between the Buccaneers and... Yeah, the... yeah, or, yeah. The, the Buccaneers you saw live and the Buccaneers that will play tonight. That's tough. <laughs> um... I appreciate the game is so much different now as it was back then. Yeah, it's, it's, you know what? It's, it's not even that. It's because... Th- this is why it's tough. First of all, both are known for very good defences, but that Buccaneers defence was, was elite. It was incredible. It, it's just the fact that I haven't seen Tom Brady live in a Buccaneers jersey that might make me point towards this one. More for the curiosity angle and the the nostalgia factor of having Tom Brady and Gronk in a Buccaneers jersey and seeing how that works. I think... That's the part. It's it's hard for me because I've not seen this team. I've seen a lot of these players on this team, saw them last year, but I've not seen them all. And especially Tom Brady. That's kind of the draw for me is I've never seen Tom Brady in a Buccaneer shirt. That's why I probably will go that way. But if if I'd seen that, that 2002 team was, was special. I mean, you're talking about multiple Hall of Famers. Um, 
and um, Hall of Fame finalists. You know, um, Warren Sapp, incredible player. Derek Brooke, probably the best linebacker or one of the best linebackers ever to play the game. Um, you know, you've got John Lynch, who's GM now with the 49ers. You've got Rondé Barber, who does the commentary. You've got, um, you know, some number, Michael Stott, who was probably the last fullback, really, that was relevant in the NFL. Um, people will scream Carl Juszczyk to me right now, but I'm talking about Scott was, was, was properly in this team. Um, but you had little bit part players like Joe Juravicius, who was really important in that run, who I always had a little um, sort of soft spot for. Um, but there was some unbelievable players on, on both teams. Um, uh, you know, and, and that Bucks team, you know, they put, they, they got four interceptions in the, and scored three defensive touchdowns in that game. Um, you know, Dwight Clark scored two touchdowns in that game and didn't win MVP of the game. Well, because they named the MVP Dexter Jackson um, as Dwight Clark uh, or Dwight Smith was catching <laughs> that second INT and running it in. Uh, but yeah, yeah, but the thing you've got to remember with that Super Bowl, and again, I've been really reminiscent of watching it, is the really interesting thing was if, if you haven't watched Super Bowl 37 or you, you're kind of new to the sport-ish last 10, 15 years, is it was really bizarre that Super Bowl because you had the Oakland Raiders who were the best team in the NFL that year coached um, by Callahan. And what was really interesting was that on the Buccaneers sideline was coach John Gruden. And John Gruden had been traded by the Oakland Raiders to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for three first round draft picks that year. And the offensive coordinator ended up getting the gig and he didn't change the playbook. So you have coach John Gruden on the sideline for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with the best defensive football. It was the best offense versus the best defense. Rich Gannon uh, was the NFL MVP. He was the quarterback for the Raiders. But you had the coach, the former coach of the Raiders, coaching the Buccaneers against the Raiders in the Super Bowl with them using the playbook that he designed. Uh, you wonder why <laughs> there were so many interceptions and turnovers. He knew exactly what was coming. Like, you would think now that would never happen. <laughs> Well, it shouldn't happen anyway, regardless. It happen. I mean, it's laziness, really. So, I mean, it, but here's there are some parallels to the two seasons. You know, everything broke for the Bucks that year. I mean, everything. Not a lot of big injuries. Um, you know, they they didn't improve that much. John Gruden didn't take a team that was just destitute. You know, they were knocking on the doors, had been to the NFC title game a couple of years before, kept running into Philly and getting knocked out. Um but he just made him a bit more. He was a bit tougher on them. He just he just got that extra sort of five percent out of them that, that that was needed. But ultimately, there was a good team there. They just couldn't quite get it together in the big moments. Um, and this team in twenty twenty is very very similar. You've got um, you know a team that had all the components but seemed to be being let down, and it turns out Jameis Winston was a big part of that. But you have seen a team that's gradually got better every single week. Um, with a different form of resolution coming from their quarterback, Tom Brady, um, but led by a good defense, but with an offense that's functional and can, and can score points on you pretty quickly. And that was what that, that 2002 Buccaneers team was like. So there's a lot of parallels between the two teams. It's, and, and everything has fallen right for the Buccaneers this year. You had a team that, yeah, okay, they did get a couple of big injuries, Vita Vea being the biggest. Um, but... They got the fifth seed, got to play a team with a losing record in the playoffs. I mean, that is massive. If you're talking about a gimme in the playoffs, 
and there's no such thing as a gimme, but playing a team that has won four less games than you, even if it's on the road. And their quarterback that got in there is injured. I mean, there's a massive slice of luck to that. And then you kind of make your own luck from there. Um, But a lot of things broke for the Buccaneers this year. And if you look back on the tail of the tape, and we will do through this podcast, um, they were fortunate at times. They got away with big mistakes in the NFC title game. You know, you make your own luck, but definitely a lot of things broke for the Buccaneers this year to allow them to get to this point that I think they needed probably to get here. And I would say the same about the 2002 Buccaneers as well. So we've, we've, the podcast is going to go somewhat like this. We're, we're going to go through some stories of the 2020 season. Then we're going to break down the Chiefs. We're going to do some Super Bowl history talk. Then we're going to break down the Bucks. although we feel like we've started to break that wall down already. Then we're going to get to Super Bowl traditions. And then we're going to get out. And sprinkled in between every segment is going to be one or two. I say one or two. Quite a few excellent interviews that Murph and I have conducted over the last couple of weeks just to uh, just to break up our our voices. So it's a bit like the Christmas special, but it's on Super Bowl Sunday. We've started with the Bucks. We're not going to finish there. We're going to hit some 2020 season stories. Murph's dug out the 2020 season book. Lee's got some. Who wants to start and where are you going? So it kind of broke this down into into four different areas, which was the draft and free agency. I suppose I didn't put that on the sheet, but should have done. <laughs> um, but the draft and free agency, because that's kind of the start of the season. And then COVID, the interruptions of the OTAs. Um, and then we've got the, the, the regular season and, and the postseason. So um, I guess when you're looking at the the story of, of 2020, we start with free agency. Obviously, there were some huge uh, signings in free agency, probably none more so than, than Tom Brady, given where we are today and, w- and what has happened. Um you know, there was a lot of talk of retirement. Where's he going to go? Um, is he really going to leave New England? Is that really going to happen? What's that look like? And, you know, he ends up in, in Tampa. And, and that to me is was one of the most pivotal, if not the most pivotal move free agency, given where we are. Um, but there were a lot of other big um, big acquisitions in, in free agency. The, the Dolphins, Lee will probably will share some of those. Yep. Uh, there were some massive acquisitions from the Dolphins that made them knock on the door of the playoffs. Um, a lot of new coaching hires, um, and I'll get into one or two of those, I guess, with the regular season storylines as well. But, yeah, I think when you look at it and you look at the people that have turned up in the playoffs, the Buccaneers, their acquisitions, and, and we'll, you know, Brady, Gronk, uh, Leonard Fournette, who I wasn't keen on, but you know he's been vital in the playoffs. Um, but you also had Todd Gurley going to the Falcons, and then the Falcons acquiring so many ex-first rounders that they had an entire offense, including offensive line, off first rounders, and everyone thought, "Oh, the Viking, oh the Falcons, they could do something here." <laughs> you had Stephon Diggs going to uh, the Bills. That was a massive trade. Um, this turned out um, Nuke Hopkins going to Arizona. Um, you know, when you think back of some of the trades that happened in, in the off season, I mean, there were some massive trades and a lot of these really paid off. Teddy Bridgewater went to Carolina. Um, Phil Rivers to the Colts. Phil Rivers to the Colts. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of a lot of deals. That, I mean, let's not forget the Bears traded for Nick Foles. <laughs> um, Cam Newton to the Patriots. Cam Newton to the Patriots. I mean, there was. you think about that off season. It was one of the wildest off seasons I can remember because there were so many Q- QBs in play. James Winston got re- you know replaced in Tampa, but he ended up being a, a backup in 
in New Orleans, um, taking very little money. Andy Dalton went to um, the Cowboys, and then we thought, okay, that's quite a smart move. It turned out to be an even more brilliant move as as hindsight uh, happened. Um, But yeah, so many, so many interesting moves. It wasn't just the quarterbacks, you know, we saw big money, big trades, Clowney going to the Titans. Um, and it turned was, out to be irrelevant. <laughs> well, yeah, but it was interesting because there there was that whole talk of the trade with um, the Browns were going to sign him because the, 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 the Saints didn't have the money to sign him. And then we're going to take the sum of the signing bonus off and then trade him for a second round pick. And then that was kind of vetoed by the league as, as, as a against the spirit of the league. Antonio Brown was suspended for eight games. I mean, people forget about that, obviously, with what was going on with his legal disputes. I'm trying to think, was there anything else, Lee? And... I mean, we can throw Tyrod Taylor in there, you know, being, oh, yeah. named, being named the starter. Oh. You know, and then being free stabbed. <laughs> and then, then the, the Chargers trying, trying to kill him, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's one way to get rid of a, a quarterback, right? Is to, you know, punch his lung and... 20 minutes before a game look guys we don't we don't want to hurt his feelings and we no one wants to tell him he's benched but i've got a plan <laughs> just don't miss right yeah. you've got this one job stab him in the lung correctly yes boss um yeah and then the draft obviously with it being in roger goodell's basement as well that was a really unique draft obviously due to the pandemic um you say that but this year could be exactly the same well yeah i mean yeah. it might not be as unique now um but yeah, I mean, I don't know about you. I really enjoyed the draft this year. I yeah. think I enjoyed it more than most years. One because it was different, but I just liked the personal touches of being seeing people in their homes. And uh, I first of all, Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury's pad. I mean, let's not forget <laughs> that. <laughs> Listen, that was meme material for a couple of weeks. He lives in the house that uh, Tony Montana built. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. Well, how much is he getting paid? Jeez, I want his money in Arizona. Um, oh, it's mad. I mean, it was mad. And it, the thing as well that made me enjoy it even more is the fact that I was furloughed, so I, I could afford to stay up late and watch it or, or record it and watch it in the morning and not be so far behind that somebody ruined it through a notification or something. So that was good as well. I mean, silver lining to COVID, I guess, there. But, yeah, it was... It, it was awesome being able to do more draft prep, watch more college games going into it because of furlough and stuff. You know, I felt like I knew a lot more players deeper in the draft, you know, beyond the first three rounds almost. Yeah. Which I thought was awesome. I mean, personally, the draft was an absolute roller coaster. Um, mm. It was horrible leading up to it. And um, well, yeah, it was I mean... just as nerve wracking watching the first four picks. Do you know what? It's, it's very strange, right? Because obviously for you, you were drafting a, a quarterback and we all knew Miami wanted to. It was kind of pretty telegraphed where they're going to trade up. I mean, that was the big thing is we were all sitting there expecting trade ups for the two, the three, um, and they don't happen. And you sit there thinking like, well, okay, the Giants, maybe they trade down and they don't. And you think like, oh, what's going on? Um, and, you know, it's a strange one because for me in particular, with the Buccaneers, they kind of telegraph what they're going to do. It, they shoehorn themselves into a position where you know what they're going to take, at least a position. I mean, like when Devin White was picked at five, that was absolutely no shock to me at all. Like I was just like, oh, yeah, okay, well, that just happened. <laughs> and and pretty similar this year with, with Tristan Wirfs. Um, 
I was shocked that he was still there. He wasn't even really in my thinking as someone to be a Buccaneer, but we knew we were going to go a, a tackle. And for me, it was going to be Beckton or, or Thomas. I'm, I'm pleased it worked out the way it did, believe me. Um, but, you know, Denver, Denver, they they normally dance around the board. They didn't too much this year. Um, it was an absolute gift for us, though. Like the year before when we, yeah. we traded back and got Fant and a second round pick, um, that, that was a move back. And should we have possibly taken Devin, uh, Devin Bush then? Maybe. But, I mean, this year it was just Stonewall gift. Jerry Judy, arguably the best receiver in the class. We need a receiver, and there you go. Yeah, and, and and that was the thing with this draft. So you, you kind of it was three pockets of this draft. Really, there were three positions in the first round that that was so so key. You know, you're a quarterback, and I think there was absolutely no secret that, that Joe Burrow was going to go number one um, to to Cincinnati. But then, as, as Lee's alluded to, you you got this weight of it, it, what's going to happen with Tua and what's going to happen with Justin Herbert. Um, they were going to be the the really big um, factor in this draft in terms of who's taking them, where are they taking them, where the trade's going to happen. And then to your relief, guess, Lee, that not much happened. Uh, Chase Young went to Washington, which was kind of expected. Um, and then you get... Jeff Okuda to the Lions. Yeah, Jeff Okuda goes to the Lions and you sit there and think, yeah, okay, fine. Um, and then... You know the, the 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 Jenga piece here was kind of the the Giants. What were they going to do? And then they go Andrew Thomas, which was, I think shocked a lot of people, especially the player that they took uh, of all the tackles. So to take Thomas was a bit of a shock. Um, and then obviously it all works out for Miami. Yeah, I mean it, it, the thing is, it's it is a two year two year process. We had heard that the Dolphins had want had set out to get to a Tonga Vailoa two years beforehand. And in those weeks leading up to the draft, you suddenly, probably similar to the feelings you've got now, of nerves, like, is this actually going to happen? And then you start seeing reports, you're like, that makes no sense. But then the longer it sits with you, the more you're like, oh, that might actually happen. What? Hang on, we don't want him? We want Herbert instead? Hang on, what's happening? <laughs> and, you know, and then you see the picks go down, and I actually, I think... Um, in the fan mock draft, me and Kadeem actually traded up to get to it because we were like, this is the guy we want. We're going to go get him no matter what. So on the day of the draft, we're watching it come through and you see the first pick going, no trade. You see the second pick, no trade. Oh, hang on. Have they changed their mind? Do they not want... You know, yeah. And it's almost more relief than, than excitement mm. when the pick finally came in. I found that I actually enjoyed waiting for the other picks later on when you kind of didn't know where they were going <laughs> to go. And it was a bit more like, I oh, really, we've got our guy. Everything else is going to be, be exciting from here on in. Yeah. And, and then, as you mentioned, you know, the Chargers get there and we know they're going QB and they take um, Justin Herbert, which, you know, the way that Herbert was talked about and in, in, in myself, I, I grew to love him a lot more through the process, but at the Super Bowl, I was not convinced that he was a first-round talent. Uh, and then the combine and everything kind of changed my opinion. Um, and the reason I say that is because Oregon play with their quarterbacks in a very, very strange way that they really drill into them a very certain way of playing the position. And it shows a lack of flexibility and a, and a lack of mobility. And I was just like, I just, I've not seen enough that, that Herbert is going to be athletic enough 
And then once he started performing at the combine and we start looking at him throwing on the move, I was like, no, actually, all of those doubts started to to push away. Yeah, I was really the same. I watched every one of, of Herbert's games that final year. I watched all of Tua's games, all of Burrow's games, mainly because I knew we were going quarterback. So watch as much film as possible. And I didn't like watching the game film. It wasn't an no. enjoyable experience because there's like, I'm not sure if I want this guy to be a dolphin. And once he got to the combine, it just looked so different. I mean, it is really, I mean, it's not a surprise that he's doing as well as he is. Still more than happy that the Dolphins took to her. That no. this isn't a one versus the other, but I mean, it's a, it's a great pick. It's great to see him playing because hey, he's going to be an exciting quarterback for a few years to come. Yeah, I mean, out of all the quarterbacks taking him round one, he certainly is the one who's had the most opportunity to to showcase his ability and and prove a lot of people either wrong or uh, validate a lot of faith that's been put in him. So it's good to see. We do also have to touch upon there was a fourth quarterback taken in in round one and the Packers <laughs> traded up. So they didn't just take him, traded up to get Jordan Love. And this pick, I mean, you sent me, Lee, the, the Pat McAvee show with the yeah. live reaction to this pick and it was absolutely brilliant. And 12 months on, I still don't get it. Like, <laughs> this is not a pick that makes any sense. And, you know, the Packers have come out this week, and Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst have all come out and said, Aaron Rodgers is our guy. <laughs> Even now, on the back of an NFC title loss, Aaron Rodgers, so what are you doing picking Jordan Love? You, you what are you doing? What do you, like, it makes no sense. You could have put premium... Like premier talent around Aaron Rodgers, you could have given him that first round wide receiver that he's never had. Do you know what I mean? He could have, he could have done so many things that would have impacted you this season, and you were one game away from the Super Bowl. Again, you know, Again. they were one game away from yeah. the Super Bowl last year. They could have got these are the players that they could have got that could have made a massive impact on their season. They could have got any number of wide receivers who went on to have Justin Jefferson. I think is, is probably the most glaring player they could have got. Um, but they could have got, you know, Anton Winfield Jr. They could have got Patrick Queen. They, you know, they could have got so many different players who could have come in and made a significant impact to this roster that I have to look at that. And unless, unless Jordan Love goes to the Hall of Fame, that's a busted pick because he has cost you a Super Bowl because they needed that one player in that NFC title game this year. I wonder if it's somewhat to do with the structure as well in Green Bay, where you're not necessarily answering to that one person that, that fully owns the team. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know as a Dolphins fan, if someone makes that that sort of decision, Stephen Ross is walking in and saying, justify yourself. What did you do? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I wonder if that's not the case. You feel like you can get away with that because, you know, like you say, it was there for the, it, it was there for the taking. It, you know, as a neutral, you know, I'm, Pleased for everyone that the, the Bucks have got there, but you know, if you're a Packers fan, you've got to see it as a wasted chance because you had a chance to beat one of the lowest seeds in the playoffs to get yeah. to the Super Bowl. You, you uh, know, it's, it's a failure. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a, for me a Castro favorite. And then on top of that, you know, the other the other quarterback that went in this draft is is Jalen Hurts. He went in the second round. He obviously then came through, um, and we questioned that one with like, well, you've just paid Wentz, and Wentz has got all this money, and it's all guaranteed." You know, like, I don't understand picking Jalen Hurts and then all of a sudden Wentz 
I don't know what happened Wentz this year, but something happened. Um, he played by far the worst season he's ever played. He gets benched for Hertz. Hertz looks pretty good. And now you have to say they've got a lot of decisions to make in Philadelphia. And a lot of them have been caused by this pick of James Hertz, which, you know, it could turn out to be a great pick because they could move away from Wentz if they find a way. And, you know, at best it's a quarterback competition there. I, I don't know what the future holds for Philadelphia, but. Your problem is, is if if Hertz doesn't pan out because you've then failed once and backed it up by immediately failing again. Do you mm. know what I mean? It's it, but it certainly makes it an, an interesting few months for Eagles fans coming up to the draft because decisions have got to be made. And it, it feels like there's going to be more holes before there's um, answers for them. Yeah. And the last thing I'm going to touch upon in, in this draft that was important, you know, I'm going to blitz you. First of all, the running backs. So the running backs, there were some really good running backs. Um, Clyde was, Edwards, Hilaire, Jury's kind of out on him, even though a good landing spot hasn't. I mean, he's been good. Has he been great? Probably not. Jonathan Taylor um, has looked good in, in parts this season and looks like a top running back, but he's always going to have Naheem Hines probably clipping at his heels and taking a roll. Um, and then you've got Swift in, in Detroit. Now he's got a new coach. Hopefully he should kick on a bit more if he can kick the... Uh, the touches away and then you've got J.K. Dobbins and now without Mark Ingram there is he going to be given the opportunity to get a full role but all, these four running backs were deemed to be the elite of the class and they all landed in pretty good spots and yet none of them really won outright their job um, CH probably the most of them all but not entirely in some injuries and but I want to talk about the wide receivers sorry unless you want to jump in no no sorry I was just going to say even with Clyde was hilarious. It, some of that is players sitting out. It felt like it helped. Do you know what I mean? Damien Williams comes back this year. It feels like that's more of a competition than than it turned out to be. Yeah, I don't think he's got quite everything there. But let's talk about the wide receivers because this wide receiver class was stacked. Stacked. I mean, we're talking about we had some amazing talent in here. Um, Ruggs, Henry Ruggs was the first wide receiver selected. We can all, I think, safely say that he has been underwhelming and really not I don't think he's justified his selection whether that's him whether that's the scheme hard to kind of say but you know but you you know you mentioned stocks Jerry Judy who you felt was up there with Lamb as sort of the best wide receiver in this class um, and he has shown flashes maybe the quarterback player I don't know what what you know hopefully we see him kick on we saw the Cowboys not need a wide receiver, but think we're not going to let uh, CD Lamb drop any further down this board. You know, he fell to 17, which was just madness. And he gets selected and the Cowboys have an embarrassment of riches. But you also had Justin Jefferson, Jalen Rager and um, Brandon Ayuk. So you had six first round wide receivers here. And I, for me, all of these guys, with the exception of maybe Ruggs, justified their selection this season. I think that the wide receivers this might be one of the best wide receiver classes we've seen at, at least since 2014, but maybe even all time. Yeah. I think we're going to, I think it's going to be close this year as well with the, 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 the class coming in. Some of the talent in this year's class is unbelievable. And it, it would not surprise me again to see six wide receivers go in the first round this year. But if you're the Eagles, you've got to be kicked. Would you still stick with your pick of Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson? who went one pick later to the Minnesota Vikings at 22. I mean, that's a hard one because of the situation, the quarterback play, the injuries, you know, jury's out on Jalen Rager. We'll see what he does this year. If he kicks on this year, then you've got to be happy with that pick. But um, I, I I don't think Jalen Rager is the reason why Jalen Rager hasn't worked out. Um, no, that's fair. 
I, th- I think he, you know, he's had a lot of injuries. It's just been very unfortunate. But you know, Justin Jefferson for me so far has been the one. But he's also had the opportunity. He had no competition on that depth chart. Um, he had pretty decent quarterback play, and I'm not saying Kirk Cousins is a top ten quarterback or anything. But he's he's pretty, you know, he's a pretty good quarterback. He's not he's not terrible. He's not playing with. Um, you know, bottom five talent here. You know, he's playing, he's got a good quarterback situation. He was in a good situation because he had no one behind him in the depth chart that was even really going to challenge him. Um, and was given that opportunity to really uh, exceed. And and so was Brandon Ayuk. You know, he was another one who had a very, very quiet, but very productive season throughout. Um, because again, didn't have benefit from great quarterback play, but he made the most of his opportunity. So I was really impressed with his wide receiver class. I'm looking, looking forward to that. Um, but then we had the the rest of the season. So we had, uh, you know, COVID-19, the disruption to the OTAs, uh, no preseason. I mean, COVID was uh, really the the storyline of, of the season, if we go into regular season storyline. So let me ask you a question. Did you, sitting here, first week of the season, did you believe that the NFL was going to play all 256 games this season? On time. Uh- no, no, not on time. I was convinced that the season would happen in total over a period of time that was yet to be determined. The fact that it's got to where it should have finished and is going to finish where it should have is absolutely outrageous. When you consider how many games we've seen in the college game postponed or cancelled or, or rescheduled, and then you fa- the fact that we've had a second wave of the virus and, and stuff's been locked down in the NFL it's nationwide and yet they've still managed to it's not as if you've got like the the premier league where you can take a bus one bus full of people to an away game or something like that to a closed stadium you're you're talking about hundreds of people making a journey to and from across the country and to do that in the same time frame that they had planned a regular season is is phenomenal i was convinced there'd be a couple of weeks where we would have no games so they could do a circuit breaker get everybody back to full fitness I was convinced that we'd see practice squad guys on the regular playing that we had just never, ever heard of. And yet actually COVID didn't really, really take many names from many games from us. I mean, we saw more hamstring and leg injuries than we did COVID related missing, I think. So the fact it happened was just bananas, really. Yeah, I mean, I think there were some COVID interruptions. We lost quarterbacks. Um seemed to be the one position that got affected. I think more than more than most, we saw the situation in Denver where all their quarterbacks uh, had to self-isolate. And then as a result, <laughs> Kendall Hinton had to come in and play quarterback, which is not something anyone will ever really want to see much again. But Was that COVID or was that stupidity? I mean, they're well, two was, very well, different divisions. But it was, it was caused because of a close contact with someone who yeah, had yeah. COVID. Uh, the third wide receiver, on, or the third quarterback on the roster had COVID. Um Cam Newton had it, obviously. Um, yeah, I, 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 there seem to be with me some injuries or some COVID sit-outs as a result of uh, COVID. Most of the close contact as opposed to actually people contracting mm. COVID. But yeah, I, I didn't think we would get I thought it would be maybe a 14-week season with some games cut out. Um, so to be where we are now, I think, is, is testament. It's the only major American sport to have completed its season in its entirety. Um, you think about the struggles we had here in the UK and and around the world with with sports leagues. It's been a, a massive success, and they've shown uh, great ability to handle the situation uh, with with COVID. And yes, we had to have a couple of games postponed late, and yes, we had to have some people sit out. And 
but I think you know when you look back at this season with all the disruption and everything, I think you'd have nothing but to say it was a a great success. Um, I did write some other storylines down here. I'm just going to rattle through them. I obviously put Brady to the Buccaneers because that was just a massive theme that continues through the season. Um, Stefanski in Cleveland, I think clearly the right hire. Uh, for them at last and possibly the coach of the year as the mm. awards get announced. Uh, wouldn't shock me at all if he if he wins that. Um, I wrote, could Josh Allen uh, take the next step? And obviously he proved that he could um, and had a terrific season, not quite MVP caliber, but I definitely, if you put a short list of 10 players, I think he would have been on it. I think he was absolutely terrific. Take the Bills to the uh, AFC title game. Um I wrote some things at the start of the season that I was interested in. So I wrote two or Borough, who's going to win the offensive rookie of the year. And it turns out neither of them are going to win it. It's either going to be Justin Jefferson or, or Justin Herbert. Um, but again, I think Tua we kind of thought we'd come in roundabout when he did. Um, so maybe it was kind of ruling him out. Um, could the Patriots survive without Tom Brady in 2020? <laughs> I genuinely, these were things I wrote down uh, months and months ago. And then I put the Aaron Rodgers revenge tour, success or not. <laughs> I mean, success in the fact he's going to win the MVP and they did make the NFC title game, but not success on the fact that they're not going to win it all. Yeah. I mean, the, the Aaron Rodgers one, he, even without winning the Super Bowl, I think he has come back and has got serious revenge just because of what he's done throughout the season. And had they have drafted a wide receiver rather than Jordan Love at that point, things could be slightly different. I mean, I'm glad for you, Murph, and the Buccaneers that they're not because we wouldn't be sitting here with such high spirits. But uh, questions can be asked. But yeah, I think he ticked that one off as well. And there's, it's when you you sit back and you reflect on stuff like this that you actually remember all these things because you can sit down and try and remember storylines and go back over news and stuff and then somebody brings something up and you think I completely forgot that that happened yeah. or it's having a reflection period is actually quite a good thing I'm enjoying it yeah I, I thought that's why it'd be a good segment of the show to, to think about what we've gone through this season I mean I had a question for each team mine is still inconclusive for your stocks which is to Denver is Drew Locke oh, going God. to be the starter in twenty twenty <laughs> in twenty twenty one? And I still, at this point, am not, I lean towards he's probably not, but I'm not entirely solved that he might not be. I don't know. I think you're in this weird quandary of quarterback. You're in like quarterback purgatory is kind of where the the Broncos are now. Yeah, it's the worst place to be. Yeah, yeah. he's not terrible, and he's and, not he's not ter- speak- terrible. And I speak as somebody who, who watched Ryan Tannehill for seven years and said that he was good and he always gave you enough to keep you hanging on. But at the same time, you knew you, there was always an upgrade. Do you know what I mean? He needed more to be better and we weren't going to be able to provide that. And it, he's gone on to be good. Great. But all the time you're sitting in no man's land, you've got to be really brave to to cut bait and try again. But if not, you're stuck in limbo land. Yeah, and I think the fact that Denver telegraphed the fact that they were going after Matt Stafford, obviously they didn't offer enough because they didn't want to give up a first-round pick. But as Drew Locke, you're sitting there thinking, well, they're going after this veteran. That that only signals one thing to me, that I'm either in a competition or or I'm out. Because you don't go and sign a veteran thinking he's going to be a long-term play And when Drew Locke is so young. So for Drew Locke, I, I don't know how much more of... A, a, 
a rocket up him. He needs to try and provide. Yes, he's been injured and the team hasn't been as a whole because of COVID and stuff. And Cortland Sutton's a big miss for Drew Lock. We saw it at the end of the season before that they had a real connection. But under the same thing, I mean, you give him absolutely every weapon you can at the draft, even taking Albert O, your best mate from from Mizzou. And then what happens? Absolute mediocrity. And then they go and offer for Stafford. So, I mean... Stranger things have happened, but Andy Dalton could be our starter next season. Something like that would not shock me at all. Well, here's what's interesting, right? So this is the one thing I take away from this season over everything is the absolute uncertainty at the quarterback position for probably close to two thirds of the league. I mean, if you sit there, let's go through all the teams now and see where we are, right? So I'm just going to go through them. I've got a map of the, the US. I'm going to kind of go through them all this way. So I'm going to start West Coast to East Coast, right? Start with Seattle. So they've obviously got their quarterback. They're going to be fine. 49ers, a lot of uncertainty. Is it going to be Jimmy G? Probably not. So they they need a quarterback, right? Rams just traded for one. So, But they were probably in the market for one. The Raiders, uncertainty. Is it going to be... I mean, there's talk about maybe getting rid of Carr and, and going with Mariota. Um the Chargers, they've got theirs, they're fine. Cardinals, they've got theirs, they're fine. Denver, Denver probably do need a quarterback. Um, <laughs> Cowboys, if they sign Prescott, they don't. If they don't sign Prescott, they need a quarterback. Texans, what's going on with... Um, they need a quarterback because yeah, they don't want to be there. <laughs> yeah, so they probably are in the market for a quarterback. Chiefs, they're fine. Uh, Vikings, probably fine for this year, but probably need to think about doing something at some point. Packers, looks like they're they're fine. Bears, well, they definitely need a quarterback because they've got two that are pretty ropey. Um, the Colts, well, theirs just retired, so they need a quarterback. <laughs> the Titans, they've got Tannehill. He, he should be fine. The Saints, well, their quarterback is about to retire, so they need a quarterback. Um, please feel free to keep some. Lions just traded Matt Stafford, so they've just got – but then they might still be in the market if they're not convinced on Jared Goff, might still be in the market for a quarterback. Bills are fine. Browns are, at this point, probably <laughs> fine. Steelers – they can't afford to pay Big Ben next year. So either he needs to take a reduction or they need a quarterback. Bengals, okay, they got their guy. Uh, Patriots, they need a quarterback. Jets probably need a quarterback. Giants might need a quarterback. <laughs> Eagles, they got two quarterbacks, don't know what they're doing, but they effectively don't have a stable quarterback situation. So they... It's one of those cases where if you've got two, you've got none. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ravens are fine. Washington need a quarterback they haven't got anyone they can rely on long term Panthers need a quarterback Falcons can they afford to pay Matt Ryan if not need a quarterback Jaguars need a quarterback but they're going to take Trevor Lawrence yeah they've got one (laughs) it's pretty much going to be a done deal right Buccaneers I mean Brady did say this week he might play past 45 but they're probably okay for next season you can say they're fine right now but at some point can need a quarterback and the Dolphins are they really sold on tour you say they are I take your word for it but they might also need a quarterback or might trade for one. So there's a lot of uncertainty. I spoke to, I spoke to someone in the organization yesterday and they are at a firm belief. They are not going to be in the Watson talk other than to push the price. They're basically just going to rise the price up. Well, if if you think your main competition is in the division, then hell, why not? I mean, if if you think about it, that Matt Stafford is, is worth two firsts with a broken back and Jared Goff, um, what what is what is Deshaun Watson worth? Ten? I, I saw a tweet earlier that said he's worth about six first round picks and eleventy billion dollars. So <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, there, yeah, that's absolutely perfect. 
I think it's a good point to to look at, but yeah, I, unbelievable twenty twenty season. It's been incredible, and there's some. I've had some great fun just just going through this in the last twenty minutes or so. Yeah, and and I've just straight out the gate, we we think fantasy perspective, CMC and Barkley pretty much didn't play football this year, so they're two things we completely missed on. So, well, yeah, I kind of left the fantasy element out of this one, but I think we should go back in a future episode. We've got a long off season where we can do some recaps <laughs> on the fantasy season and even more recaps of this season because I've I've enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I'm, I am down. I am down. Right, Rush Nation. Going to have a couple of interviews. The first one is with our buddy Ben Rolfe from the Pro Football Network. And the second one is Brad, the Kansas City Chiefs super fan at Britchy FUK. Enjoy these guys and we will be back in a what, little what, bit. What was that? Britchy? Yeah, Britchy. Or Britchy. Brit oh, whatever. I read it as Britchy. <laughs> All right, you're Britchy. Britchy FUK. I'm calling you out on that line. No, that's Brit, fine. Brit, Call me out. Brit Chief UK. Yeah, there you go. Brit Chief UK. He's going to be in your ear rolls next. We will be back soon. Right, Rush Nation. I've got old friend of the pod back, returning guest, content director of Pro Football Network and co-founder of the UK Fantasy League. It's our boy, Ben Rolf. Ben, welcome back, man. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you, mate. It's busy time at the moment with uh, the Super Bowl and the off-season coming soon, but it's all good. Yeah, it's the, as soon as the Super Bowl's over, I imagine you're straight into the draft stuff, right? Yeah, not so much me, but more um, Ollie and the guys I work with tend to go on to that. My focus more is contracts and free agency stuff and starting to think about what we're going to see in March as opposed to April. So even sooner for you, I suppose that's that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <easy then. laughs> yeah, and then start starting to think about the fantasy angles of it all and how that impacts its projections and everything. It's a, it's a busy time of the year, even though it's not the season. Absolutely. I feel like the off-season is busier for us than actually <laughs> the season is, but we keep going, right? We keep going. So uh, I can't remember when you last came on, but what's happened since we last spoke? Anything exciting? Yeah, well, I'm really lucky to be offered a full-time role at Pro Football Network. So I now that is now my day job, which is great. To work in football for a day job is pretty much the dream come true to be quite honest so uh, a lot of fun a lot of a lot of interesting things trying to keep up with google and what people are after and the news in the nfl all of that kind of stuff is, is a lot of hard work but it's it's fun and it's 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 the day job now and it's it's a dream come true really yes yes yeah you are the uh, very finite amount of people that can actually say that we get to do this full-time and it's it's what we get paid to do so congratulations i mean it doesn't happen to everybody right Anything exciting right now at PFN? What should we be looking for? Well, we've got a bit of Super Bowl content coming, obviously. Everybody's <laughs> got a bit of Super Bowl content coming up, including a, a, a prop bet contest. Now, that's only going to be for your US listeners because, unfortunately, the uh, the prize is a US-based prize. But um, anybody who is a US listener to the pod, you can go and check that out. I think it's going to be a $250 Fanatics gift card, but that, that hasn't been fully confirmed yet. But hopefully that's what we're, we're going to be going for. Um, and then we're just going to move on to like the draft, the, the, the free agency stuff, and we're going to have lots of great content. We're going to have Mike, Mike Tenier breaking down different elements of the off season free agency. He's going to be looking at state of the franchise type pieces. I'm going to be breaking down contracts. We're going to be doing free agent outlooks. Ollie and the team with uh, Tony Pauline as our lead draft analyst are going to be putting out scouting reports, in-depth player profiles. There's so much and, it, and there's more going up every single day. Yeah, absolutely crazy over there right now. You're here to talk Chiefs, Ben. Let's talk about the 2020 regular season, what happened with the offseason. Let's start there. Lots of acquisitions. Mike Remmers, offensive tackle. Antonio Hamilton, cornerback. They placed a franchise tag on Chris Jones. They bought in Ricky Seals, 
Ricky Seals-Jones, and then Brashad Breland as well, cornerback. It was busy for them in the off-season. Yeah, they had a lot of depth around their talented stars. Now, the key was... The key to the offseason really was getting the likes of Mahomes, Kelsey. I think they ended up giving Chris Jones an extension after they franchise tagged him. So getting those three sort of key pieces under contract and, and paving the way to get Tyreek Hill, potentially Tyrion Matthew under longer term contracts in the future was really cool, really crucial. But getting that depth in, getting those those contributors, those Ricky Seals Jones, Breland is a great part of that of that defensive unit on the back end. And Remmers has done a decent job on the offensive line and he's been able to plug in sort of in a couple of different places when he's needed to. Uh, And that's been really key for them in terms of this season because we know that teams can have their stars. You look at like the Houston Texans for years, they've had those top end stars, but they've not necessarily had the depth to build around them. And the, the Chiefs have had that ability where they've been able to rely on these guys. And then they, they contributed to that so well with their draft. Like they used a first round pick on a player who could contribute immediately in Clyde Edwards Hilaire, which I think is really crucial. They could have gone cornerback or somebody like that who might have needed a bit more time to, to blood in. But with a limited offseason, they went really smart. They took a running back who was a kind of plug, plug and play type piece. And then they've just bought in other high upside guys like Willie Gay, Legereus Sneed, so much upside in their draft. And it, it's paid off for them in a big way this season. Yeah, I mean, we saw it towards the end of the uh, previous season, how their defensive unit was pretty good. Their corners and stuff got them out of trouble a few times. And I think you're right, adding the running back who can jump in straight away as opposed to somebody who has to learn, learn all the different zones and schemes and stuff was a smart move by the Chiefs. And then the regular season, I mean, we saw them finish with their best ever record, 14-2. and two. What do you think some of the key takeaways from this season for the Chiefs were? Well, the most fascinating thing is, I think any game you watch of the Chiefs, they just looked in second gear the entire time. They, they never looked like they were going full gas and they always just seemed to have enough. So, so many of their games seemed close, but never seemed to be kind of up in the air in the last couple of minutes. They just found a way to put games away, which is the ultimate sign of a good team is just that ability to get over the line when you need to. And they've still managed to finish the year as a top five passing offense, among the best efficiency wise. The, the run game wasn't perhaps what they wanted it to be this year, but it's never been the focus of the Andy Reid offense. So I'm not surprised that the run game is, is not quite the perfect unit at this point. But yeah, it, it's weird. It feels like they didn't play very well at times this year. And yet they're 14 and two. They're, one of their two losses was a game that they basically gave away by playing all, all, their, all their backups in key positions. And the other game was one that easily, easily could have gone the other way, that Raiders game. It, it, was, it was in the melting pot right up until the very end. Yeah. I think I think you're right about the second gear as well. And it was, I throw back the curtain a little bit here, although this will go out before the Chiefs fan interview on the Super Bowl special. I recorded his before you. And we were talking about how they came back in the last Super Bowl from 24 nothing down. And even at the point where they hadn't scored a point, Kelsey and Mahomes, the bench, everyone looked like they were just there on a little bit of a jolly. Like it wasn't, nothing is ever a problem for the Chiefs. And it would be, it's a terrifying prospect to think one day they'll put the foot on somebody's throat and just keep going. And it could be a cricket score. We have no idea how many points they could put up over four quarters of pure offense, which the Chiefs fan, again, he, he's got it down as a 41-9 win to the Chiefs. And he said he's normally very conservative. He just had this vision one day and he thought that's going to be the final score. And for me, that's probably a little bit rich in a Super Bowl, but they do have that potent offense to do so. 
They absolutely do. I mean, you just look at all the times where they've been down in games in the first in the first quarter and come back. You you look at the stumble that they had against the Buffalo Bills for a prime example. They had that fumble down by the goal line. I think was it nine nothing. They went down early on with the missed extra point, and yet you never doubted for a second that they were going to be, get back into that game. Whether they went on to win it or not was a different matter, but they were never going to. They were always going to get back into it. The same with the Texans game the year before. They they start slow, but they have faith in their process and how eventually the ways they stress a defense is going to pay off in the long run. And that's what's so hard for opposition facing them is you have to pick your poison. And we're very lucky that we get the Chiefs covered by Tony Romo on a regular basis because they're an AFC team. And he regularly talks about the different ways that using Kelsey and... Um, Hill and the running backs and Hardman, they can stress the defense by putting them into into difficult situations. And, and that's so key for them because any time they can rip off a big play, they, they have plays that are almost, almost defense proof to some extent. Like a, a defense just cannot match up to it because you've got Kelsey going one direction, Hill going another direction and Hardman going another direction and you have to pick your poison. And you're hoping ultimately that one of them drops the ball. And when we've seen the Chiefs struggle, it's because the likes of, Kelsey or Hill have dropped a crucial ball on third down and they've had to punt the ball away or, or take go for it on fourth down and fail. Then all of a sudden they get put into some stress, but they just come back on the next drive and, and fix it. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. The way that they start slow has been indicative of the Chiefs play recently, but then we saw them start lightning fast against the Bucks when Tyreek Hill scored 9,003 yards in the first quarter. And that one was over before it started. Admittedly, the Bucks did come back and it got a little close, but like you said, the Chiefs, they let the people come back, but they're never in danger. So they do have that fast start ability. And if they can catch the Bucks defense cold early on Sunday, then we could see a different game because they'd be playing from ahead and not, not necessarily behind. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we can all agree that a defensive playing Chiefs is not as much fun to watch. So to some extent, you you want it to be kind of close or at least have the Bucks or, or the team they're facing at any time up a bit like last year's Super Bowl. Because if you'd reverse those scores and it was the, the, the Chiefs up 24 nothing, we'd have all gone to bed at halftime to some extent. But if the Buccaneers are up and I mean, you're never going to bed if Tom Brady's on the field, let's be quite honest, because we've we've seen what he can do in these situations. But the Chiefs have such a good offense all around. They can just hurt you in so many different ways. It, it, it's it's a lot of fun to watch from a neutral perspective. Mm-hmm. 100%. I mean, it's going to be after the Falcons game where Brady brought the Patriots back from from the absolute depths of despair. There's no way you can go to bed if Brady's behind in the Super Bowl. It's just, <laughs> you would be ridiculously silly if you did. Let, let's talk some post-season Chiefs, Ben. Obviously, fourteen and two in the regular season. Do you think they've made many adjustments going into the postseason as opposed to the regular season? What have they done extra, possibly, to get to the Super Bowl, or is it just that the Chiefs are the Chiefs now and they're they're likely to get that far every year? A little bit of it has been just they've seemed more focused, like they've they've seemed more down to doing the job. They've they've sort of cut, they've come out of the blocks reasonably well, bar the the fumble punt on the in the Buffalo Bills game. They've come out reasonably well. Mahomes looked absolutely on fire to start that Browns game until he hurt his foot, and then all of a sudden they they kind of stumbled. And then when he got knocked out of the game, it became a, a bit of an emergency. But prior to that, he looked like he could pick that Browns defense apart at will, to be quite honest. And a lot of it, I feel like, is they haven't overcomplicated things in this postseason. You see a lot in the pre in the in the season itself, where 
silly flicks and tricks around the goal lines, like odd play calls that you find yourself scratching your head. And if they work, they look genius. Like we think back to the Super Bowl when there was the play on fourth down where Nick Foles ended up catching the pass in the end zone on the, um, on the Philly special. Those plays look great when they work, but when they don't work, you end up looking very stupid. And mm. I think the Chiefs, to some extent, throw all of these plays out there in the red zone during the regular season, knowing they're going to come off 45, 50% of the time, but also knowing that other teams now have to go back and look at the Chiefs' red zone offense and say, wow, the Chiefs can do this, they can do that. They can they can play conventionally and throw the ball to Travis Kelsey, or they can bring him inside on a little inside screen type pass, one of those little shovel passes, and still beat us. So by putting all that stuff on tape, you, you just create questions in the defense's mind. And if the defense is thinking, God, they could run any one of 45 plays down here on the red zone, it's impossible to defend. That's exactly right. And it goes back to your previous comment about stretching defences. If there's only 10 plays you've seen them run consistently in the red zone, then you think, well, we know what this could possibly be. But the more they run, the more there is to worry about. And they've got the weapons to be able to do that with the playbook. It's not as if they've got a playbook that's fantastically creative, yet they're throwing at at nobodies. They've got the weapons to be able to do any of those plays. And when Murph was on TalkSport 2 earlier in the week, he, the Chiefs fan before him from a radio station was saying, you know, we've seen Andy Reid in these situations dive back 20, 30 years to college playbooks where plays have come out and he's used those to, to good effect in, in, in big situations. And it wouldn't surprise him if we saw it again on Sunday where a play that we haven't seen for tens of years comes out and Andy Reid just drops something silly because nobody's expecting it. We saw it with the whole backfield turnaround, stuff like that. They, it's It's... It's, it's like you said, as a neutral, it's fascinating to watch. Obviously, the, the superstars for the Chiefs are the superstars for the Chiefs. Do you think there's anybody in this postseason that's perhaps gone unrecognised as a major contributor to what they've done so far in the postseason or regular season? Yeah, well, I think you can't discredit. We, we obviously talk about Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. And to some extent, because they're both so good, they both get underrated a fraction because we don't talk about Tyreek Hill all the time the way we talk about, say, Stefan Diggs this year, who stood out on his own team. Because Travis Kelsey does such a good job and Pat Mahomes is so good, it takes away from those guys. But you cannot discredit what Sammy Watkins, McCole Hardman, Demarius Robinson, Byron Pringle, those other guys in the receiving game do. Because... Hardman's speed, Pringle's speed, Robinson's smart, Watkins as a veteran free age, as a veteran player. They're, they're able to go to the right spot. I, I can't remember what game it was, but there was a, a play where Mahomes was scrambling and it seemed like he was in serious trouble and he just sort of flicked the ball out and you're kind of expecting it to land in tra- in Travis Kelsey or, or Tyreek Hill and all of a sudden it's Sammy Watkins and then you go, oh yeah, they've got Sammy Watkins. He was a top mm. five pick or something in the draft and they've just got so many guys on offense that can can contribute. And really the only guys that have been disappointing for them to some extent have been the running backs down the the second half. Now to just mention the offense is unfair. The defense deserves a much higher spotlight than they get because they do do a good job stepping up and they could make it a lot tougher on the offense if they didn't. I mean, you just look at how they've limited the Browns and Bills to relatively few scoring opportunities in the last two games. A lot of the opportunities that came either came post Mahomes' injury or, um, on weird special teams, turnover types plays. And that's where the defense have been so good. They're, they're relatively no names. You, I thought going into that Bills game, the Bills were going to be able to give them a real run because I couldn't see who was going to cover Allen, who was going to cover Beasley, because the names don't jump out to you. But they do a good job at doing, using the Patriots phrase, at doing their job. 
Yeah. Do you think that's perhaps why they do such a good job? Because there isn't any of the stars that we think of teams like Houston with JJ Watt or TJ Watt or Pittsburgh. It's obviously the Honey Badger is a name, but he he's so businesslike with what he does on the football field. He sort of gets swallowed up by the rest of the defense. So do you think as an entire unit, they get on with it because there is no star factor to worry about? They just go underrated, underknown by the media and stuff, and they just get on with their job. I think, I think there's no egos. That that really helps when you've got a group of guys that know that on the other side of the ball is the superstars and they're probably not going to get the credit in any win. So they're just going to do their best and, and try and show up. And that really helps because we've seen the likes of Legereus Sneed. He made, I think he had an interception in the very first game of the season against the Houston Texans. And then he, he went away with injury, but he fought back and he's made plays down the stretch and then into the playoffs. Um, yeah. They've just got a really talented group across the field and they've built a defence to match their scheme, which is what everybody should be trying to do. But they haven't said, right, we want we want Jalen Ramsey, for example. He's going to be the best corner, the number one corner. But if he doesn't necessarily match their scheme, they're not going to go get him. They build around their scheme, both on offence and defence. And that's what makes them so great. Yep, 100, 100%. We are... Uh... The Chiefs fan in the in the interview after this, he also mentioned Snead and he thinks he's going to be a big part of the game on Sunday. So it's happened on the right door there, Ben. Right, we're not here to talk about anything other than the Super Bowl. Let's get down to it. The Bucks have, uh, you can tell Murph has, has written this, the Bucks have arguably <laughs> been the best defence in the playoffs so far. How do the Chiefs match up to the speed of the Bucks defence and overcome that, especially with the O-line troubles that we're seeing for the Chiefs right now? Yeah, well, that's where I have major concerns with the O-line. They've been slowly losing key players throughout the year, and now they're going to be without Eric Fisher, who is not a standout left tackle, but he does a solid job. He's been there for as long as I, as you can remember, really. And I, th- I think was he a top overall pick in the draft when he was he came out? So the talent is there, but it's just a fading unit at this point. They're relying on a lot of second-string guys. They're, they're putting pressure onto Mahomes to get rid of the ball quickly. And while the Chiefs have the skill position to stretch the Buccaneers' defense, if the Bucs can get to Mahomes without using a fifth player, you hear Tony Romo talk about it all the time on the coverage. Simulate pressure. Bring four, but make Mahomes think you're bringing five. So bring a linebacker, but drop a defensive tackle into that linebacker's spot. Now, he's not going to be as good, but he might just confuse Mahomes long enough that he makes a mistake. You've got to do stuff like that and and that's going to be where the Buccaneers defense has to has to work because they've got the talented pieces in that front seven to do it. Their secondary is good, but only if the pressure is coming. And that to some extent is where this game has a similar feel to last year's. I kind of, the more I think about it, the more I think going into last year, my big worry was, oh, how are the 49ers going to stop this explosive Chiefs offense? Because they don't have the talent on the back end. We were talking about in the NFC Championship game last year, about that second corner spot and how weak it was and how it could be the Achilles heel. Now, they made up for that with a really good pass rush and the front four caused havoc for four quarters and it took mistakes from the 49ers and that brilliant play on the Wasp play to turn the fortunes. Without it, we'd possibly be talking about the 49ers as the Super Bowl champions and the Chiefs being the team that's failed at the final two hurdles the last two years. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a good point. Recency bias suggests we just look at the fact that they are Super Bowl champions and not what they did when they were there. I mean, it, it, like you say, it was close and could have easily been the other way around. Do you think perhaps we see death by a thousand cuts in a speedway for Mandy Reid because of the O-line fragility, shall we say? Or do you think they stick to what they do and, and try and go with the second stringers and see what happens initially? 
I, I'm not necessarily sure they're a death by a thousand cuts type of team. I'm not. I'm not sure. I think they are an aggressive team by nature, and that will come out whether that's Mahomes ad libbing on a play or something like that. And I, I don't think Reed has come all the way through to now hamstring his team in the past, especially against a team that is as quick on defense as the Buccaneers, because you can't throw short passes and expect to get lots of yards because the Chiefs have strong, quick, uh, the Buccaneers have strong, quick guys all the way across that back end of the defense who can come up and make tackles. Uh, And quite honestly, if you're limiting Travis Kelsey and and Tyreek Hill to catching the ball five yards from the line of scrimmage and and, and throw it across, you're going to end up causing yourself more problems. They they need to play their natural game. We, We see all the, all the different plays that Romo and Nance point out during it, how they how they run that vertical that kind of goes hop, hop, like sort of diagonally across the field and then they settle into the gaps. They're going to have to run all those plays, but Mahomes is just going to have to be smart, take a step back, know where the, where the pass rush is coming. And quite honestly, if the Chiefs can get to him, it's going to make for a fascinating game. Well, the Buccaneers can get to him, sorry, it's going to make for a fascinating game. But I worry if the Buccaneers have to bring a fifth defender, they're going to get picked to pieces. Yeah, open up the bat, the area, especially mm. for Mahomes to to take advantage of. You talk about the Bucks getting to him. Let, let's talk about the Bucks getting to him. What do the Bucks need to do on defense to possibly stop this Chiefs offense? Yeah, so I think the key is is Barrett and Pierre Paul getting getting pressure. Sue and um, Vita Vea getting their hands up. They need to stop the run game first of all, because we saw how deadly the team was when when they ran all over the Bills, for example, they can run on teams. They did it against the Texans as well this year. Now, the, we know the Buccaneers are strong, but if the Buccaneers focus too much on the pass defense and don't shore up that run first, which I'm sure they will, they've done it all season, it, it seems a silly thing to even contemplate the Buccaneers struggling against the run game, but they need to make sure they take care of that basic first because if Edward Teller and Levy and Bell are able to rip off five, six yards at a time, the Chiefs become completely unstoppable because they can just do whatever they want to yeah, 100%. I think you're right. And, and and Lee pointed out in our show earlier on about how we've not really seen the Lev Bell that is Lev Bell. We've seen somebody that isn't particularly Lev Bell. And yes, he's not the Lev Bell of old, but he's probably still got the talent to do it once. And it, it, for him to get to the Super Bowl with another team that isn't the Steelers after leaving the Steelers in the way he did, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Lev Bell has a bigger impact in this game than perhaps we're thinking, even though the Bucks' run defense is significantly good against the run game and and also the RPO needs to work if you're not running it you can't RPO it so the run game really needs to get going for the Chiefs for the run protection what about the Chiefs defense then that everybody knows getting pressure on Tom Brady that's the key to to making him make errors how do you think they go about that stopping the Bucks offense the most fascinating part about this Super Bowl, kind of the under the radar bit, is is the is the defensive coordinator and Steve Spagnuolo. He's the guy that masterminded the 2007 beating defense with his strong pressure up front, getting guys up the middle, um, stunting guys inside, lining up defensive ends at defensive tackle to get to Brady quicker. He he did all those tricks in the book, and it worked. And that's kind of what they need to do themselves, the Chiefs. They need to find ways of getting. Um, Frank Clark, Chris Jones, in those matchups where they can get in Brady's face, get their hands up, get him off his spot. There was a great graphic that someone shared with me recently that showed the throwing points of the four quarterbacks in the championship games like over the season. And as you would imagine, um, Mahomes was quite spread. Allen was quite spread in terms of where they've thrown from behind the line of scrimmage across the field. But Rodgers was obviously more central, but Brady was really between the numbers, like 
it was a solid red mass between the numbers, <laughs> really, with a few dots outside. And it just shows, like, it's remarkably still plays at 43 years old. But if you can force him outside the pocket, it does make a huge difference because he's not used to doing it. And then that affects the timing because guys like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are not going to be used to Brady throwing the ball from five yards right of the pocket. They're just not going to be used to it. It changes all your angles. It changes your scramble drills. They talk so much about that on the broadcast, about those scramble drills. But if you're not used to doing them, it can be hard to come up with the mid game, that whole one guy curves off towards the sideline, another guy heads up field, another guy comes back towards the quarterback. If you're not used to that day in, day out practicing it, you're not going to be able to just adjust to it in the game. And the Buccaneers won't have practiced that very much because their game plan is not to get Brady outside the pocket. It's not to have him scrambling and to have those scramble drills. So that's where the front four come in handy. Get those guys out, make the Buccaneers offense panic because the Chiefs corners as we said not highly regarded but solid contributors and matchups will be crucial if they get in the wrong combination of defenders against Evans Browns and Brown and Godwin I think they're in trouble same with Gronkowski you don't necessarily want to be leaving small defenders on Gronk he's not the force he once was but he's very strong so it's going to be very matchup based on the back end for the Chiefs and making sure that they aren't getting out out muscled by Evans and then beaten by speed with Godwin and, and Brown but up front is where this game is going to be won and lost. If they get in Brady's face, this game could be a track meet, to be quite honest. We saw what happened in the last game when they got in Brady's face early. But if Brady, the Buccaneers offensive line, have got a plan and managed to keep that pocket clean for Brady, this game is going to go right down to the wire. It's going to be absolutely fascinating. Well, that brings us perfectly, Ben, onto our final point, which is score prediction. You think it's going down to the wire. Our Chiefs fan doesn't think it is anywhere near that close. What are you going with with your neutral cap on? So I, everyone talks about this being a low-scoring game. Now, I don't, I don't necessarily see it. I think we might get the typical low-scoring first quarter that we seem to see in Super Bowls, but I think we're going to see it ignite in the second and third quarter. These offences are too good to be pinned down for four quarters. So I, I think there's going to be around... 60 points scored. I'm going for something like 31-28. I'm not convinced which way that's going to be, like a 31-28, 34-31. My heart says to go Brady because you never you never count Brady out and he's not going to let Mahomes back into the game like Garoppolo did. But my head tells me that you, you shouldn't go against the guy that's just been infallible since he came in the league. So I'm, I'm going to take Mahomes in a close one. But honestly, whoever has the ball last probably wins this game. Yeah, I was I was going to push you for an answer there, Ben, if you didn't give one, but you went with Mahomes <laughs> in a close one. I, I, it's such a difficult one for me, obviously with Murph being a Bucks fan and, and how close friends we are. I'm going with the Buccaneers, but this is the perfect matchup for the neutral fan because for me, Brady doesn't get enough respect for what he's done throughout his career because he's been with Bel Belichick. And all of a sudden, he ends up in temper, takes them to the Super Bowl, has looked really good throughout the season in doing so and I would like to see him win it not because Murph is a Bucks fan but for Tom Brady to finally put to bed that he is the greatest quarterback of all time and he was a larger part of the deal in New England than we thought he was with Bill Belichick and then on the other hand you've got the young guy in the league like you said Mahomes who quite frankly I could see him winning five in a row and that would be an unbelievable thing to see in our lifetimes as well so whoever wins this for me I don't really mind, but I, I do have a Buccaneers shirt on for the game. It's a fascinating subplot as well, the fact that these two have played two ti- four times, they're two and two, and possibly this will be the last time they ever ever play. Now, we said that they might never meet again after the one in the regular season, but for whoever 
because Mahomes is probably going to end up going down as one of the best ever. And we know Brady is. And for whoever comes out of that three and two to be able to say that they got the better of the other one is, is so huge. And Murph will tell you, I have hammered Tom Brady in every group chat that we have been in this year when he has struggled at the start of the season. I was being a New England Patriots fan. I wasn't rooting for him to fail, but I'd watched him struggle. And I was finally pleased that it was being seen by other people that he was struggling. But the way they've turned it around in the second half, the way he has looked after himself through this season and got to this point, it would be a really nice fairy tale to some extent to see him win it. Now, I'd rather see him win it as a New England Patriot, but I'm quite happy to see him win it as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. But as you say, it's hard to root against Patrick Mahomes because what him and that Chiefs team have just done is is incredible. You want to dislike them because they're so good, but it's so hard to dislike them. Yeah, we had that conversation a little while ago that in a couple of years' time, regardless of how nice Andy Reid, the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes and company is, when you get to the point where you've won a few Super Bowls like the Patriots and stuff, we see it with Manchester United in soccer back in the, in the 90s and 2000s, people hate the team that is dominant. And unfortunately, it doesn't matter how nice you are, Mr. Mahomes, people are going to dislike you. Um, and it's going to be a really interesting to watch how the next few seasons unfold, especially for Mahomes and co. But... Yeah, Ben, I, I massively appreciate you coming on, man, and throwing some insight into this into this Chiefs bit for us. Where, uh, obviously, Pro Football Network, where else can people find you, your content, podcasts, anything you're on? Let us know where they can find you. So I'm on Twitter at Ben Rolf, PFN. Uh, that's Ben Rolf and then just the letters PFN on Twitter. So I recently changed that as part of going full-time. So if you've been used to finding me at Ben Rolf 15, that, that has now changed. I have regular articles going up on PFN throughout the week. I'm writing an average of two or three articles five days a week. My podcast is Seven Step Drop, where Alex Chinnery and I dive into the game. We try to take an analytical slant to it to try and make it a bit different, but we also don't just sit there and shout confusing numbers at you for <laughs> 60 minutes until your your brain can't take it anymore. We try to mix in what the numbers are and what they mean with a bit of analysis into the actual game itself rather than just shouting the words EPA per play at you over and over again for 60 minutes until you want to kill us. <laughs> I'll have to check that one out, Ben. I didn't know you were doing a podcast, so that's news to me. But yeah, I will, uh, I'll load you in next time I'm at work. So who knows when that will be. Anyway, Ben, appreciate your time, man. Enjoy the Super Bowl and we'll have to chat soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great. See you soon, buddy. Bye. Right, Rush Nation, it's my time for an interview and I've been joined by Brad Simcox, also known as at Brit Chief UK. Yes, Brad, I did mess up your Twitter handle in the main show, but you can listen to that when you listen back to the whole thing. Buddy, what a week for you, Chiefs fan. Welcome to Five Yard Rush. How are you doing? I appreciate you having me on. It's uh, Yeah, it's been a crazy week so far. Um, I mean, leading up to this, uh, it just seems as though... Um, you know, with even fans are doing so many like podcasts and you know uh, meet and greets and that stuff like that on Zoom and things. It's just crazy how uh, how this week has taken off, really. Um, but yeah, really looking forward to the game. Can't wait. <laughs> I presume you've got Monday <laughs> off, right? I haven't, um, but I will be up watching it all night. So um, yeah, there's nothing going to stop me for that. I mean. It, it, it's a bit of a ritual for me anyway that, um, you know, the one thirty games, I mean, everybody knows the one thirty games are a killer, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, obviously with this being at like, what, 11.30, yeah. uh, it's, it seems a lot more manageable. Plus, um, I had this ritual where the one thirty games, I used to set the alarm clock, uh, go to bed, 8 o'clock, set the alarm clock for 1, wake up, watch the game and go back to sleep again. And uh, it, it's got me through so far anyway, <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> well, that's my plan on Sunday as well, even though it is a half 11, I start work stupid o'clock Monday. So yeah. I'm going to bed when my son does at about 
probably seven, sleep for a few hours, wake up, <laughs> watch the game, and then uh, try and get another hour or so after it. But we'll see how we go. I mean, if it's so good and it goes on a little bit longer and I have to go straight to work, oh, I don't care. It's one of those things, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Brad, Chiefs fan, last year we tried to find some Chiefs fans and there was absolutely none of them. Or, Seriously? Or, yeah, trying to find a Chiefs fan to talk to last year was really difficult. It, and even this year, we've struggled to get hold of experts, fans and stuff. Yeah. For a team that is so explosive, so exciting to watch, and obviously newer fans going to be getting into it, are going to be you know, the Patriots fans who joined when Patriots were good. You, you, you tend to do that when you join a sport as a fan, don't you? You pick the team that's currently good. So you'd think this year, after the Chiefs win last year, there'd be people to talk to. And yet we, we struggled to find anyone. So how, how is it that you became a Chiefs fan? How long have you been a Chiefs fan? Have you ever been to Arrowhead? I'll stop the questions there and you can answer those three. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds great. I mean, um, how I became a Chiefs fan, it, well, it was back in uh, late 2011, I think it was. Um, my first season was the 2012 season, which was uh, 2 and 14, which was diabolical. Oh. But, um, yeah, how it all came about really was, yeah, it was a weird one because um, I used to watch the Super Bowls in the 2000s. Um, I used to stay up and, and wonder what the heck it was all about because it was. I, I used to watch the first quarter and I think there's nothing happening. Wait till halftime, watch the halftime show and probably go to bed, you know. And it wasn't until around about 20, I think it was the 2010, was it Super Bowl 44, uh, Saints versus Colts. And I actually sat up and watched the whole thing. And I promised myself at that point, I said, whoever wins this game, it was a, it was a really horrible glory hunting thing, this, but whoever wins this game, I will support them forevermore. Obviously, the Saints won, and I never really watched the game after that. <laughs> I, never, I never kind of like gelled with them or anything. And But I was always quite intrigued with the game and the spectacle of the Super Bowl. And um, it was late one night, uh, like I said, late, 2011 and I was just sat on the couch and I was flicking through the channels and this program about Marcus Allen came up about his time at the Raiders um, and it was it was right at the very end I think it was like five minutes right at the end when um, it said that um, he had a turbulent time with the owner Al Davis at the Raiders that he wanted to go to the Chiefs to have a bit of a revenge on mm-hmm. the Raiders and I love that I thought that's brilliant but I'd, I'd never known who the Chiefs were because obviously over here it was quite limited to what we actually saw in football wise. And yep. you, you heard about the Raiders, you heard about the, the Niners, the Cowboys, the Patriots, all that kind of thing. But you never really heard about, you know, a flyover state team slap bang in the middle of, of America. And it just intrigued me. It was one of those teams that as soon as I started looking into the history of them um, and finding out like, you know, the owner at the time, Lamar Hunt created, you know, the, 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 um, the AFC, the AFL league and all that. And, you know, he, he kind of came up with the Super Bowl name and it was all about the merger and all that kind of thing. I was hooked. It was, it was such a big thing. And uh, yeah, from that point, I would just watched every game. And then obviously they came over in 2015 against the Lions in the London games mm. and uh, loved it. Absolutely had a whale of a time. And I thought, if this is what every game's like over in America, I want to go over there. So I had a chat with some of the Chiefs fans and they said, yeah, come over to our head sometime. You'll have a blast. It's better than over here. I was like, really? This was great over here. You mm. know? Um, so I went over in 2017 with uh, the UK Chiefs group, which is called Our Heads Abroad. And there was about, I think it's about 25, 30 of us went over and the Chiefs literally rolled out the red carpet for us. The, um, they had us on the field holding the American flag, which was its huge, like kind of um, stars and stripes in the shape of America. 
um, and they actually asked, you know, all these British folk to hold the flag. I think it was a bit of a, you know, let's see if they'll hold it. <laughs> <laughs> let's see if these Brits will hold this flag, you know. Um, and we did it, and it was to, to, to listen to the home of the Chiefs, you know, and the Chiefs fans shout, you know, I'm the home of the Chiefs. It was... Uh, it was electric, absolutely amazing. And but the tailgate really stuck in my mind. It was nothing like what we do over here for the London games. The tailgate was just so friendly and so interactive. Um, we just love the Chiefs even more after that. Mm. It's just um, so yeah, that's 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 my kind of uh, fandom in a nutshell. Really, it's it's quite recent, but obviously I've gone through some of the well, quite a few of the downs rather than the ups. But uh, it's it's kind of like balancing out a little bit now. Uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, shifting towards the good right now with last <laughs> yeah. year and this year. And uh, it's definitely on my bucket list of places to go. You see all the records for the noise at Arrowhead and stuff like that. And yeah, just the style of the stadium is is unbelievable. And the, the fact that the bowl situation and oh, it's yeah. really loud. It yeah. is loud. I mean, yeah. we, my my first London game was the Rams Giants, uh, right. and uh, the state that stadium was loud at the end when ah. Uh, God, who was playing? It was either Foles or Goff threw a pick at the end in the end zone, and yeah. uh, just because <laughs> the, they couldn't hear each other at the line of scrimmage because the the fans were so loud, just trying yeah. not to get them to score. So to uh, go to Arrowhead, man, I mean that that would be really something loud. else. Uh, the Chiefs, we know how they got there, got to the playoffs. It was fairly routine, pretty straightforward, from basically following on from the Super Bowl last year. Do you think anything's changed in the postseason? after the regular season for the Chiefs in order for them to get... Because obviously we saw with the Browns, they were lucky to get away with that one. Chad Henney with some heroics in the fourth quarter. But otherwise, has much changed from the, the regular season to the postseason? Um, Playing-wise, I mean, it, it, I think the season was different to like, than what it was last year. It was weird because obviously the 2019 season, you know, the Chiefs were still, um, you know, racking up points left, right and centre at willy-nilly. You know, they could do it at any point. But it seemed as though people were getting on the Chiefs' backs this season because they weren't blowing out teams enough. Mm. I think the only, I think the only, say, blow out one, like one team, which I think was the Buccaneers anyway, um, during the season. And it was, yeah, that was what was felt different. It felt like the Chiefs were racing off to a lead or at least getting to a comfortable lead and then just really taking the foot off the gas. And I noticed this in one of the games. It was like, it was halfway through the third quarter and I was thinking, what are they doing? They're hitting the run game straight away. Surely you'd be doing that in like the fourth quarter, you know, obviously the clock yeah. and things, but it's, it seemed to start like halfway through the third quarter and it was, it felt like at any point, if one of these teams get get hot right at the end, they could literally, you know, just the, the momentum would swing completely. Yeah. But then obviously getting into the playoffs, the Chiefs came out of the gates really quick against the Browns. And we, we started racking up a good league. I think it was 21 to three, I think at one point against the Browns. And then obviously we know what happened after that when Mahomes um, got the, uh, you know, the concussion uh, protocol that he got. Um, and that kind of... Uh, brought the Browns into the game a little bit more. Um, so we were a bit denied of a bit of a blowout there. Um, and then obviously we went to the Bills. And the Bills game was, it settled a lot of nerves because the, Bill, the Bills were brilliant this year. Yeah, they were. Um, they were fantastic. And and it, you ask any Chiefs fan, they'll, they'll say to you that you look at the Bills, they're almost like a mirror image of what the Chiefs are. Yep. In, in the way that they're set up, um, you know, very good high-powered offense, um, you know, excellent quarterback, some excellent wide receivers, you know, good uh, good offensive unit. 
and you could see there was a bit of a mirror mm-hmm. with them. Um, and it was, yeah, it felt it felt like it was going to be a close game. But again, you know, you got Andy Reid and Mahomes, um, and somehow they got through that game like it was just like it was nothing. Like it was nothing yeah. to them. So there is there has been a bit of a difference, but the other way around this year. Yeah, I think definitely the Bills game was, like you said, put a few Chiefs, well, all Chiefs fans at ease, really, with how easily they mm. deconstructed a brilliant Bills team, like you said. We yeah. we saw the Bills put points up on everybody. And do the Chiefs feel like one of these teams where you think, oh, we can score against them. But when they get it all together on defense, they're they're pretty tenacious on defense. And then, definitely. as we know, with, with their weapons, they can they can put points on anyone at will. I mean, we saw it against the Buccaneers, like you mentioned, they got out to a huge lead against the Buccaneers. And then Tampa, yeah, Tampa Bay came back and it was never really in doubt, but there's always that thing where if the team, like you say, comes back enough, this is going to be a dogfight. And then mm-hmm. I would love to say, can the Chiefs hold it in a dogfight? But then in the Super Bowl last year, they were 24, nothing down and Kelsey and Mahomes didn't look like they had a care in the world and decided to play football and they came right back and won it. So Yeah, seems strange, doesn't it? Yeah. It, yeah, different, different times. I mean, for you, the keys to winning this game from a general perspective, what do you think the Chiefs have to do to win Super Bowl 55? Protect Mahomes. I think that's the key thing. Um, there's a lot of talk in the media, obviously, about the Chiefs all-line being very banged up, which it's been banged up a lot, really, this season anyway. And we've we've had to move quite a few of the linemen around the all-linemen. And uh, it, it just feels like... Um, you know, there could be a lot of pressure coming from uh, a really good pass rush as well from the yeah. Bucks, which um, you know we've got to be we've got to be careful that you know um, you know those two that they've got on the edge, they, you know they they don't get to Mahomes or don't at least you know try and um, suffocate him as much as you know as as much as needed, you know, and yeah. and and keep him upright because, like we saw against the Browns, you know anything can happen if he's. He gets hit and he's got hit wrong and uh, he could be out of a game, you know. So that is a worry on Chiefs fans at the minute. But um, yeah, keeping Mahomes upright is obviously priority number one. But I think they've really got to come out the gates quick again. Um, they've really got to kind of um, throw everything at them like they did with the uh, the first quarter of the, the, the seasonal game. You know, they're really going to keep an eye on Tyreek Hill. I think that's going to be their main priority. So I think it's going to open up Travis, Kelf- Travis Kelsey a heck of a lot more. Yeah. Um, which um, I think they said in a press conference that it, it could be that they're looking at playing zone against Travis Kelsey, which is a terrible idea. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> trying, trying is, to stop Travis. Yeah, we, we've talked about it. You can't. You either. It's really difficult situation for the Bucks because they either guard. Yeah. They, they play man on Tyreek and then give him some safety help as well. Yeah. But then that opens up the middle of the field for for Kelsey to eat up yardage. And then, so you say, all right, well, we'll play zone in the middle and let Kelsey have the yardage and hope Hill doesn't yeah. go off. But then they'll just chunk play you all the way up to the end. Oh, and definitely. Then, yeah. And then all it takes is one play to get broken. And we know how quickly Hill can get out of coverage himself and be open on broken plays. And then you're talking 30, 40, even 50 yards because of Mahomes' cannon. Yeah. So the, yeah. I, we, we mentioned it on the podcast Earlier, well, earlier or later, I can't remember when it was now, but it, about how the offensive line is in a bit of trouble and JPP and Shaq Barrett are going to try and get to Mahomes early. Shaq but then Barrett I, worries I, me. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I think you've got the weapon speed-wise to be able to get the ball out of Mahomes' hands even faster and just ping, 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 ping. And then mm-hmm. if you do that and you manage to get up the field and score on the Bucks, then we're looking at a Tom Brady who 
doesn't necessarily have the pressure coming from the defensive lineman. The pressure is then chasing the game. And we've seen him susceptible to making picks. So yeah. I think if you get up early, either way, the pressure is going to be on Brady. And I think that's how you win this game. You have to put yeah. the pressure on Brady. I completely agree. Yeah, I think um, there's no love lost between him and Chris Jones. So uh, that'll be an interesting matchup to see them two um, because they're really in each other's face in, in the previous games. Yeah, I mean, we touched on the tackles, obviously, with the centre now in the, the protocol for COVID. Do you think he clears or is that a thing that we're going to have to wait and see what happens? I think they do. I think because we've got Demarcus Robinson on the uh, the COVID uh, list as well, but it's it's not that they've actually got COVID. It's just um, apparently they were getting all of getting the haircuts, apparently, and uh, yeah. the uh, the barber had gotten through two of them already and uh, apparently he, he, he didn't pass a, a fast test or something like that. So uh, yeah, a little bit concerning, but we're just we're just glad it wasn't Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill that he was doing first. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I was having this conversation with a friend earlier, and I said, "Look, I know it's the Super Bowl, and I know you want to look good in the cameras, but if I'm Andy Reid or one of the coaching teams for the Chiefs, yes. I'm saying I don't care if you want to get your hair cut. You're staying in your hotel room wherever you are right now." And you're yeah. you're doing as little as you can between now practice and the Super Bowl because we want you all there. Yeah. I mean, who needs a fresh fade for the Super Bowl? You got a helmet on anyway. Just keep exactly. it on for the time. Keep I, the helmet on. Yeah. Don't worry about it. You know. Um, yeah, I know. It was a bit of a vanity thing that I think a lot of Chiefs fans have, have kind of questioned, especially on social media recently, where they've said, "Really, you know, there's us who are still growing our hair from like you know three, <laughs> four months of lockdown, um, you know, and, and and can't get a haircut for love and the money." And then uh, you've got Chiefs players who can't go a week without their own uh, getting the hair done. It's um, yeah, that, it did raise a few eyebrows. I must admit. Yeah. So we've talked about offense, defense. What do the Chiefs have to do on defense? Who are the key guys to watch, and what roles are they going to play against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers? Do you know what? Um, I, I'm really excited about seeing what Snead can do. Um, I know there's a lot of people talk about Chris Jones and Frank Clark and bringing pressure and stuff, but you no, know, we've seen Brady handle pressure quite a bit anyway. You know, he's used to these defences. He, he he can dissect these defences in, in, in a, a number of ways, any manner of ways. But um, I think the key thing that we should be looking for is um, Sneed likes to get in on the um, in on the blitzes, on like kind of like the outside blitz. And it's happened. It's it, it's been dialed up a few times by Stag, uh, Spagnolo this this season, where Sneed's actually got some sacks. Um, because he's really rapid. He's really mm. quick. Um, and we normally use him as like, you know, cornerback safety kind of uh, role anyway. And he kind of floats around. He's a bit like what um, Tyron Matthews like, but obviously Tyron Matthews more locked in into the safety role. But we seem to use Snead a heck of a lot differently. Um, and I think it might it might mess with Brady's head a little bit if he's worried about this, you know, this speedy kind of cornerback coming at him from 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 like a blind side or something. So um, I think he's going to be key. But from what I've seen from Tyron Matthew in the uh, the playoffs as well, the way that guy sets the edge, I mean, it sounds daft saying that the, you know, the safety is setting the edge, but he, he helps out Frank Clark's side quite mm-hmm. a bit on setting the edge. And it, it, it shuts that run game down as well, which um, it, it's, it's obviously key when you're playing against a, a, a run-heavy team, especially like what the Browns were when they had Kareem Hunt and obviously um, uh, Chubb. You know, yep. in, in that backfield, um, but you're probably not going to see it as much this time because Brady's not as mobile, and uh, I, don't, I don't think the Bucks' run game is as as impressive as what the uh, you know the, um, the the Browns' run game was. So um, yeah, I think Snead's going to be the key for me. Yeah, we talk when, when we were talking about this on the podcast. I mentioned how Tyrion Matthews 
he's the dog like he's he's the guy who makes the difference and I think if if the Chiefs can get pressure on Brady and force him to make throws he wouldn't normally do you can count on the honey badger being there or thereabouts to make a pick or or cause some aggro because this is this is his stage man as good as he is for the whole season he lives for this stage and I think I'd like cheeky outside bet I mean if you could get a bet on him to make a pick this this game, I think, it's as good as bet as any. Because you know, I'd be hovering around. You know what he's like. Yeah, exactly. He's, uh, exactly. Yeah, he's very much, very much sniffing around. He, 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 like you said, he just doesn't care. He's, he's, he's in the right place at the right time. That's what we love about him. Yeah. So we've talked some offense, some defense, special teams, Brad. Anything they need to do, perhaps, to try and stop Minkins on the return game? Like, what, what do they have to do, special teams wise? Um, basically just trying to, yeah, I mean, obviously Minkins is, is one of those players that you've got to watch. Um, I, I, obviously the books have got to watch a wee hell as well. We've got some speed in the, uh, <laughs> a smidge. Uh, yeah, a smidge. Yeah. Um, I mean, Michael, Hardman is, um, still reeling after, uh, his, his muffed kind of, uh, you know, punt return that he had yeah. in the, the Bills game. But, um, you know, he's, he's one of those players. I mean, he, he did, he was very similar in the in the Super Bowl last year. He actually made a player that really kind of clawed us back into it and gives a bit more belief. Um, so I think I think Nicole Hardman's good for that. But yeah, I think Mink- Minkins is one of those. Um, we we've got a, a very good punter at the minute in, um, in in Tommy Townsend, and I just think um, if we can if we can pin him far back as possible on that and and, and keep him penned in into the corners. Um, that might be the key for us and, you know, just trying to get to him. I think the special teams that we've got is fast as well. Yeah. Um, so if we can get to him and, 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 and shut that down, it'd be, yeah, we, we, I'll be, I'll be a lot more comfortable if we can do that anyway. Yeah. We'll see how uh, he handles the humidity down in, in Tampa because that can cause trouble with the kickers, right? Oof, yeah. Right, Brad, before yeah. we, uh, before we let you go, a quick prediction from yourself. How do we think Sunday's going to go? Do you know what? Um, I, I've been very reserved over the last um, few weeks about my score predictions. I always kept them quite close. And I know a lot of people are predicting a close game in this with uh, two great quarterbacks, you know, two great offences. But I actually, I've predicted 41-9 to the Chiefs. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I've never done that all season. I don't know why I've plucked that number out of the air. Um, is it a premonition? I don't know. But yeah, I've gone 41-9 to the Chiefs. And uh, it, this is the blowout game that we've been looking for, hopefully. Holy smokes. Well, yeah, you heard yeah. it here first, Rush Nation. 41-9 <laughs> to the Chiefs. And Brad, if it happens, I'll send you a T-shirt because that would be <laughs> tremendous. Brad, appreciate your time, mate. This is a real crazy busy week for you. Thanks yeah. for coming on so much. Where, if people want to interact with you on the interwebs, where are you available for interaction? Um, well, my, my Twitter is at uh, BritChiefUK. Um, I've got a YouTube channel as well, we, but we're, I'm actually doing a, another YouTube channel with uh, Tom Childs, a mate of mine who also ran Our Heads, Our Heads Abroad, which is the UK Chiefs fan group. But we, uh, we're doing a Legion of Zoom cast at the moment on, uh, on YouTube. So uh, check that out. It's, it's fun. It's just two lads chatting and uh, having a bit of fun, a bit lighthearted entertainment, you know. Super duper. Well, Brad, best of luck Sunday. I hope you get the result you're after. But uh, as Murph is a Buccaneer, unfortunately, I will be cheering for, for Brady <laughs> and the Bucks. But hey, let's hope for a good game, right? Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. No worries. We'll speak soon. Cheers. See you soon. Right, Rush Nation, you heard from Britchie FUK right there. Um, <laughs> no, Britchie FUK. <laughs> See, it's, it's catching. I think he might prefer it. And uh, Ben Rolfe, we're going to talk some Kansas City Chiefs now, boys. Keys to victory, offense, defense, special teams, and difference makers. This one's 
oh, man, it, it, it almost writes itself, right? There's, there's certain things they need to do that we've seen them do against the Buccaneers already, Murph. What can the Buccaneers do to, to stop them doing what they did before? I think we can cover that when, when it's the Buccaneers' turn to break that down because I'd rather sort of spend that time. In all right, terms well, this, of what this... I think for the Chiefs need to do is, is, first of all, the big concern going into this game is they're playing two backup tackles on that offensive line. So that, that's a massive loss to lose both your starting tackles um, and to have to play backups in a game like this. Is, I mean, we're talking about it's a significant drop. So they've got to really hold that line. They've got to protect... Patrick Mahomes because don't forget Patrick Mahomes is carrying turf toe injury which didn't affect him in the AFC title game but turf toe is not something that goes away in like a week or two you know people need surgery on this let's talk that Patrick Mahomes might have surgery on this after this game so uh, for me I think that offensive line is is questionable should we say for this game which is something you don't normally say about the Kansas City Chiefs but with the amount they've lost on that line it's something to consider so you're, you're saying we're not going to see a battle of ex-Michigan quarterbacks? We're not going to see Chad Henney? No? You might see Chad Henney. You never know. Um, I mean, listen, I, I, for one, can't get enough Chad Henney in my life. So um, if Chad Henney wants to come along in the Super Bowl, then I'm, I'm all for it. Um, yeah, I, it'd be interesting to see what happens here. But I think that's... You, you know, we're no no secrets to what the Kansas City Chiefs can do. They've got some amazing weapons, which I'm sure we'll touch upon in a minute. But uh, for me, it all starts with that offensive line. Um, and I said this on, on TalkSport last week that, you know, if, if the Buccaneers, they're, they're so quick on defense that they, the, the offensive line have to really, really be on their game because JPP and Shaq Barrett are quick, probably two of the quickest edge rushers in, in the league. And they're not ones that are going to be very easy to get away from. So, that for me is is can these backup tackles not just be adequate but be good can they be good enough to hold those guys back and then when they can't can Patrick Mahomes get enough time to get away and make the throws or at least throw the ball away well, I think I think one thing that will help the Chiefs in that situation is and Andy Reid's record after a bye week is pretty pretty good as well is the fact that they've got the speed weapons to be able to increase their rate of throw after the snap. So if they need to speed things up, they've got the guys who can help Patrick Mahomes speed that up to sort of counter JPP and uh, Shaq Barrett. But yeah, I, the offensive line is, is a massive issue for them. I mean, offense, what do they need to do on offense? I don't think you, you change much from what you've been doing all season, right? It works, so why fix it if it ain't broke? Yeah, I don't they, think it, yeah. yeah. yeah they, they don't need to change much. The only concern, obviously, said is, is with the... Um, it is it, with the turf toe, but they should have Sammy Watkins back for this game. And I know people don't really like or love Sammy Watkins, but he's, he's a good receiver. You know, we're not talking about a guy that should be slouched upon in games. He can be very, very impressive. So, you know, they've got all the weapons. The one question I want to ask you too, is obviously the Buccaneers here have the best run defense in the NFL second year in a row. Teams find it very, very difficult to run on them. Um, we've seen it in this postseason. You know, no one's really got yards on the ground. If that offensive line is struggling um, and they need to, I mean, do you think they need to establish a run game here at some point and commit to the run in order to get some some real progress? Or can they just continue to abandon the run game and, and just put the ball in the air 40, 50 times in this game? I mean, I think... Go on, go on Lee. No, go on. I, I think... 
with every NFL team in almost every game, you have to show you have the ability to do it. Because if you don't, I, I just I've got absolutely no need to respect it. If I want to double people on the back end, I can do it with ease. I don't have to worry about about that run game. And you know, as a fan of a team that doesn't have a, a, anything in the backfield, it, it's super important because it just it affects every single thing you do. Even if you're not doing it well, you just have to show that you're a willing to do it and. Um, that you can at least grind out some yards, even if it's only three or three around. Do you know what I mean? Just that if it's third and three, or it's third and four, we're willing to go to that. We're not, you know, we're not going to tell you we're passing the ball. I think you just have to, you don't have to go off. Do you know what I mean? We don't need, we don't need left bell of three years ago. It's, it's not that it's, we just, we're willing to do it. We're not going to sit back here and just tell you that we're going to pass on every down. Yeah, I think and I, I think what we see is um, when I was on the Dynasty Pod with Rich, he I don't, I don't know if you guys heard this or Rush Nation, if you haven't listened to it, he said that uh, Clyde edwards helaire was given six goal line looks in the first week of the season and then didn't receive a single one throughout the rest of the season after failing to get in on six attempts in week one. And I think you should, that shows you that Andy Reid is a obviously spotting a weakness in CEH's game at that point in the season and moving away from it rather than keep smashing into the front door. And B is capable of drawing up other plays and different run games and schemes that he can use to get away from just the hammer of the, the straight up run game. And I think what we might see is we might see if Sammy Watkins is back, that frees up Hill to possibly have a couple of snaps from the back wheel, backfield and maybe Miko Hardman. And we might see some jet sweeps and some movement before the snap. So Yes, they will have to run the game, but how much of it they think we they need to do, I don't think it's as much as we think they should because of what they can dial up from their wide receivers. I think they also like to be able to um, run those plays where you're only throwing the ball to the line of scrimmage, but you've got everyone flowing in a direction. And it's almost like that extension of the run game. Do you, you know, passes that are in the backfield and passes that are only to the line of scrimmage and then you're going to let the guy do the work. I think they try and do that, you know, just to try and keep people moving um, east and west rather than north and south. And I think that kind of helps when you haven't got that back where you can just say, here you go, here's a ball, go get some first down. I think it's, I think they have to run the ball. I think they're going to have to establish the run. Um if nothing else, just to keep the the line honest and and just to, you know, they're going to need to put RPO in. And if you don't run the ball, you can't RPO because <laughs> you know you know there's no run option. I, I think you know that's it's key. They're going to have to try and run the ball. Um, I think I think I, Harrison I, Harrison Butker needs to have himself a day as well. We've seen in the regular season this he's missed a few kicks, field goals, and extra points. And uh, but this when, is not the place you want to be kicking when you're down on confidence. No, it no, is uh, not not easy. I mean, how many how many bad kick or how many kickers have we seen struggle in Tampa? Yeah. It, so, as a Tampa fan, is it because it's low ended the low ended stadium where you know those ends of the stadium, those stands are a lot lower, where you see you know I know. Kansas City, for instance, is you know high sided. Miami, it's high sided. Most places are I'm trying to think of places that aren't right now. Places like New England, where it's tougher to kick, where it's got that open corner of the stadium and stuff like that. I, I don't know if that plays into it, but it definitely plays into it um, because you've got the the 
you obviously wind gets into it and then the way it hits it it can change trajectory it can swirl around like a bit of a vacuum but also as well the humidity plays into it (laughs) because you know you've that will slow the ball down because the air is a little bit more dense a little bit heavier so it's a much trickier place to kick especially if there is this is a night game so or it's an an evening game and 6 30 kickoff so there is going to be a little bit of a chill in the air, but there is also not. I mean, we say chill. This is Tampa, Florida. It's not going to be that cold. Um, it's still going to be shorts. Don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. But it is going to be, you know, it's going to be tricky conditions to to kick in, and it's not the place. I mean, that, that for me, that's the only home field advantage that Tampa has is in the kicking game. It is significantly difficult to kick, and you know, you have to praise what Brian Suckup has done this year because. He's been phenomenal mm. um, in a stadium that no kicker has done well in in the last ten years. Um, so it's, it is tricky, um, and and you know for Butker he will find this tough. But the advantage he does have, he kicked here in week twelve. You know, it's not like he's not been here for a few years. You know, the, the teams played here two and a bit months ago, so that that will play into his favour a little bit. And that was an evening game. You know, slightly. Uh, later than this one but you know it still was a an evening game so that there is some advantages to to that i think the week 12 matchups really important as well when we're talking to, about keys of the game the key for me is just forget that that happened that, that it played out the way it did because i think you know it's a super bowl and you say oh you know you can't get tricked into that into in, in a super bowl but we're all we're all people inside. Once you start lining up against the same guys, you know, that you had great success against uh, earlier in the year, you, you can't be tricked. It's not going to be that same game again. You know, I think it, that's part of the coaching job Andy Reid has to do this week, you know, is to make sure they, they keep focused because I think it's very easy to slip back into those sort of traps. Yeah. I mean, the Buccaneers have shown and that they, they can get over that. You know, they played the Saints twice in the regular season and when it counted, they won. You know, they played Green Bay and were very successful, but they still were able to apply different yeah. ways of pressure, but execute a game plan. And I think the Chiefs have, for me, yet to really prove that this season because the teams they play are teams they don't play often. I think you see it in the playoffs a lot. You see the team team that the one in the regular season gets beat in the playoffs. And I think the most impressive thing about Tampa was actually then going and beating the team they did beat in Green Bay. You know, I thought that was a to me that was way more impressive than than beating the Saints because I feel like that's a, a trap that teams seem to fall into on a regular basis in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree. So, who do we think are the difference makers in in this game? Um, <laughs> I think. I mean, it's so it's so easy to say like the same one or two, but who who do you think are the are the real key difference makers well, in this game? I think personally, we should eradicate Mahomes, Hill, and Kelsey from the conversation. We've talked about them last week on the podcast. We know what they're able to do. We know what they can do against the Buccaneers. We've seen it already this season. I'm not saying that's going to happen again, that, of course. But then I think we have to talk about guys yeah. like uh, the Honey Badger, Tyrion Matthew. Who he if he steps up and has a massive game, he could be the guy who maybe picks Brady off. We saw it against Green Bay. Brady is prone to throwing him. And if, if Matthew, we've seen him, they don't call him the honey badger for no reason. If he has a big game, that could impact hugely on the Buccaneers passing game. And then I think, I think Miko Harmon or Sammy Watkins, I think the second receiver, because uh, Colton Davis isn't going to want to be, it is Colton Davis right now. Yeah. Yeah. He's not going to want to be made to look like Tyreek Hill did again to him. So I think the Chiefs, if 
they either double Hill or Colton Davis has a better game, which he has got in him. Let's be honest. He, he just had a terrible game that week against the Chiefs. They need to look somewhere else. And we know Kelsey's going to get open up the middle, but what do we think Tampa are going to do defensively-wise to try and stop that? Are they going to just try and give him some yardages? Don't know. So then you have to have Watkins or, or Miko Hardman available. And I think either of those guys could be a sneaky bet for for some big yardage or even a touchdown because they need to look elsewhere than Hill and Kelsey. And for me, I, I, I mean, I, for some reason, I've just got this feeling inside that we're going to see something better out of Lavian Bell that we haven't seen in a, in a while, that patient running. You know, if, if the O-line is able to hold up in any fashion at all, it feels like there's something there that they haven't tapped into yet and that Andy Reid might be thinking, this is the game that I'm going to try and, and pull that <laughs> out. You, you know, because we know it's it's in there. And I think the times, I, I can't confess to having seen every one of the Chiefs games this year, but the games that I have seen, he seems to be running kind of more more like a traditional back and less like Le'Veon Bell. And I just just think that it might be something that's worth trying. But I actually think that probably the most important person for me on the Chiefs is actually Andy Reid himself. Mm. Yep. Because I think he just brings a, a confidence and a, a coaching style that you can't... We've seen how... We, we talked earlier about um, Stefanski in Cleveland. How long has it taken to find a coach? You know, when you find a, a truly great one, when you have those coaches, they're, they're worth so much. Like you said, when... Um, John Gruden was traded for free firsts. You know, that's mm. what that's what they bring to these teams. And I think it's it's massively important the way the way they coach. And actually without trying to get too far into the Bucks, there there was a couple of times earlier in the year the Bucks coach and staff made me a little queasy when I was thinking like, Ooh, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I don't know if you're playing to your team's strengths right now. Yeah, I, I'm so I'm with you. I don't but I'm gonna expand it. So not yeah. just Andy Reid. But I think for me, Eric Bieniemy and Steve Spagnuolo are, are really key to this game. Now, what I like about this, this this game more than anything and more about being a Buccaneers fan than anything is you have some of the best coaches in football in this game on both sides. You've got two very veteran coaches in Bruce Arians and Andy Reid. You've got two excellent, extremely well-coached defensive coordinators in Todd Bowles and and Steve Spagnuolo. You know, you, you got to people forget about Steve Spagnuolo. He was the one that masterminded and ended the Patriots' unbeaten season by mixing up the 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 defensive fronts and by giving the Patriots looks that they'd never seen all season. And I think this is Steve Spagnuolo can coach the hell out of any game. He can be truly brilliant. And so for me, they are going to have to coach and do something that that they haven't done before. And when we talk about the Buccaneers, I'm going to say exactly the same thing about Todd Bowles. And I'm going to say the same thing about Bruce Arians. Um, they're going to have to do things very, very differently from what they have done in the season. And it's going to come down to not just the players on the field, but it's going to come down to these coaches, those six men. Yeah. I've not mentioned Byron Leftwich, but let's give him a token nod. <laughs> um, but it's going to come down to those six men for me and whoever has the best game plan wins because these players are all, you know, they, they, when you go through both these teams are stacked, they're both loaded. It, there might be some individual errors, but when you look at what both these teams have done and managed to beat ahead of them, you know, the, the, the chiefs destroyed the bills. The bills have been fantastic all season. 
and the Buccaneers completely destroyed the Packers. I know that it, you know, the interceptions made it close, but you know, Tampa never not, you know, when they took the lead in that game, they never seceded it. So I think that the coaching staffs are the ones that are going to win or lose this game. I actually think that it, you know, no one accidentally gets to a Super Bowl, but I don't think it's any coincidence that McDermott and Matt Lafleur were beaten mm. beaten by Bruce Arians and Andy no. Reid last week. I think it it you know it can't be under underestimated how much that plays into it. Don't get me wrong, McDermott and Matt Lafleur will be better off for the experience, you know. And I think especially with McDermott, that team just still looks like it's heading in trending in the right direction. But you know, um, it just feels like experience beat a little bit of youth. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, you know, I said this before on the podcast, or I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, I've, I've said it a few times this week and, and you might hear it in an interview with Jeff Reinbold in just a moment. But for me, Matt, the floor, biggest decision of the game. And he panicked because he should have taken a timeout. And that's the difference is I don't think you're going to see coaching mistakes or you're not going to see a lot of coaching mistakes. I think it's going to be the better coaching staff wins this football game. Well, Murph alluded to it there, Rush Nation. It's about time we had some more interviews. So we've got two more absolute blinders for you. First off is Coach Jeff Reinbold, returning guest. And then debutante at Five Yard Rush, we've got Hannah Wilkes from the NFL Overtime. Enjoy this one, guys, and we will be back soon. Joining me now on the Super Bowl special is uh, co-host of Inside the Huddle, uh, analyst for... uh, Sky Sports NFL channel helping us through all the coverage on Sundays and uh, the uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats uh, special teams coach coordinator Jeff Reinbold welcome back how are you doing I'm doing great what is that background you're working with man is that, <laughs> is that I hope that's right outside your house I would love it to be my house uh no this is just I just put some different zoom backgrounds on every single day um just for a bit of positive mental energy i I can't look at the same background all the time and it's at a white wall i need to see sunlight and i put inspirational messages behind and all sorts it keeps me uh it keeps me positive that's cool man that's really a good idea you gotta share that because uh this 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 lockdown stuff is tough on everybody and you know i think more physically i mean mentally than physically yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, for for you, this is obviously very strange because you spend half your time in, in Hawaii. I know you're big on outdoors and, and lots of space. And then you, you come over here and you, you do the Sky Sports coverage. And, and I mean, how different is it for you? I mean, not not just because of the fact you, you transition, spend time here every year, but lockdown, you're away from families of ears. And, and now you're having to work in such really tight, tough conditions. Well, you know, obviously there are a lot of people in the world got a lot worse than, than, than I do. So I'm grateful for having the opportunity to work. Number one, I know there's a lot of people have lost their jobs during this time. And, you know, my heart goes out to those people, but you know, for, like you say, for me, I'm an outdoor guy and um, London to, has always been my favorite big city in the whole world. And that's one of the reasons why I keep coming back because it's the opportunity to spend two and a half months here, see people I'm friends with and, you know, uh, meet new people when I come back. And this is the best for all the big cities I've ever been in. And it's a bunch of them in the world. This is the best on foot city. I think there is of the big cities. You get anywhere in mass transit, you go to downtown London, central London, you walk anywhere you need to walk. It's, you know, I think it's just really a beautiful place. And so it's a little bit tougher when you're here and you can't get out of your hotel room, except to go to work at sky. So, but we find a way. Yeah, absolutely. It is a shame uh, for you, but the good thing is you're still here and you're you're still joining us on Sundays and you're entertaining us. I I thought your coverage of 
of the championship week was was just phenomenal um love it whenever you go to the screen and, and you teach everyone a, a little something new and um i've really appreciated your takes on on aaron stinney when when you were going through that with the bucks game because you know aaron stinney's a guy no one's ever heard of yeah. he's playing his second ever career nfl game and you know just to learn about what this guy's doing in in those circumstances is 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 incredible and and you know you're identifying plays and and areas of weakness and and then you're starting to see it. So it's like the coaches are watching you on the screen and then they're, they're executing it. You're like an extra coach on the field, which is, which is awesome. And, and that's why I wanted to bring you on here for Super Bowl. Uh, our Super Bowl breakdown is, you know, we've got a fascinating game. Um, you know, I am biased because I've been a Bucks fan for 20 years. I'm not going to hide that now. But in terms of this matchup, do you think in, in recent years this, this potentially could be a real classic um, uh, and so what, what are your sort of outside perspectives of what this game could cook off up for people? I think, you know, just, again, as you start to look at it, and I'm only beginning to look at it, right? But I think there's some things that jump way out at me about this game that are going to really make it unique and really make it special. And, you know, the, as an analyst, the low-hanging fruit is Patrick Mahomes against Tom Brady. And you're going to hear that for the next 10 days. And But to me, the reason that the Buccaneers are in this game is their defense. And, you know, two of the two quarterbacks in the history of the game who have been really good at protecting the football are Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers. And this defense in these two weeks have gotten turnovers. I think if I count correctly, they're at six interceptions in two games and I think two other turnovers and fumble recoveries in the games. So that's incredible against, I'm not, you know, we're not talking about mid range or lower end quarterbacks here. We're talking about two of the best at protecting the football that have ever played. And so nobody, because of the, because of the focus on quarterbacks, which it should be because it's a quarterback centric league, but the focus on the quarterbacks has taken the shine off. In my opinion, what Todd Bowles has been able to do with that defense, which is, nothing short of fantastic and they're going to have a week to heal up some guys that are hurt now I don't I have not seen an injury report yet but if they get their safeties back they're going to be nasty I thought you really could feel the impact of Vita Vea inside and you know I it's so watching the games in the studio is it's kind of bittersweet in some ways because there were some things that didn't show up on the stat sheet that Todd was doing to the Packers. And I thought, man, oh man, let's look at that. I mean, he had, he had in passing situations at least three or four times that I can remember. He had Ndamukong Sue lined up as a linebacker mm-hmm. and rushing from depth, which again, think about it. Why would you do that? Well, number one, if they screw the protection up, you're going to get a 350 pound guy on a running back. And secondly, even if they don't, he's got a uh, like a running start at the guard on his bull rush. And he's tough enough when he can take one step and bull rush. You think about when he's got five steps at you. So little, little detail things that, you know, because of the nature of the coverage, you really would like to share with the fans, but that's the imagination. And the, that's the beauty of what Bruce has, has given to those coaches is don't coach scared. Don't coach. Don't be worried to go out outside the box. Hey, 
think about this one. It's fourth and one. Put the punt team on its midfield. I mean, the book says punt the ball and don't give up a field goal before halftime, right, if you get stopped because the ball's at midfield. Yeah. You've you got a Hall of Fame quarterback stand on the other side. What's Bruce say? Nah. Let's run out there and take a shot. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's just fantastic coaching. Uh, absolutely. And, and I think for me – the, the, the two big moments in that Buccaneers-Packers game were both in areas where Coach could have taken a timeout, sent the special teams unit on. One took a one took a timeout, had a play they really liked, went for it, got the first down, got the score before halftime. And the other one was at fourth and eight, send the field goal unit on. For me, Matt LaFleur needed to take a timeout and just think about it and think about Because even if he then goes and sends the field goal unit on, nobody's overly questioning him why they can sit here and say greatest of all time, put the ball in his hands, you know, but you can say he's been down the red zone a lot, but he could sit there and say, I looked at all the options and I went with what we thought was the best option. And whether you want to cut the guy out or not for that, at least you can say he took two or three minutes, talked with everybody and came to a collective decision. I just felt that, that, that field goal was a very panicked decision and Bruce you could tell he wanted to go for it on fourth down but he sent the punt team unit out and again he didn't panic he just went do you know what we'll take a timeout. we'll think about this no we've we've got a play we really like we're all on the same page let's go let's just go for it okay well I want to I want to amplify on that I want to go down that road because that's a really 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 good take and a really insightful take you married yes okay you want to know what it's like calling plays in the NFL. I want you to do this. Next time you go out to dinner with your wife, okay, hold the menu, right? You hold the menu. Don't give it to her. Hold the menu. Click a stopwatch. Then hand her the menu and say, okay, you got 40 seconds to order appetizer, dessert, pick the wine, and, and your main course. Go. And, and we'll watch what happens, right? Well, that's, what's hap- that's what happens to coaches sometimes because the- – LaFleur has his, he's got, you see what their play sheet looks like, right? Yeah, yeah. There's probably 250 to 300 plays on there. There's 40 seconds between plays. So now when you are a play caller and the head coach, this is, this is the real thing. If you're the play caller and the head coach, you not only have to have the mindset of what you're going to do in that situation, but you also have to start going through those. I mean, it's not 250 on fourth, fourth down in the red zone, but there's probably 15 plays in there, and you got to pick one, and you have 40 seconds to do it, right? And what you're saying is exactly right. So you make a rushed or a, 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 a not a calm decision because of the time, and those usually aren't good decisions. So your your wife may have wanted, you know, duck a l'orange, and she ordered filet mignon, <laughs> and then the duck comes, and she's going, what is this? I really wanted, you know, but – but that's that's just exactly how it works. And so when you're a young coach, which is what Matt LaFleur is, and he's a brilliant young coach, yeah, they need they need some he'll he won't make that mistake when he's got as much much uh gray in his beard as Bruce does, because Bruce has been down that road, and I'm sure he made the mistake as a young guy too. But that's why veteran coaches I think have advantages in these kinds of games, you know, and he knew in that fourth and one uh, against the Browns, he knew exactly what he was going to call. He knew exactly. And I'm sure they practiced it. Right. So again, it's situational awareness. It's how you're, you know, the, the kind of the chain of command, 
They've got a guy up there who, who I'm sure does situations, tells him, okay, you need to go for two. Da, da. But if it's an analytics guy, be careful, right? Because they don't go by their gut. They go by what the, the numbers say, right? Yeah. And when you get to a football game, you can't lose sight of what your gut feeling tells you. You've got the best quarterback in football. And I really believe Aaron, John, Aaron, Aaron, excuse me, Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is, right? But you've got the best quarterback in football, and you're going to take – the ball out of his hands and put it on a defense that has stopped the bucks on three and out one time all day. Not that's not, I think the analytics guy's wrong is what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree. I, I thought it was, I mean, it's easy to say in hindsight how it mm-hmm. plays out. It's a terrible call. Um, I can see the logic in, in the floor's decision in the sense of, to be honest, we hadn't been great in the red zone either. Yes, we got there, but fourth and eight's no gimme. It's no gimme at all, and you lose the game by doing that. But then I also think, well, you lose nothing. I mean, you go from being down eight to being down five. You're giving the ball away anyway. At least you've got the bucks pinned back. You get a safety. You never know. You can always try different. It just, yeah, I mean, it's the wrong play, but. You know, here's here's the other one on that drive, because this is really good stuff to talk about, right? And this is the kind of stuff you can't. I mean, you don't have time during the broadcast because you got a minute and then they got to get this person on and that person on and all of a sudden. But think about the third down play, mm. right? I wonder, I really, really wonder if during that drive, LaFleur should have told, in my opinion, Aaron on third down, where he, he's, he, you got to know already, unless, you, unless there's a sack, we're going for it on fourth. Because Aaron treated that third down play like it was – he, he would get one more shot, mm-hmm. right? Because he, he could have scrambled and got the ball probably down to the two, yeah, right? So I would be absolutely intrigued to know what their communication was down the course of that drive. Because the quarterback needs to know what your thought process is because it's going to change the way he, he's going to play that down out, Right. Yeah, 100%. And I think also as well, is if that's the case, you've then got an easier decision because on fourth and two, because he's getting five yards off that play. Let's say yeah. worst case, because of where Sue is, where White is, let's say worst case scenario, he gets to the three. That's that's probably for me worst case, he gets to the three. So it's fourth and, fourth and three effectively instead of fourth and eight. That's a much easier decision as a coach to go for it. Right. You, you're kind of making your coach's mind. So even, yeah, you, as you say with the communication, we're going for it on fourth down. Aaron goes for it and he goes, right, well, we're not going to do anything else here. He, but if he doesn't go for it, if he's told beforehand, we're going for the field goal, he runs for it. And then he says, well, actually, I'm going to make this really difficult for my coach and get him to reconsider. I think Aaron just always assumed that was going to be the case. And you're right, the communication, because I think if he gets told we're going for the field goal, I think if he gets down to the two, he's going to the floor of the sidelines and saying, we got we got running backs, we got power backs, we we've got a whole playbook open on fourth and two. Then we we a much bigger playbook than you do on fourth and eight. Sure, I mean that's that's and so again, that's the stuff that is so intriguing about big games. And um, you know there there are there's one. Uh, I heard this said, and I think it's really really true. When you get to crucial situations, always think players, not plays. And if you watch Andy Reid, he's uncanny with that. If it's a big down, you're going to see the ball in Kelsey's hands or you're going to see the ball in Tyreek Hill's hands, almost exclusively. Mm. And so, you know, 
I, I don't know. That's again, something that you get with age as a coach. And that's another matchup this weekend that I think, or this next week that's going to be absolutely fascinating because you got two OGs. You got two guys that have paid the price and been there a long time. Right. And, you know, me personally, and I'm, I'm not, I, I, I be honest about it. I mean, I would like to see Bruce win. I would like to see Bruce win and right off into the sunset, go out on his, on his pontoon boat and drink martinis with his wife. But because he's paid his price, he's paid his dues. Remember this guy didn't get a job until he was 60. Right. And that's incredible. As good as he's been in the national football league, as many great teams and coaches and all that stuff, but because he's not one of them, right. He's a, he's different guy. He's going to tell you exactly how he feels. You know, he's not going to, you're not going to play the game. He's not, that's not him. And he's such a breath of fresh air in the national football league that I really would like to see him win this game. I, I, and, and I, and I love Andy Reid, but it's just, to me, this is probably going to be Bruce's last shot. He, he has come out. So we're recording this a week in advance. This has only come out in the last half an hour. And I know you, you jumped on. He has said that if he wins, he is not retiring. He wants to go for two. <laughs> Good. I like it even better. So he I, wants to come back and defend it. Th- thank you for telling me that because I, I'll be honest with you, I was a little sad about that. You know, yeah. thinking thinking that this will be the last time I'll see him coach. And I've been around him. I, first time I met Bruce was when he was at Temple in 1985, I think mm-hmm. it was. And Temple at that time, it's not much better now, but at that time, Temple was like, I mean – the worst college football situation you could ever imagine. It's up in North Philly. It's right in the middle of a real bad neighborhood. The practice field was right along Broad Broad Street, which is a big thoroughfare in Philadelphia. The drunks used to hang on the fence and and heckle the football team when they were practicing. They had no money. They, I mean, it was just. And he made them competitive just because of his, you know, personality. His, you know, his. I mean, he got kids to go to school there who, I mean, if you ever saw the play, I don't even know if he, he must not have had recruiting weekends. Cause if you ever went there, you don't no way I'm coming to this joint. <laughs> yeah. He, de- he definitely has always done things his own way. I, I, I mean, I really liked his football life story where he said, you know, I, I, I mean, I think it was his interview with Arizona and Michael Bidwell and he turns up at the interview and he's, you know, effing and jeffing like a, like a drunken sailor and, and Bidwell's sitting there going like, do I really want to hire this guy? Like, <laughs> but then he just saw how authentic he is. And I think if you look past the, the rough and readiness of, of the, and, and, and you know what, there's a, there's a, a coordinator right now in the, in the NFL who I think is also very rough around the edges and that's uh, Wink Martindale. It shocks me that that Wink Martindale, who's been probably the best defensive coordinator in football the last three years, didn't get an interview anywhere. Like no one interviewed him. And you have to think, you know, stop thinking about the perception of the guy. He might be a little scruffy or untidy or, or, you know, might say too much of what he thinks. But look at the results on the field. Like how is that guy not getting an interview? It doesn't make any sense to me. I'm going to tell you something. Because it's a beauty contest, to be honest with you. And, you know, Wink is a brilliant football coach and the players absolutely adore him. He's a leader. Now they don't, they don't like him because he's a nice guy, although he is a nice guy. They like him because one thing I learned about pro football players really early on in my career in in professional football was they don't really care 
what color you are, how tall you are, whether you played, you didn't play. All they care about is, can you help me get better? Can you help me win? Can you help me get my next contract? Can you help me stay in the game? And he, he, he's proven over and over and over again that he can do that. And Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk wrote a piece which I thought was, the, was just awful. I mean, because he said you should hire only offensive coaches. And he took a shot at Wink. And he said, you know, he talked about, uh, the, you know, Wink's mullet and, you know, he's Rex and Rob, Ryan, you know, the, the like they were some sort of thug or something. They're, they're good guys. And, and what do you mean? He does. He's, is it I mean, like I say, is it a beauty contest or you don't want to win? Right. And I, I've seen it. It's just so many times. But to not even get an interview. Yeah. Come on, man. That That's what I mean. It's. it's you don't give him the job, you don't give him the job, but you're giving him an opportunity to say his piece. I, you know, I, I, if I was, if I was given a 33rd franchise, he would be one of the top three names on my list of people I'd want to speak to because I want to know what he's doing that no one else is. Because if you look at that Ravens D over the last three years, no one's close to him. No one's close to them over the, over a three year aggregate. And look at the number of players that he, that have cycled through there. He's yeah. not, I mean, you know, he's, he's doing it every year with new guys. Yeah. So you're right. I, and, you know, and that's what happened to Bruce. He went into Chicago and, you know, that was when they had Jay Cutler and they were looking for a quarterback guy that could, you know, kind of, I, I guess, handle Jay or, you know, improve Jay or whatever. And Bruce went in and was Bruce. And they gave the job to Mark Trestman. And I've worked for Mark. He's a great guy. But, and he's, and, but he's very, uh, very corporate, very, you know, and Bruce went in there and just was Bruce and they ended up giving the job to Mark. And to this day, I wonder what could have happened because you look at what he does with veteran quarterbacks, you know, look at what he did with Carson Palmer, look at what he's doing with Tom. And, you know, I just wonder what, what could have been. And if I was a Bears fan right now, there's a lot of reasons I'd, you know, say, gosh, darn it. A hundred percent. Let's, let's refocus back to this, this clash. Cause you, we got, Two veteran coaches, two of the best coaches we'll see in the NFL. I mean, they've got a combined one Super Bowl uh, win as a head coach between them, but we know that it's definitely going to go to two, whether Andy wins his second or Bruce, you know, breaks that duck. What are the what are the things that the buck? Because you know, everyone's everyone knows about Mahomes, everyone knows about Kelsey, mm-hmm. everyone knows about Hill. What do the Buccaneers need to do be, to really keep them in check and? and have a path to victory because, you know, we know that the Buccaneers can score points. We know they've got a good defense, but they've not faced, I mean, they have, they faced, they lost to, uh, they lost to them in week 12. It was a lot the Buccaneers last defeat. Uh, they've won seven straight, but they didn't handle Tyreek Hill particularly well. They, they, they picked their poison. They, they, they took Kelsey out of the game for a bit and let Tyreek destroy him. What do they do this time around? Because it's going to be very difficult to get both Tyreek Hill and uh, Travis Kelsey in, contained in this game well i think there's a couple factors first of all if we look at the game in its entirety right you break the game down into three phases offense defense and special teams and in a in a big game typically you got to win two of the three to win the game right because teams are closely matched so defensively their defense has to just keep doing what it's doing get pressure with four when you can there i saw some really interesting things that todd did with rush exchanges where he'd bring a backer and drop an end. And, you know, um, I think the two key guys to me are um, 
the edge guys because they're going to be going against backup tackles in this game. And if Barrett and JPP can dominate like they did last week, I mean, you look at it, those guys had a sack and a half each. Uh, I think they had five tackles for loss between them. Uh, that's the kind of production that you're going to have to get out of those guys again. Um, the inside guys have got to do what they do best, and that's just shove the pocket back. And, and uh, it's a little, you know, it's a, obviously everybody says, well, you know, Mahomes will get out and he'll make plays all over. And, yes, he does. But, again, we're talking about in Shaq Barrett and JPP, you got guys that can run with Mahomes. you got guys that when they come off blocks, it's a different deal than most defensive ends. They're actually outside linebackers, really. Um, I think that's that matchup up front is going to be real real critical. I don't see the Chiefs running the ball very well against against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's too big and strong up inside. You have two 320-plus pounders, and those linebackers are deadly. They they can run. And you can't get to them because, you, you, you know, both Sue and Vita Vea demand double teams. And if you don't double team them, they'll just crush you. Um, the back end has played with more confidence and more swagger and more, you know, uh, even physical. They're really physical DBs. That's going to be a big, big key. The safeties have got to, you know, again, we don't know whether we're going to have Winfield. We don't know, you know, what the, what the health is back there. That's going to be a big key because Todd had to go to almost all too deep at the end of the game to protect, this, to protect the safeties. They can't win, I don't think against Kansas City just playing this one covers the whole down because their mix is real important. Yeah, well, we, we, we're we pretty confident that Winfield Jr., and we are recording this in advance. Um, I was speaking to some beat writers um, over the course of the week, and he was pretty close to playing on Sunday. So they fully expect Winfield Jr. to play in the Super Bowl. John Whitehead is still a bit too early to tell at this stage. Um, and you know, people listening to this now might, might know the outcome of, of whether he's playing or not. We should do, but Winfield Jr. is, I think, almost a certainty to start in this game. So that's going to be definitely something that will help, uh, help them because yeah, Andrew Adams, good player, but he's, you know, as we saw, he, he, he hasn't played enough games consistently over his career to, to really sort of be in step with the rest of the defense. John Whitehead is, is probably one of the most unsung heroes this season because Winfield Jr. is out there making, in place, but Whitehead is the one that's, you know, holding positions and, and making defense honest that allows Winfield to, to go make those plays. Yeah, and you know what? I, I, I think about this, man. Two years ago, these kids were under fire. I mean, because they all basically came in at the same time or within a year of one another. Yeah. And, you know, everybody said they're not good. You know, and Todd stuck with them and kept coaching them and kept coaching them and kept coaching them. And, you know, they really have. You know, and then they got Winfield, and Winfield was like the that little shot that they needed. Mm. I would bet you he'd chew his arm off to play in this game. I I really do. He's such a great competitor. But Murphy Bunting's the guy to me. He's got a, he's played really well in the playoffs. He's got to continue to play that well. You know, against in the Super Bowl. So again, the Bucks defense got to do what it's got to do. Offense can't turn it over. This is not you know again. It's just you cannot give. Patrick Mahomes extra possessions, you know, and, and they got away with it last week, but I don't know if they can get away with it two weeks in a row. Um, how much, how much, what AB is going to be like on game day, you know, again, cause we're talking about a leg injury with a speed guy and those are always questionable. I said last week in the, in the 
in the build up to the show, we were talking about the deep ball that Tampa has. I said, do not sleep on Scotty Miller. <laughs> All right. And, and uh, you know, he, he's, he's a lot better than a lot of people give him credit for. One of the things I thought was really, really interesting was, and this was a brilliant move. And it, again, in the stat sheet, it'll never show up, but Mickens went back to being a returner again. Right. And he had that 43 yard kickoff mm-hmm. return. And that was a huge play in the game. Tampa has a decided disadvantage in, in the special teams game. Oh, yeah. And they got to mitigate that somehow. They just can't give up a big return or, you know, they've got to make sure that they, they play really well in special teams. And then the offense, like I said, can't turn it over. Um, I think they'll be able to run the ball a little bit against Kansas City. Uh, playoff Lenny's playing really well right now. Yeah. And, and, you know, Ronald's – Ron Jones, he is a handful, right? So if Tom doesn't have to do it all himself, right? And and you know they'll get their they'll take their shots and they'll you know do their thing, but I just really think that it's going to come down to the team that turns it over the least. It's going to be explosive plays and turnovers. Those are going to be the two keys to me in this game. Okay, so flipping it back over really quickly to to, to Kansas City, we know we've got. Kelsey, mm-hmm. you've got you've got Hill, they've got Hardman, who they were desperately trying to get plays for after he fumbled um, in special teams and gave the the Bills an easy touchdown. What a, I mean, let's say for example, they're going to double Hill, they're going to put Murphy Bunting in Carlton Davis, they're going to restrict him to let him make his catches, just not let him get away. You know, they're going to try and bring some extra pressure on Kelsey so that he can't break away. What is Mahomes going to have to do? Because you say the run's going to be difficult. What is what is their third read in this offense? What is the thing that they can do to say, okay, if you're going to lock up Hill and you're going to lock up Kelsey, which is hard enough to do and might not happen, that there is their X factor player that they're, they're sort of like their last ace that they can play to win this game. I think I think, it, and I hear he's going to play. Is that Sammy Watkins will be a key mm. because if he can, if he's healthy, that's a real big challenge for Tampa because you're talking about a guy that in some other situations he'd be a wide receiver one he's a w he's a wr3 in Kansas City but that's just because it's Kansas City and that's the problem that they play they they give you is they've got so many weapons right and Todd's going to have to make a decision do I take a linebacker off the field on third you know third downs and put another db on well you take Levante David, or you take Devin White off the field, you're taking a great football player off the field. I would be fascinated to see this. And I want to, this first time we've talked about it to anybody, right? I would take one of my tackles off, put another DB on, and then use, you got Shaq Barrett, you got JPP, and let's say you take off Vita, right? Mm-hmm. Leave Sue on in the middle, and now you've, you've got, David, Devin White, and an extra DB, and build your blitz package or your pressure package off of that. So you bring four by bringing one linebacker. You bring five by bringing both linebackers. And now you're getting your best people on the field. Because when those linebackers blitz, they're, they're a factor in the, in, in, the, in the pressure game. Yeah, I mean, Devin White, almost 10 sacks this season. Um, you know, a ton of tackles. Levante David, he's not. He's not shy either of getting involved. So that would be a fascinating package to see. I think that's that for me is the biggest key for the Buccaneers is 
I felt that going into the bye week, everything was a bit samey, samey. We know the sort of 50 50 pass, pass rush on first down. We know that that number goes to about 80% pass on second down, 95% third down, they're passing the ball because it's so predictable. It's very, it seems to be something in that off, in that bye week happened where they started to get play action going more. One of the lowest teams in pass, in, you know, in play action, they started to get involved more. They started to, to do more end arounds. They started to get a bit more creative and open that playbook up, whether that was because Bruce wanted to keep it contained and get these guys playing. I, I don't know what it was, but I think, yeah, if they can get creative with their play calling on offense and defensive and, and bring packages and plays that we haven't seen this year or not a lot, this could be one heck of a football game. Well, I, I don't, I don't think there's any question about it. And I, I really, really believe, I mean, it's almost like I, I I'm, I'm trying to think like Todd Bowles and, you know, you got two backup tackles playing. Right. And so by going to that, 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 I don't know what you call it, 30 package, if you want, just for, for a name, you really start to put pressure on them because now they've got to ID the fronts. It's all stuff that's not on film. It's things that you haven't done and it's not hard and you're getting your best players on the field. Going to be a fascinating game. I'm going to be on the edge of my seat watching you, watching Neil, watching everybody. You're going to have and you're going to have some special guests on it. I think Kirk Cousins is on. If yeah, I... Kirk's coming on for the pregame show. So amazing. So we're going to have some great coverage. So looking forward to it. I'm not going to let you go though without a prediction. And I appreciate it early. We're doing this a week in advance. Do you have a prediction where you think the the trophy's going to end up? Is it going on a plane or is it staying where it is? <laughs> well, I tell you. I really, I think there's so much that's got to transpire in this next nine days, mm. right? If you ask me right now as just purely unemotional football guy, right, mm-hmm. evaluate the two teams, you would have to say Kansas City because they're the most complete of the two teams. But that doesn't mean they're going to win a football game. I think there's a lot of water that's got to go under the bridge yet. The health of some guys, you know, who's playing, who's not playing, Um but I do know this, it's going to be a hell of a game. Yeah. I mean, a hell of a game. I, I think it's going to be a classic one way or the other. Um, I, I really hope that one team doesn't blow it out and, you know, I want to see it get close and, and come down to a final drive or final five minutes or just, and, and, and I want to see it where there isn't that many turnovers. It's more creative play calling and just either a big stop or a big touchdown drive to win. It would be a great way for, for this game to end. And, fitting on a season that has been so disruptive and so difficult. We didn't even think we would get here and yet we're, we're the last day. So uh, really appreciate this. Appreciate the breakdown as always. I've learned a lot. I'm sure everyone listening to, but where, where can everybody, if they, for whatever reason, be living under a rock and <laughs> not, not seen any of your, your coverage and oh, I don't know where to find you. Where, where can people sort of tune in and watch you do your well, thing on, if you, on Super Bowl Sunday? If you go to uh, Sky, NFL, right? Well, I, I'm sure we'll all be all over Sky's on-demand channels and everything. Oh, you will. Um, and then Jeff underscore Reinbold is my Twitter account. And we do a little thing that's really kind of fun. It's called Coffee with Coach. Every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock uh, London time, we get together. And it's, it's an interactive show and, and encourage the fans to call in, write in, text in, whatever. And uh, last week we had Ty Long, the uh, punter for that's the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. In, and we had Hannah Wilkes and, and uh, Josh Denzel who do NFL over the NFL overtime show. And I, we got a special guest next week and, and it's, it's, uh, it's really a lot of fun and, and people are 
more than welcome to join. Yeah, well, definitely join in. It's good fun. It's an interactive show, as you say, and you get some great guests from time to time who share a lot of insights, as well as yourself, who, you know, I, I learn a lot from watching those shows when I tune in. And you can catch them on demand on Twitter as well, so you don't even have to watch it or interact live. You can go back and watch it. So I uh, appreciate you, Coach, coming on again and My teaching us all a little bit about football. Uh, good luck. Enjoy the game. And uh, looking forward to seeing you, you know, do your thing and, and educating us a bit more. All right. Thanks, brother. I appreciate the opportunity. Let's do it again. All right. Aloha. So joining me now on this Super Bowl special uh, is presenter uh, for Sky Sports. Uh, You might see her or you might have seen her over the years on the uh, Sky NFL channel or previously before that. And she's the host of the NFL Overtime Show. Hannah Wilkes, welcome to Five Yard Rush. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Wow, thanks for thanks for joining us. Uh, it's a it's a real honour to have you. We just had Jeff Reinbold on before this, and did uh, you? I know that he, yeah, he's time. And did he work the technology okay? Because he, he did. does have previous. <laughs> he's got so much better. We had him on uh, a couple of years ago, and we really struggled. And I think we ended up having to do it over Skype because he couldn't work Zoom. Yeah. Uh, and then. The second to last time we had him, he he got his times wrong and he was out in a, a cafe in London and he joined, I think, like an hour early. <laughs> and we had someone else on and it was a bit, he sort of gate crashed an interview. That was quite funny. But yeah, no, he, I, he is so much better now with the technology he's got there in the end. He's joined he's, us in there. I mean, he's had to this year. I guess you have to, but no, he's so brilliant that we forgive him his uh, little techno techno moments yeah absolutely and he's uh he's a lot of fun you're you're very lucky you get to work with him every every week so uh, I mean what's that what's that like for you oh it's so brilliant I've known Jeff for for a long time before I was even sort of reporting or doing anything for Sky Sports NFL I'd I'd see him around the office and I was a runner for years as well and he's just I mean all the guys actually on Sky Sports NFL are they're so passionate about their sport they just want to 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 tell people and teach people about it and they've got time for everyone and Jeff's no different um he's great fun to work with I mean quite often now we're having to do overtime remotely as well we sort of all log on on a thing not dissimilar to zoom um and me him and Josh will just be having a chat and they've got the producer and director like we, we do need to record the show guys like we need to can we go oh, it was the same we're in the studio as well um so yeah it's great fun it's really good fun and it completely comes across. It just looks like you all have a, a great time. It's like you're you're all just having a, a conversation and chat like you normally would, but there just happens to be some cameras and it's being recorded. Right. That's what we try and hope, hope to do. And often, it's, there's been a couple of shows in particular where I've forgotten that it's actually a TV show. And I'm like, oh, goodness, am I talking clearly enough? Like, you know, am I doing the right things? Because we are just having so much fun. We're very lucky. Yeah, I absolutely. I mean, I, I got sort of my first taste of it this weekend. I was on uh, TalkSport with Nat Coombs, kind of got a last minute call. So, yeah, as a, as a Buccaneers fan, they, they said, you know, can you can you come on? And I said, yeah, sure. And I'm just talking on my phone, talking to Nat and, and, and Ben Isaacs. And it's like, you're just having a conversation and you forget it's being recorded. And I get to the end of it. And, and then my wife comes and says, oh, yeah, so you know was was that on live and I was like yeah oh god yeah I forgot we were recording it <laughs> and so like in radio especially I mean with tv it's harder to forget like you have obviously got these like big physical cameras there but with radio so I did talk sports news breakfast show for a couple of years and so often I forgot that anyone else was listening yeah. <laughs> we're just having and that's that's the joy of it especially something like radio it's just like you're as a listener you just want to feel like you're just hanging out with these people and part of the conversation and that's why podcasts work so well right as exactly well. Um, no, I think as long as everyone's having fun, then then it makes for good radio, TV, podcasts. 
I couldn't agree more. So how, what was your journey, uh, journey into, into sports journalism in, in terms of to get to where you are now? I mean, it was, whew, it's been a fairly long one, I suppose. Um, when I was at uni, I was at Loughborough. Um, and they have a really great student media setup. Like they can do live TV broadcasts. I've got a radio station, magazine. Um, and I got involved with that because it just looked like fun. Like when I started there and obviously being at Loughborough, you're going to got all this amazing high quality elite sport happening on your doorstep. So you, you go out and you cover sport. And I grew up watching a lot of sport. Like my mum will watch any sport that's on TV ever. Um, my dad loves his Formula One and between them, they love their rugby. So we grew up like sport was always around and we were always watching it. Um, so yeah, so I did a load of sports TV stuff at Loughborough, which is a great way to sort of iron out the kinks, learn what's really cringe and what's actually quite a good idea and how to approach things. Um, and I managed to get a couple of weeks work experience at Sky um, one of the summer summer holidays from uni um, and after that I started doing some shift this makes it sound so easy after that I am um, I started doing some shifts as a production junior which is a runner which is basically you're making tea you're photocopying running orders you're walking guests to and from point a and point b um, but it's it's so much fun um, and you get to I worked across every single sport like that um, that Sky do and then started moving my way up in, in production so I came up a junior assistant producer, um, working on some like a whole range of sports and some of the more sort of niche ones that you don't necessarily think of immediately when you think of Sky, but they're there and it's it's a great way to learn. Um, and then I started working on our sort of family show, Game Changers, um, which was so much fun. It was madness. It was live on a Saturday morning at 9am with like 120 kids in the studio um, so I worked on that and started doing some reporting on that and then eventually became the presenter of Game Changers. And all alongside that's sort of like the linear path. That's like if you look at my sort of career, that's what it would say. But alongside that, I was doing loads of other stuff as well. So I was doing like online coverage of equestrian events like in my spare time and doing like this and that. And any little bit of experience I could get in or outside of the sky building. Um, yeah. And then I started... Well, actually, one of the first reports I ever did, one of the first gigs I ever got sent on as a reporter was actually an NFL interview. Um, and I don't think what I did went to air. They used the interview, but they didn't use my bits, but got some like good feedback. Um, and yeah, so eventually a few years ago, it was kind of, I've been <laughs> bugging the NFL producer because it's a sport that I hadn't really watched unless I started working at Sky. Um, and I started doing some sort of digital stuff, like Facebook Live this that and the other when all the guys were in the office um every week and then started doing sideline reporting um we're still doing game changes throwing some netball in there as well started doing radio too um it's been a lot of juggling a lot of saying yes to sort of every opportunity but it's it's great fun that's that's the thing working in sport I, I feel very lucky because it doesn't tend to feel like work you know what I mean I always say yeah. it beats a real job because yes it's hard work and you do have to sacrifice a lot because Work, um, sport happens when everyone else is socialising at the weekends, bank holidays. But the joy of it is you're, you're working in sport. <laughs> so um, so it's a lot of fun. And, and you know, we, we were just talking about this beforehand, but, and, and also it just looks like you, you have so much fun when, when you do it and talking to, to everyone in the studio. It, it's just absolutely brilliant to, to see because it, it's engaging for the audience. There's nothing worse when you get uh, a presenter in whatever field and they just look very disinterested or it's just a job and 
listen, full respect to anybody who does any form of journalism or just any, you know, any job in particular, you know, a job is a job, you've got to pay the bills. Um, but I think, you know, in order to be successful and to get to where you are and what you've achieved and, and where you, you know, you might continue, um, you know, it, a lot of it is because of your personality and the way it shines through and it, it does come through for the, the viewers. And I, and I love the overtime show. You just got such a great connection with Jeff and with, um, and with Josh and it, it's a really fun show. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, 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 so I'll be honest. I watch on catch up. I don't watch it. Uh, like, I don't watch live TV. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned you sort of until you got to Sky, didn't really watch uh, the the game. So in terms Ooh. of as you've gone through, do you have a team or do you have to like remain neutral? Or have you just grown to love a team and you sort of keep it a bit secret? No, I do have a team, and I don't think it's that secret. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Rams fan, okay. um, and it's a strange one because. It's that when you come to the sport sort of as an adult, grown up, um, and you don't, because I didn't grow up in a, in a house that watched NFL at all. And it, like I say, it was very much I discovered it at Sky. And it's like, right, who am I going to, who am I going to support here? Um, so I started watching it sort of in 2011, that, that, was that right? Yeah, that sort of season. Um, but very sort of casually and especially like with working with the rest of it. Um, and as I kind of got more into it, I was like, right, who will I support? I was like, Patriots? No, feels too feels too abandoned me. I won't I won't be that person. Um, I'm from Northampton, a big Northampton Saints rugby fan. I was like, maybe the Saints, like, you know, it just doesn't sit right. Or oh, the Packers wear the same colours as them. Maybe it doesn't quite sit right, but I do love the Packers. And it was as I got more and more into it, it was around sort of 2016 time. And that was when they the, the Rams sort of had the um all or nothing and hard not documentaries coming out and it, sitting and watching them and you actually feel like you get to know the team a little bit. Um so yeah I just sort of felt a bit more of a connection to them so off off I went jumped on the, the Rams bandwagon and it's been a bit of a roller coaster I'm not gonna lie <laughs> you've had a bit of everything first round picks and first overall picks traded for and, and Jared Goff and a Super Bowl and so you, you kind of have had a, in a short period of time a whole yeah. change of coaches absolutely so yeah I, I can relate I, I've always said to people that the Rams would be my if I had to change teams now I picked Tampa because I lived in Orlando they were exactly. closest tape, pretty pretty simple, right? They were the, the TV market that you saw, two-hour drive, didn't make a lot of sense. But I grew up, so when I started watching year 2000, the Rams, you had the greatest show on turf, you had Kurt Warner, yes. Marshall I've got a vintage Rams Conference Championships jumper. If I, if I knew that's when you started watching, <laughs> put it on for the So yeah. cool. That was that was for me. We were talking about it earlier in the episode, our sort of uh, favourite Super Bowls, and that is one of mine that 2000 Super Bowl because it was my first um yeah. first one I stayed up and, I, mean, I didn't have to stay up that late because I was in I was in Eastern time so it wasn't that late and um that team was incredible like I just fell in love with that team and, and when it dismantled it was a real shame and, and Dick Vermeil just came across a really classy coach as well so what a guy what a guy and he said that he that as soon as he got that Super Bowl ring he regretted retiring he was like I should have stayed yeah, it's been done. so different. Hey, hey. That's why I'm so glad that Arians has already come out and said before Sunday that he he's not going to retire. He wants to go yeah. for two. So uh, I'm pleased for that. Just a quick one because of your journey. If someone is listening to this and gets inspired to want to go into sports journalism, and a lot of people have that ambition, probably Ooh. don't know a route in. What's the best thing that people can can do just to try and you know, I mean, forge a career? Yeah, it's it's a really difficult question to answer that because no two people's journey is the same when it comes to sports journalism. And in the 10 years now that I have worked in sports sports TV, the the way people get in has changed dramatically for the better, which is the first thing I've got to say, because 
it's sort of there's, there's much more rigorous processes in place and it's a much just across the whole spectrum as I understand it from what I've seen there's there's more fairness of opportunities um so the first thing I would say is that these days we have all got amazing phones with these brilliant cameras and record and audio recording capabilities walking around in our pockets so knock on doors email people get in touch with people but we've all got the ability to be creating amazing content and, and ironing out those kinks ourselves and I know it's really challenging to do at the moment with COVID but the fact of the matter is you can watch a game on TV and you can record yourself talking about it and you can put it out there and you can start building a body of work and that's something I was able to do at uni and it's sort of a really sort of safe space where not many people are watching so right. if you do it's really terrible um not many people know I'm sure if you did a really deep dive on YouTube you could find my like my student TV show will have a good laugh um but yeah I think just start creating content and just put yourself out there for every opportunity there is no opportunity too big or too small um I think for girls especially taking the plunge back yourselves because just go for it you you're as qualified as anyone else I think I sometimes forget that. Um, and a lot of the big companies now, they do internships and they do work experience programs. Obviously, things are a little bit different at the moment, um, but a lot of them are very connected as well. That if you are doing a sports journalism or media course at university or college, then that, there's that sort of element too. Um, so just keep an eye on all those websites of, of the recruitment side of it and, and apply for those work experience opportunities, those internships. I know it's so obvious and so boring, um, but if you can do that and you've got a bit of a body of work behind you that you've created yourself, um, then, then that's a great thing you can do. And with social media as well, there are so many ways you can build your own little mini platform and portfolio and just love what you do that mm. more than anything. Cause it's like you were saying earlier with, you know, presenters looking like they enjoy themselves if you're working in sport you don't really you shouldn't you shouldn't be miserable about it no. you're very lucky and you're talking I've got a lot of respect for people who do news news because they're talking about some harrowing stuff day in day out and it, I'd find that very challenging um so enjoy what you do and love what you do and just remember as well anyone you meet you might come back around to later so just yeah just get out there and it's it's so it's so hard to sort of the best things to do because it is so different for everyone um but if you're doing the work and believing in your in yourself and you're really passionate about it the opportunities will come but it's it's hard work it's not going to happen like that i love that i think that's so that's so true and if nothing else you know if you don't get that career you can still always do it as a hobby and you can still always enjoy it and still be connected and you can still get opportunities to do things on the side and part-time yeah, just by 100%. going out there and doing it and and you feel just as connected whether you're getting paid to do it or not I you know I'm lucky enough we've been doing the podcast for nearly four years we've written a book we've had opportunities that are very blessed we don't get paid much of anything for for any of it and I don't care you know I, yeah. I do it because you love it and I still feel like I've got that journey and experience just sure. yeah. um and I won't stop. <laughs> I'm not looking for a TV gig either. I, I really, uh, you know, I don't think for me that that's the route I'd want to go down or, or, you know, I'm quite happy just doing what I'm doing and enjoying it. And I think you that's, that's great. Um, so let's look at the Super Bowl. It's a big, it's a big week. Um, you know, big day with the, with the season, you go the Chiefs, the Buccaneers. I'm obviously biased. So I'm going to take my bias out of this and just ask you questions. Cause I think people have heard me talk about this uh, quite enough in my journey. So in terms of this Super Bowl matchup chiefs and, and, and Buccaneers, you've got Mahomes and Brady, 
I mean, it's a, it's a mouth-watering matchup, but do you feel that based on what we have seen through the season, this is a fair reflection that both teams deserve to be here? And and could it be, you know, seen that this was going to happen? I know Tony Romo on the, the Week 12 game when mm. the Buccaneers beat... Um, and the Buccaneers lost to, to the Chiefs in Tampa. He predicted this would be the Super Bowl. He said, I, more than a good chance, I think was his direct quote. I mean, can, is it that big a shot that the Buccaneers here? I mean, it's no shot for the Chiefs, but w- what's your view? Well, no, you're so right. That there's, no, there's no surprise that the Chiefs are heading out to Tampa. I think today, actually, it's Thursday, isn't it? Um, no surprise there that the Chiefs are there because we just we know they're going to be here or hereabouts for, for some time yeah. uh, with what they've built there and, you know, Patrick Mahomes and the, the whole team. It's just a phenomenal football team. And uh, I know I've, I've almost been a little bit guilty this season of not giving them their dues because, you know, when you're watching back all the highlights or everything, I'm like, oh, yeah, Chiefs are going to win. So I watched that quite, I almost skim it. <laughs> no, because they're doing some magic in every game. Um, the Bucks. it's an interesting one, that question, because there's part of there's part of me that's like, of course, Tom Brady was going to get them to the Super Bowl. Of course, of, of course, he was. Like, it's just so Tom Brady. Um, and they had such an up and down season. They were what, seven and five at their seven bye. and five at the bye week. Yeah, yeah. And then they just they, I mean, they used that bye week to perfection, really, didn't they? And then they've run seven in a row from there on in. And it's like the defense was strong from early on. Mm. Just took the offense a while to sort of click which is makes sense when you've got brand new quarterback coming in you're bringing in Rob Gronkowski you're bringing in Antonio Brown so that's going to take time to gel um so in a way no it's not surprising at all it's impressive it's remarkable um it shows what a difference maker Tom Brady can be Mm. to a team um but yeah I guess it's interesting because when we came to the playoffs we had to do a, a Super Bowl bracket um, for overtime for Sky Sports and it was like the Monday after the week 17 I was like I resent having to do this so early I really do <laughs> but I was sat there and I was like oh, I have just got a braid a Brady feeling and so I put the Bucks Chiefs as the Super Bowl um, which I will just take because my original start of the season Super Bowl prediction was so off <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah I think I think it's a it's a great matchup. It's a, it's a matchup that I'm really excited by. It's sort of you know for the last few years, I think this is this is the, just on paper going into it the one that's got me like okay, this is going to be a really interesting game. Um, and yeah, I think it's just it's just a remarkable testament to the the transformative powers of Tom Brady. Not that the Bucks were miles away from it last year, but when you look at yeah. just that that step, I think. I've I've spoken about this a lot. For me, with with Tom Brady, he brings. It's not even just the quarterback play. Yes, he was top five in in almost every category, but actually, it was that maturity, it was that leadership, and it's something that the Buccaneers haven't had. I think the years. I look mm. at the Buccaneers team; it was very immature. Um, I think back about three or four years now to when Dirk Cutter was in charge, and the Buccaneers put up 500 yards of offense to the the Washington football team, and the, they lost 15 to three. 500 yards of offense, no touchdowns, one field goal. And I remember after the game, the aftermath of this, and this is when I was done with Dirk Cutter. Was this exact game, and I'll never forget this. JPP comes out. And he calls out the team for leadership. Yeah. And he's talking about how there's guys in the locker room playing table tennis and they're just like laughing it off as if it doesn't matter. And he's sitting around, he's looking around and he's like, where are the winners in this team? 
where are the people that actually this hurts that this is the this is painful not just the fact they've lost the game but they've lost it in such a record-breaking manner to put that many yards up and not score a touchdown never happened before doubt it will ever happen again and you're thinking like well you're right you know where is the leadership where are the people here that are going to stand up and be counted and i think tom brady's legacy in tampa regardless of whether he wins this game or not will be can he harness that leadership can he turn around and say right i've given five six seven eight guys that ability to say this is unacceptable i think of the example with levante david at the nfc title game he turned around levante david's crying he's been the team eight years had no success been one of the best players in the nfl over that time and he's crying he's like i'm going to the super bowl and tom's like what are you crying for i'm not done yet yeah this is this isn't the trophy this is nice that, yeah this isn't the this is this isn't the, the t-shirt and cap um that's the um and that's that's what i think you get a real sense of so i was on the um media availability for Bucks this week and actually was on with them jason pierre paul you, you mentioned there and, and he's kind of he was saying how he said to the guys this is it like it's taken me nine years to get back to a super bowl like you you leave it all on the field and there's, there's that very much that sense there that links with what you were saying that actually they've got that mentality and they've got that realization that this is the best opportunity they've had for <laughs> almost 20 years um so yeah it's really interesting and I think that's what Tom Brady will have left you know when he does step away from the game if he ever does retire um you look at that you look at the players on that that Buccaneers team who were good and were there and thereabouts but there's like a little more belief a little more spark at Mike Evans you know, and then you look at the defense. You've got Shaq Barrett and Duncan Sue. That they've got guys that have been there, have got that experience. So I think, it, I think it, it bodes well. It's exciting. It is. So what, what, what for you? Looking at both teams now individually, what about what does each team need to do to walk away with the trophy come Sunday night? Well, the Buccaneers need to shut down Patrick Mahomes, which is and that whole Kansas City offense, which is easier said than done. But I do think this defense, I cannot get over how they played against Green Bay because watching the divisional round game between the Packers and the Rams, I was like, oh, this Packers team is flawless. This is a Super Bowl team. They're incredible. A week later, very different story. And that's that, you know, I I still feel the Packers lost that game more than the Bucks won it, but the victory for the Bucks came from the defense. You know, Tom Brady threw some great passes, but you know, also threw three interceptions on the bounce. Um, but the defense kept getting in that ball. So if your defense is doing that, you're always going to be in there. So I think, I think where it's going to be interesting, and Jeff Reinbold may have already said this because he said this, he said this a couple of times already, and it's so true, is that you've got Shaq Barrett, JPP, and you've got the Chiefs who've got their backup tackles on that offensive line. But that's the sort of advantage that the Bucks can have there, and it is, it'll enable them to get to. Patrick Mahomes, you don't want to blitz Patrick Mahomes, so he's so good on the blitz, but you you've got to you've got to shut him down and you've got to somehow shut down Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Nicole Hardman, um, like everyone, the speed that they've got is in there as well. So I think I think Travis Kelsey is gonna cause some problems. So it's it's you've got to you've got to Limit Patrick Mahomes and try and shut down Kelsey because he's just a guy that can get everywhere. So I think it's it's deep defensively there for the Chiefs. It's just it's just a case about scoring because you know they can do they can do something on every single play. Patrick Mahomes can make magic happen no matter where he is in the field and whatever the situation. So if every 
every possession they're getting points, they're making it harder and harder and harder. Um, so, I mean, this is quite obvious, right? Yeah. No, but it's good. And I think the I think I think it will literally come down to defense because the the Chiefs' defense as well really impressed me against the Bills. It wasn't you know, I, and I think with Spagnoli having beaten Brady in a Super Bowl before, that gives them an advantage. The way they shut down Stephon Diggs in the AFC Championship game just shows what they are capable of. Um, so I mean, it's just so tasty. I can't wait. Yeah, I think it's. It's going to be one of those games. Defense will win it, but it's still going to be offensively entertaining, and there are still going to be a lot of points on the board, which I don't think is always the case when it's a game that it literally comes down to who defense gets the edge. No, hundred percent. I think that it's a fascinating encounter. I think it's going to be one for the ages. So, last question for me: do you, Who do you think is going to be the one hosting the Lombardi Trophy on on Sunday? Why? Well, I guess I can't still say it's too early to be saying this because it's <laughs> Thursday now. Um, look. I do genuinely think football will be the winner. Yeah, um, I agree with that. I think, I think, okay, here's where I am. I think this game could literally, it'll almost mm. come to who has the ball for the last possession. Like, it, it, I reckon it's going to be that close. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we have overtime. I really wouldn't. Like, it's no. just, it's, I think it's going to be really, really close. For me, though, I would like to see, I would like to see, I don't know if it's Garrett, like, I'm not saying yeah. it's going to happen. And I'm not saying this because I'm talking to you, but I would <laughs> like to see the Bucks do it. Because we are never going to see someone do what Tom Brady is doing again. We're not going to see someone going for the seventh Super Bowl um, with a different team at the age of 43, having only been at the team for you know less than a year with no preseason, no training, all the rest of it. We, it we're not going to see it. It's part of me that would like to sort of see the fairy tale come to, come to its conclusion. But yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> And also, because we've only just got rid of the Patriots dynasty, I would like, and we know the Chiefs are going to be here, and we know they're going to be in the Super Bowl for years to come with Patrick Mahomes. I would just like a little bit of a, a mix-up before we go full Chiefs. That's fair. I'm, I'm with you. I'm, <laughs> you don't have to tell me on that. I'm, I'm, I'm probably in the minority there, because most people I've spoken to are going Chiefs. Yeah, I, I listen, I, I think it's it's a widespread thing, and and that's fine. Um, I, I appreciate the insight. So look, appreciate coming on. What? Uh, where can everybody find you? I know you're, you're doing a great show at the moment. Tell us a little bit about that and, and, and what you're up to. Yes, so overtime, 9 o'clock Tuesday, Sky Sports NFL. Although after Super Bowl, that will be our last show for a little bit, but we will hopefully be back in the not too distant future. Um, I've also got a new show out on what's called Rise With Us, um, which is talking to amazing um, athletes and fitness experts and just sort of talking to them about their sort of big victories in life and the small everyday things they do just to get through the day, which at this point in lockdown three, I think we all need. Um, and there's some really good stuff in there, actually, that I even just did recently. I was like, oh, I'm going to try that and do that. And that's a really good tip. Um, so that's on demand on Skiles. And you can get it on podcasts on Spotify and Apple. And then um, on socials, I'm at Hannah J. Wilkes on Instagram and Twitter. And I recently got a Clubhouse account, but I haven't figured out how to use it. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to check you out there because I, I got one this week and I haven't used it yet. So I just really good. I'm scared. I keep getting notifications. It's like, join the conversation. Like, well, what does this mean? <laughs> 
we can start our own NFL one on there. Maybe we should. That would feel safer. I'm a little bit nervous of it. <laughs> I'm the same. So uh, you're not alone. So we'll work something out. We'll get an NFL one going and we'll get some old friends in there and talk. Well, appreciate you coming on. Uh, I'd love to have you back in the off season um, when things are a bit quieter and there's less Super Bowls, excitement, nerves on the line and everything else. <laughs> I can sense your nervousness. I hope you are a very happy, albeit tired man come Monday. I, I'd just take being happy. <laughs> the tiredness <laughs> is but no, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, it, look, whatever happens, this was a free. This is a free hit almost because it wasn't expected. So I think Buccaneers fans are just happy with the season, and, and whatever the result comes Monday, I think we'll be happy once the the shock has worn off. You're where I was two years ago. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> How I felt on Monday was okay. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Anna. Thank you. There you are, Rush Nation. A little bit of Hawaii in your life from our friend Jeff. Always an absolute blast when he comes on. We're going to dive into some Super Bowl history talk now. These guys have been watching football for a lot, lot longer than I have. Murph obviously has his personal experience at the Super Bowl. But what was your first Super Bowl memory, guys? Do you have a a favourite memory from your first Super Bowl? Or do you even remember your first Super Bowl? Yeah, I, I remember my first Super Bowl. I mean, it, it's the thing that got me into American football. Um, it was completely by accident. I was babys- <laughs> <laughs> I was babysitting my brothers, um, was flicking through TV channels in the middle of the night thinking, what am I going to watch? Had that classic thing where I'd been in school and people were just telling me that American football is just rugby for people who are wearing helmets and pads. It's just, <laughs> it's just weak rugby. Not a rugby fan, so I can't comment, but... <laughs> I was like, I'm going to give this a chance. What is it? Let, let, let's find out. Let's see if that's really what it is. And it happened to be the Buccaneers Super Bowl against the Raiders. <laughs> so, um, well, our first one. You don't need to watch anymore after that. I know, right? And it was, it was. I couldn't believe what was happening. It, nothing was making sense because all these defensive players were scoring, and I'm looking at it like, well, hang on, this doesn't make any sense. That like that's the defense, surely. <laughs> Um, and with my, my knowledge of all of two and a half hours previous, I'm looking at it just like, I have no idea what's going on here. But, <laughs> so, yeah, great memory. And to be honest, that's what got me into football. And that's why I'm sitting here with you guys. I, I, I mean, that, that game's hilarious. If you, if you ever get a chance, go go and watch it back all the way through because it kind of starts really slow. <laughs> and, and then the second half, especially the fourth quarter, it's just nuts. It's like a touchdown every like 40 seconds seems like i mean like even when the game's over Derek brooks runs in a touchdown and you think well this is over they're leading by 20 this is fine and there's like a minute something on the clock and you think oh no there's still time for more <laughs> i do actually have that season on dvd somewhere um, yeah. i'll have to dig it out i remember seeing this seeing this huge guy kind of like head down barreling forwards thinking what the hell is this <laughs> he's got those shoulder pads that got like almost like the, the triangle thing in the yeah. back right at the top and watching Michael start just thinking no, god what the hell is this man but yeah it was I mean great great memories for me I, I'll be honest I didn't know what was going on but enjoyed it enough that it's it sparked my love of football so <laughs> I mean I'd, I'd watch Super Bowls um before the year 2000 like just highlights and things but I didn't understand it from when I was watching the game seriously it was the year 2000 and I was very lucky to watch the greatest show on turf, the St. Louis Rams, now the LA Rams, versus um, the Titans in the 2000 Super Bowl. <laughs> and I mean, I loved that team. Like I, I'd committed to to the Buccaneers because they were, um, you know, a, a, they were local and nearby, and I could go and watch them. But 
that that St. Louis Rams team for me will always be one of my personal favorites because they were the first like great team I watched. I mean, you Kurt Warner at quarterback, you had Marshall Falk at running back, you had Tory Holt wide receiver. I mean, that that triple head is still one of the best triple heads in sports. I mean, it was electric. They just destroyed everything and I tell you what, I I was so happy when they won it because it was so deserved. They were so good all season, truly brilliant. Um, absolutely loved watching the greatest show on turf. So I'm very privileged with the first Super Bowl I watched was to watch one of the greatest teams assembled uh, win the Super Bowl. And I've got no no shame in saying that because mm-hmm. they, they were truly terrific. Um yeah, I, I, what a great Super Bowl it was too. It wasn't as high scoring as as it could or should have been, but yeah, it was a it was a great Super Bowl to to watch. So that that was my first. What about you, Stocks? I I've probably seen one before this, but I don't remember it. So I'm going to say that this is actually the first one. This encompasses every single one of the points that is on the list in front of us for me, and that is the <laughs> Patriots Falcons Super Bowl of a few <laughs> years back because. It was the first Super Bowl I stayed up, I think, that I can remember. So uh, let's just call this my my first Super Bowl. I stayed up to watch it. I was in the mountains in France skiing. So I was an hour ahead of where we are now. So it finished at sort of half past four in the five o'clock in the morning. I watched the first half with a chalet mate who bet me 10 euros. He said, who do you want on this? And I backed the Falcons and he backed the Patriots. He went to bed at half time because the, the Patriots were so far ahead. I then managed to stay awake so for the rest. Behind. So far behind, yeah. He was like, "No, this one's over. I'm going to bed." Didn't even didn't even watch the uh, halftime show. It was just like, I'm, "I've got skiing tomorrow." Then I managed to stay awake for the whole thing. Witnessed unbelievable football of what just will never ever be replicated again in a Super Bowl. Went to bed, had a couple of hours sleep. Woke up. The guy came down in the morning, put my ten euros in front of me, and was like, "There you go. That's for last night." I was like, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> the Patriots won. He was like, "No, absolutely no way." The Patriots. <laughs> I, said, I said, "Look, I got my phone and I showed him, and I said, the Patriots won." I said, "Here's my ten euros. I hate to be doing this." And it's just that whole thing was. I was alone on a sofa one of the most uncomfortable. If you've ever been catered chalet skiing, you know that their living area is pretty much a wooden box with a, a blanket thrown over it so i was laying on a sofa at half past three in the morning on my own in the french alps drinking terrible french beer Th- that was my first super bowl memory and i know it was only a few years ago but that's the one that just explodes into my mind when anyone ever asks about super bowl because that does everything that was my first super bowl it's my favorite super bowl it's all my super bowl memories and it's probably the one super bowl that uh, how do I wish I am alive, but how do I wish I could go to one of the ones I've seen? That would be the one to go to, to see Brady and the Patriots come back. So yeah, it's easily in my top five. It's probably my number one. And it's all of the things we just talked about. Well, I, I ruined the list for everyone there, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fine. It's in my top five as well. Unbelievable yeah. game. Like, I can't believe it happened. And yeah, truly great. I mean, for me, the, the one Super Bowl I wish I'd been alive for and been able to attend would be Super Bowl three between the Jets and the Colts because you had this whole rivalry with the AFC and the NFC and the merger. And, and Joe Namath had the audacity to call <laughs> out in the media and say, yeah, we're going to win that. I guarantee it. Guaranteed victory before he went in. And then it was a great game. And, you know, you had Unitas and... Uh, you know, it, was, it had everything that game. Um, 
I just, yeah, I mean, that that's one I've gone back and watched. And uh, I strongly urge any NFL fan to, to go and watch uh, highlights of that game if you can go and find them, because it, it's a truly epic battle between two of the best quarterbacks. But it was just the lead up to it. You know, you got to remember that the AFC were like the bit of history here. They were kind of like they were they were brought together in the merger and, you know, they were like the they were like non-league, lower league. They were seen to be less, you know, less good. Um, didn't have all the talent. The NFC was the established. That was the old NFL. Um, had all the old guard, all the players, everything. Um, you know, everyone made a point of the fact that the the NFC would dominate for 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 years, and and then you know, Namath comes along and, and breaks that cycle. And I think that game shaped a lot about what the 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 Super Bowl and what the the NFL represents today, because that was the breaking of the barrier of a major league and minor league to their equals. So, yeah, that for me is the game I'd, I'd love to go back and see because it, it's not just a great game, but it has so much historical uh, pieces to it. What about you, Lee? Which one would you like to go back and see if you could? Uh, I mean, I, there's only one that I could pick, and I, I've got to go back and see the Dolphins complete the undefeated season. It's, it's just, uh, you know, as a diehard Dolphins fan, just the, the chance to see that in person would be... It'd be unbelievable. I mean, obviously, I've seen the game since, but you know, it, it's just a, a special moment. Not necessarily the greatest game of all time, <laughs> but you know, it's a special moment in in history. It's a special moment in my team's history. It's just, yeah, I just wouldn't wouldn't be able to pass that up. So, consensus top five Super Bowls. Obviously, the the Patriots won. Patriots Falcons in there. But what what, what Lee probably the the Dolphins going undefeated should probably be in there for the sake of it being in there for the sake of history maybe yeah um, uh, what else should we do for the uh, consensus top five I think you've got to put the Patriots Seahawks game in there I think you've got to it was one of the best Super Bowls ever with um, you know not running it in with Marshall uh, <laughs> Marshall Lynch and then you've got um, you know the interception and, and everything that goes along with that it was a brilliant game on, on an absolute knife edge uh, a lot of people will call for sort of Eagles Patriots the most offensive game in the history of the NFL. That was a, a truly great watch. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd preach for Jets Colts, um, 49ers Bengals Super Bowl 23. Um, you know, the 49ers need to go 92 yards against uh, one of the best defenses in history. Um, obviously, Bucks Raiders I'd put in there just for the, I mean, just for the entertainment factor of it. Uh, I mean, there's been some great Super Bowls. Um, yeah, I, they they would be the the ones that came to mind were Patriots Seahawks, Patriots Falcons, Patriots Eagles, Jets Colts, Bucks Raiders, 49ers Bengals. Okay, that's good enough for me. Right, Rush Nation, we're doing a giveaway. There is no hidden hashtag this time. It is a real simple procedure in order to be entered for this giveaway. It is a signed Ricky Williams Saints jersey to win. All you have to do is donate £2 or more to our charity partner, which is unique, using the link in our pinned tweet. In the comments of your donation, you have to use the words Kaiser Chiefs and your Twitter handle. The winner will be announced on March the 1st on our show. It is available to the rest of the world, but if you are not in the Great British Isles, we will be asking for a contribution on shipping because Brexit stuff is now a lot more expensive to send abroad. And finally, and this is massively important, 
you cannot select gift aid when giving your donation. Murph, explain to us why, big man. Yeah, so gift aid is obviously if it's a voluntary uh, contribution, which although this can be deemed uh, voluntary, it's because um, there is a, it's a competition. So because it's a competition, you cannot register for gift aid. So please do not register for gift aid because if enough, if too many people do it, what could end up happening is the charity ends up not getting the money. So it's really important. And as much as it would be great to give the, the charity extra money through gift aid, um, it could put the whole donations um, that we've raised so far in jeopardy. So it's really important to use the Just Giving page, uh, which is in the link, because that's where we will track the entrance. And it's going to be available for the whole of February. So on our episode on March the 1st, we will announce the winner. So get donating, um, you know, Again, just donate, put your Twitter handle in there so we know who you are and can find a way to get in contact with you as well. Perfecto. Two pounds is not a lot of money. No, it's not. It's, it's For a great to... prize. Ricky Williams as well, absolute legend. Yeah. Yeah, my favourite favorite player. I mean, first player scored a touchdown in the first game I attended as a, as a Dolphins fan. The guy floated. For a guy his size, absolutely floated across the field. <laughs> Well, it's half the price of a coffee. And even if you're not a Saints fan and you're a Dolphins fan who saw him live, suggest getting your checkbook out, Rush Nation. Right. We've got a couple of interviews now with JC Cornell and uh, Murph and 2,963 of the UK Buccaneers fans joined him for a conversation (laughs) about the upcoming Super Bowl. Check this one out. It is an absolute hoot. So joining us here to talk a little bit more about the Buccaneers. Really, really uh, good bloke. We had him on a couple of years ago. It's been too long. I'm gutted we've waited this long to, to get him back on. But we've got the founder and CEO of Draft Network, uh, Bugs Insider, host of the Fully Loaded podcast. And if you missed our episode a couple of years ago, go back and check it out because he tells the story that he's probably the only guy in history to take his wife to the NFL draft on his first date. JC Cornell, welcome back. Good to have you. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you for having me back. It's been that first time we did this. It was a lot of fun. So I'm glad I'm back on. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, the pandemic kind of slowed us down with people that we were looking to get back on. You were on my list, especially with TB12 and everything and, and what's changed in it, with the Buccaneers landscape. And then normally we'd be recording in the studio and, and doing a few a week. But, you know, we found it hard. We both have young kids, so we scaled back a little bit. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I was glad when it was like, right, postseason, I'll get JC on. And I was like, oh. And then, then all of a sudden it's like we've got here. I was like, I'm definitely getting JC back. So yeah, nice. I'm glad I'm glad you're back. But so what's been going on? It's been been a while since we've spoken. What, what what's new with you and, and what you've been up to? So the draft network's just growing and getting bigger and bigger, and that's exciting. But obviously I started this podcast with Paige Demakos and our uh, producer Chris Schubert. That's been a lot of fun. I've I had never had a podcast, just done a lot of guest appearances. So it's it's nice to have my own show and and we're growing that. And I think the off season will be huge with us, as you said, Bucks Insider. So uh, hopefully bringing a lot of scoops to Bucks fans and, and getting people excited. Yeah, somehow I don't think it's going to be quite as good an off season as, as the one we've just had. I'm just going to throw that one out there. I don't think we're going to sign, you know, another TB12 and, <laughs> and Gronk and no. all that. It seemed like every week there would seem to be something new going on. So, yeah, I you know, podcast is great. Um, it's it's amazing to see, you know, you guys click and I love Paige. She's done an amazing job. So, just it's going to be awesome i've got it on my subscribes and yeah looking forward to hearing what you break my man because it's it's always great and it's always insightful and you always learn so much as a as a bucks fan so um obviously pandemic in in florida what what's that like because obviously at the moment we're you know 
Super Bowl's coming into town. Normally, it would be flooded with people. You've now got every everywhere you can saying, please don't come to Tampa for the game because we don't want that many people in, in the city, obviously. So, I mean, I, I've got friends in Florida. I know a little bit about what it's like. It's been somewhat relaxed at times but how has it affected things in florida the run-up to the game everything that's going on right now well to, to be honest i looked at hotels in tampa and they're all booked so I, I you know i don't know how much it's affecting obviously people have to take this so seriously because it's such a it's been a terrible pandemic but like as you said your friend said it's pretty relaxed i would say it's pretty relaxed the restaurants are full everyone's kind of living their normal lives except with the mask on um a lot you know a lot freer compared to other states in the country so i I do think there will be a big turnout in tampa um we'll see what happens if the buccaneers win this game as far as a parade goes i know the lightning uh did a boat parade instead of a regular parade so hopefully we'll have some kind of parade and we beat the chiefs yeah i mean it's crazy to think right that that Tampa has all of a sudden become title town because, you know, previously the Buccaneers had, at what in the last, or not the Buccaneers, but Tampa teams, sports teams have been in four finals in, in the entire history of available times. What's that like 30, 40, 50 attempts between right. all the teams, maybe more than that. And then all the sports franchise combined have made three in five months. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Tom Brady, Tom Brady comes to town and suddenly all the teams are going to the championships. Yeah. It's unbelievable what that guy can do. He's a magician. I know he's got the raise to the to the World Series, and I know they didn't win it. The I mean, the Lightning, to be fair, had, had choked the last two years. Oh yeah, I mean, won the President's Trophy last year, and and then you know lost, got swept in the first round of the playoffs, and they probably had the best team in hockey over the last three years. So I don't think the Lightning was a huge shock right. when they won it. I think it was just it was about time it got done. But the the Rays. Yeah, they won a 90-game season the year before, but no one expected them to to progress. And, and then the Buccaneers, yeah, okay, they get TB12, but no one's expecting them to go from from seven wins to to the Super Bowl in one year. So he is some sort of uh, a, a magician for sure. Um, just getting in a little bit then to 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 you really. I mean, obviously you've been you've been a fan <laughs> as long as you've been a fan really, and. What's this like for you? Because it's it's not just it's not just a Super Bowl in Tampa, but it's your team in a home Super Bowl in Tampa. I mean, what does this mean for you in particular as, as just a fan? I mean, it's it's huge, as you said. Like I've been a fan my entire life. I you know I I've moved a lot, but I this was my home base, and you know I went to the first game at Raymond James. And uh, followed this team forever. When when we won the Super Bowl in 02, I was living in Connecticut, probably the only Bucks fan in Connecticut. My friend threw a party for me at his house. Like we, it was crazy. But it's it's so crazy from going from you know being in seventh grade to now being 31 with two kids. My two kids watching me being a Bucks fan. You know, watching my kids dress up in Bucks gear and and really taking this one in as a, an adult and realizing you know the last eight. Years have been miserable. It's 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 been tough to be a Bucks mm-hmm. fan. You watching guys like Mike Glennon on TV and still hoping and pre- like you know you still I I never lose hope. Every year I'm like this is we'll be back we'll be back and you know it's finally here. But it took Tom Brady to come down to Tampa and really turn things around and and you know I think uh, what was said by Bruce Arians in the um, ceremony for the NFC Championship game. He said it took one man to walk mm-hmm. in here and change the entire franchise. And I think that's pretty just powerful to hear a quote like that from Bruce, who's been around a lot of huge big-time quarterbacks, Andrew Lux, the Ben Roethlisberger's, the Carson um, Palmer's. And for him to say that 
um, as a prideful guy, just to say that it took one guy to walk in this locker room and or change the entire franchise. It's just it's just crazy. It's that's the Tom Brady effect. Yeah, it really is, and it's just incredible to to see to witness. I mean, for for most people, they would have seen what's happened in the history and, and, and you know it, it's not just skill it's attitude it's everything that goes along with it so to see to see what's happening now is it's just incredible because you know what we witnessed last year was just completely different and it's amazing how, how much has changed it's not just elevated him but but everybody as well yeah he's you know the defense has stepped up and you've seen guys that were confident in the preseason like Sean Murphy bunting all these guys had the mentality that it was going to be Super Bowl or bust and it's great to see those younger guys develop and you know our secondary be you know they they the NFL network before the season were like this is the 32nd ranked secondary in the league and they all took that to heart Carlton Davis has turned out to be a stud Sean Murphy bunting three picks and three playoff games I mean it's fun to watch yeah, it really is. So let's cast our minds back. Let's go back five months, four months or so, and let's look at the regular season. You know, expectations increased with um, the acquisitions that came in. I mean, really just casting our minds back, you know, how how did the Bucks find a way? Because whilst the expectations increased, you know, the hype was still pretty much under control. No one was expecting this team to win the division, which it didn't win the playoffs. So, you know, talk about the acquisitions that have come in. And it's not just TB12, it's Gronk, it's Fournette, it's Haig, it's McCoy, it's everyone. And and the draft picks as well. And and sort of what the Bucks have, done, have managed to do here from from the seven and nine season last year to, to now. I mean, you have to give so much credit to Jason Light and also the coachings like the coaches like Bruce Arians because they have two guys on in this locker room Leonard Fournette and Antonio Brown that are like alpha males give me the give me the ball and somehow they this locker room and coaching staff has made it work to where these guys are team players because Fournette's had to split with Rojo AB's splitting with Mike Evans Godwin all these different star wide receivers and it's all worked out and you know signing Gronk was huge but he's taking the role of a blocking tight end seriously when he needs to they you know he he, when we faced, um, I mean, just throughout the year, he's just been a great blocking tight end, and then he can receive, catch the ball when he needs to. But it's been amazing to watch. It's so fun as a Bucks fan. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And look, they they go on to have their best record since two thousand and five. What were really the key takeaways of this team finishing eleven and five and and making the playoffs? I think the biggest thing was that offense finding its identity, um, because I think it had struggled all year to figure out what they wanted to do, what personnel. And and they really are clicking now with what they're doing with the three wide and um it's it's been working it's been magic. Yeah, no, it it really has. I think it's it's been amazing to watch and, and see the progression. And you know, for me I think the hinge point was was the bye week because you know they came into the bye week, it was a late bye week, you know, they were playing towards the end, you know, the, that Rams game, there was a lot of mistakes. The Chiefs game, there was a lot of mistakes. It seemed like the bye came at, at the right time, but in terms of getting over the line and becoming better, do you, what, what do you think happened in the bye week? Because they came out and they were like a completely different team. I think, you know, they got healthy one. And I, I think they really worked in that Tom Brady playbook into the Arians and really meshed it together where Tom was finally comfortable with it. And I think that's all it was. I think it was just getting that playbook identity right. And, and it was, you know, all gas from there. No breaks. Yeah. And so then we look at the postseason. So we've got the postseason. We've got, you know, the Bucks going into the postseason with four straight wins, looking a lot stronger, looking a lot healthier. And then they get into, they play Washington, which is probably the best 
if you're going to be a road team, that's the best matchup you can get, or a losing record. But something seems to change. Again, we mentioned the bye week, but then in the playoffs, again, there seems to be a lot of different adjustments to the playbook and to the play. I mean, really, what were some of those adjustments that the Buccaneers made going from regular season football to to being in the postseason and, and to making the Super Bowl, what, what, what's been the really big difference? I think Leonard Fournette finding his role in this offense and knowing that he's the back that can catch out of the backfield and Tom Brady just hitting, just absolute throwing absolute dimes to these wide receivers that the play actions working at like full cylinders. And, and then Rojo comes in when Rojo needs to come in. And I think they've, they've used those guys very cleverly um, the way they bring him in because the, the defense is adjust to Rojo. They're like, okay, they're definitely running the ball. And then the play action works just as good. You've seen Cam Brate find a huge role as like Brady's Mr. Reliable. And we'd love to see that he's been having a big time role. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, you mentioned Cam Brate there um, and a couple of other names who, who have really been the superstars because everyone will sit here and say, this is Brady's team, but you know, as, as good as he has been at times in the playoffs, you know, he also with the three interceptions in, in the NFC championship game, who, who have been the real stars that have, have stood out? We obviously mentioned Sean Murphy Bunton's three interceptions, but you know, who, who else has really stood up that, uh, you know, you could say has really made the plays that have made the difference for the Buccaneers to be in the post in the Super Bowl. I think you can talk about, about a lot about JPP, but my guy is Devin White. Devin White missed the first game, but he is the absolute rock to the defense. He is so fun to watch. When he hits people, I say this on my podcast all the time, it looks like it hurts so bad because he plants people. And his leadership is just, I'm so happy they drafted him because he is going to be like the cornerstone of this defense with Antoine Winfield Jr. for the next 10 years. And it's amazing that we have those guys and kudos to Jason Light. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, this this D was was massively slated in the offseason. People knew that Devin White was a good player, probably didn't realize how how good he was. He's been partnered with Levante David, who's been slept on the rest of the league for the best part of a decade. And you mentioned there's a lot of playmakers there and it's allowed Todd Bowles to do a lot of different things that perhaps he might not have been able to do in year one and, and earlier on in the season as these guys were, were getting uh, acclimatized to the to the offense, uh, to the defense and, and making the plays that they need to make. So moving on to this game, it's obviously a massive game. It's fair to say that the Chiefs are the best team in football right now, you know, 14 and two in the regular season. The last loss was didn't, you know, they played their bench players, you know, Mahomes didn't play. A lot of guys sat out of that game. It didn't matter. They had nothing on the line. And then they've, you know, they've had some hairy moments in this playoff. It's probably fair to say in the playoffs, they've not played their best football, but they can't be slept on. How do you, how can the Bucks, what's the path to victory here for the Buccaneers from, from what you experienced, what you've seen as a fan over the years, and, and especially from this season, what do the Bucs need to do to win this game? Because it's going to be very, very difficult to stop the Chiefs. Yeah, I think offensively, the mindset's got to be that we know it's going to be a shootout. I think Tom Brady has to play his best games game of the entire playoffs and, and really connect with the wide receivers in this game. Because to stop the Chiefs, it's going to be tough. The last time we played the Chiefs, we only had two sacks. I think with the addition of Vita Vea, uh, these guys got to get after him like they did last game, get at least like five sacks on him, keep the pressure on him. He's got that bad ankle. He had the concussion. He's he's banged up, and we have to continue to bang him up in this game, and JPP and Shaq Barrett are definitely going to have to get after the quarterback big time. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Do you think they, they, there's going to be some plays in this in this in in these packages that, that Todd Bowles is going to dial up for the Super Bowl that we might not have seen this season? Because I, I feel like, especially in the early parts of the season, the playbook was very short, 
we've got a lot of repetitive plays, a lot of very similar play calling. It, it didn't really feel natural, those first 12 games. We had flashes. We had moments where, look at the Green Bay game. Um, you look at the game against the, the Chargers. The team seems to play a bit more free, but there were other times like the, the LA Rams game, the you know the, the Bears game, where the play calling was, frankly, I think quite abject. It just lacked a real we kind of knew what was coming. They were telegraphing the run. They were telegraphing the pass. I appreciate it much earlier in the season, but do you think there's going to be some things in this playbook? They're going to be things that the chiefs haven't seen on tape prior to coming into the game. I'm sure of it. They're going to have, he's going to have two weeks to game plan for this. And there's going to probably going to be some exotic blitz packages getting Devin white after the quarterback, but they just got to make sure they contain guys like, you know, the Tyree kills of the world. That guy, what do you have? 200 plus receiving yards in the first half against us last time. So, I mean, this defense is really going to have to buckle down and, and get after it to, to win this football game. Cause like you said, the chiefs are probably most likely the best team in the NFL. They're dangerous. Yeah. That, and they really are. And you know, the key to that is stopping, the three-headed monster that is Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and Patrick Mahomes. What can the Buccaneers and Top Bowls do to to ensure that we keep the Chiefs to under 30 points? Like I said, we got to c- contain Tyreek Hill, and we have to get after the quarterback. Those guys, JPP, Indomitian Sue, Vita Vea, Shaq Barrett, they all need to be getting after uh, Patrick Mahomes all game long and, and just – not giving up the big play deep. It'll be good to have Antoine Winfield back. And talk about Antoine Winfield. Guy could be defensive rookie of the year easily. Uh, what a pick by Jason Light. And he's going to have a huge role in this game, trying to contain that offense. We're yeah. going to need we're going to need a cup like a turnover or two to be to win this game from that defense. Yeah, I think the turnover battle is is so key here. It's going to be interesting to see how they try and handle. Um, Tariq Hill, I, I can see some packages where they put some extra DBs in. You might see Jamal Dean, uh, Sean Murphy Bunting, and Carlton Davis on the field all at the same time uh, to put the extra pressure on, on Hill. But it's more about what they're going to try and do in the middle because, as we saw with the Bills, the Bills kind of picked their poison. They said, right, we're not going to give up the big play. We're going to cover it deep, make sure Tyreek can't get big, big yards. And then they just gave up everything over the middle. Kelsey had 13, 14, 15 catches mm-hmm. um, and was able to basically just dictate the play. Do you think as well, so the one thing I've been thinking about when analyzing this game is you can't score quickly on the Chiefs because it seems to be that if you give them the time of possession on the ball, if you allow them to dominate the time of possession, that they will win this game. Do you think that we've got to do some things maybe slightly differently from the NFC title game and slow the game down and try and go on those long punishing drives or do you think it's just about we've just got to think about getting the 40 points as quickly and as easily as possible i mean i agree it'd be nice to see rojo out there getting you know five or six a carry um but he gets he gets after it so much faster than fournette does when he gets the ball he just hits the hole faster but i don't know i in my mind i just think that this team needs to score as many points as possible um this the chiefs are just so good um it's it's gonna be tough and like i said we're gonna need some turnovers yeah Absolutely. So let's look at the one big mismatch in this game. And that's for me, the special teams, you know, Kansas City, excellent on special teams, not just Nicole Hartman, but, but everybody they've got there. The Buccaneers, it's fair to say, have been pretty average or below average on, on special teams. Although Minkins did have a couple of good runs in the NFC title game. It's been pretty, it's not lacked, uh, it's, it's been pretty lacking this year. So in terms of this, what do the Buccaneers have to do on special teams and and what can they do with who we've got as personnel to try and win this battle on special teams? Because this this could be the difference between who wins and who doesn't. I mean, Mickens needs to continue to have some decent returns for us, for sure. He got us some great field position. And then as far as when, you know, 
they have McCole Hardman returning punts. I mean, we need Bradley Pinion to be kicking that ball deep and, and having some great getting some air under those because we gave up almost two touchdowns that one game and that cannot happen against the Chiefs. That would be an absolute disaster. This special teams needs to play the best game of the season, basically. Absolutely. So that I'm gonna ask you to turn the fan side of you off here. And I get okay. it, it's hard, right? analytical point of view from an analyst from someone who's watched as much football as you and knows football inside out can the buccaneers really really win this football game like in terms of it's not just tb12 but just from winning the phases of the game that they need to win is there a real route to victory here or we all just kind of sitting here a few days away from heartache (laughs) I, I do think there is a chance analytically looking at it that the Bucs can win this game. I think, you know, Tom Brady with the weapons we have on offense, I think there's a real shot that they could they can beat the Chiefs. I mean, you saw the Chiefs lose a couple of games this year, and I think there's an opening for the Bucs to, to win this game for sure. Uh, one more question, I guess, before we get into the, the prediction side. And I know, I know you're obviously very close with Trevor. You've known Trevor a long time, and he's a massive Bucks fan. What was his reaction when, uh, you know, what were the two of you talking about when, during the NFC title game and just afterwards, what was your general feeling? Cause you guys have such a close working relationship. He texted me and he's like, can you like also in a very serious manner? He's like, I can't, I can't believe this is happening. And I was like, dude, I know this is like unreal, unreal. We haven't seen anything like this for a long, long time as Bucks fans. And it was kind of just like a sobering moment. Like, wow, this, this is actually happening. We're actually going to the Super Bowl with this team. Because I will say Trevor did put, you know, at the beginning of the season, he said that the Buccaneers are not a, play, a, a Super Bowl team, that he thinks it would be a two-year thing. And I called him out that game that he said it. I was like, and sure enough, we're in the Super Bowl. I mean, he's he, listen, he moved from Tampa to Charlotte. And ever since he moved, everything's been going real good for Tampa sports. <laughs> he needs to stay there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No route home. Um, right. So, look, appreciate you coming on. Can't let you go without a prediction. You can put the fan hat back on if you want for this, but I don't mind which side of you comes out. But what gut feeling, what do you reckon the score is going to be in this game? I'm going to go Buccaneers 38-35. Oh, so we're in for a classic. I've had a few score predictions. They've all been pretty fiery. So I think everyone is expecting this to, to be a classic. So, uh, yeah, I love that. It's going to be, as long as we get action, what I don't want in this game is a, is a game to go down to a shoddy call, a helmet-to-helmet helmet or a non-PI call or something like that. I want it to be won or lost by the play on the field. I think I think that's what all fans kind of want. Yep, definitely. Well, look, appreciate your time, JC. I know you're a busy guy, so why don't you tell everyone where they can find you, where the podcast is, uh, everything you're doing and how they can keep up with you. You can find the podcast at the Fully Loaded Show on uh spotify and itunes and then you can find me at cornell nfl on twitter awesome look whatever happens win or lose we'll get you on the off season and we'll talk uh talk some more buccaneers talk some more draft and, and everything else you're doing you know everything with the draft network it's it's a massive success over here in the uk um i know many people that subscribe to it if you're not subscribed to it go subscribe to it because it costs pretty much next enough it's too cheap it's too cheap that's jc i'm telling you now it's too cheap Um, cheap. (laughs) it is too cheap for what it is you you should be you know i'm glad you don't charge more but i'm just saying if you want to throw an extra 20 bucks on you you can because it's well worth its weight in gold the the subscription and and the mock draft machine and doing the trades and you know we we use that thing over here a lot on, on not just on our podcast but just with the guys and the writers behind the scenes so we we absolutely love it and i know a lot of my guys subscribe to it so uh, appreciate you and appreciate you coming back on. Well, thanks for having me. Anytime. All right. 
Go Bucks. Go Bucks. Well, everyone, this is a, a really exciting uh, segment for me in this show. Um, normally, you know, the last couple of years we've done multiple episodes when it comes to the Super Bowl and we have fans from each team and we have um you know experts from each team and we do that and obviously the part of this show is to compile it all together for Super Bowl Sunday and never did I think in 2020 I would be able to talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the Super Bowl it was an absolute dream and I thought well you hear me enough and you hear me talk about my team enough so I wanted to bring some friends on and you know, we have a, a very special group on WhatsApp of about 15 Buccaneers fans. And it's growing. It seems like every day at the moment, we seem to get more and more people. And um, I wanted to bring in uh, a handful of these. And these guys were actually, we were all part of a Facebook uh, Bucks UK group um, that just seems to be growing. Well, that was growing for a while and then we moved it to, to WhatsApp. And so I've kind of just cherry picked a few guys who I've known along the way pretty much since the beginning of that group. Um, and I've met a couple in person, a couple of you I'm looking forward to meeting when we get resuming to, to the games. But um, with me uh, on this call, I have five very special fans who, who I consider very good friends. So I have Matt, who is the co-host of the UK Bucks podcast. I have Suk from the Fourth and Inches podcast. And I have Sam Derek and Johnny uh, all with me. So guys, thanks very much for for joining. Um, why don't we start with with Matt? Just give me sort of a really brief uh, 90 second intro as to sort of how you became a Bucks fan and then Suk and then Sam and then Derek and then and then Johnny. Yeah, thanks for having us on Murph. Um, yeah, myself, my brother, we uh, used to go on holiday to uh, Orlando like a lot of people and then we were there around the time the Buccaneers won the first Super Bowl. And then essentially ever since then, we've, we've basically followed the Buccaneers. So it's, we, we started right at the top and then we've followed them all the way down into that valley and now right back up on the other side. And it's, uh, it's been quite the journey, but it's all worth it right now. Absolutely. Sick. So I've been following the book since 2007. I was one of those fans who got into the NFL through the international series. So I found out, Obviously, the, the first international series game uh, was between the Giants and the Dolphins. So, randomly, I mean, I don't have an exciting story. I picked them out of a hat. <laughs> and literally, the first thing I did was buy a Derek Brooks jersey. Um, and ironically, that was the season that the Bucks last made the playoffs. And ever since then, I, I thought I was a bit of a jinx. But thankfully, we've, uh, we've managed to go beyond that this year, haven't we? <laughs> absolutely so we we can partially blame you for our last 13 years then uh of of bad luck but then we can also praise you for saying that you've stuck with it for this long and and seen us back to the promised land so uh no no grudges at all um sam what about you what's your story so mine was just a bit strange to be honest so i've popped down the stairs one night because i'm a bit bored in my room and my brother and dad were watching the american football and i was like all right well, it's on i'll have a watch so they were both they're both big Eagles fans, and I was like, "No, nah, I'm not. I'm not choosing this. I'm not being one of these like so-called Liverpool fans, if you will." They're like, "My dad supports them. Wasn't for me." So they were like, "Okay, we've got a method to do this." So if you remember the old NFL.com, they used to have the 32 teams across the top. It just went pick a number between one and 32. So I was like, "All right, pick me birthday." Next thing you know, Tampa wasn't the smartest of decisions in the last nine years, to be honest. But it's been fun. It means me and my brother every couple of years give each other a bit of stick. It's always nice. We had to win against them the last time. So basically, so it's from my father and brother, but potluck really. Love it. Derek? Um, yeah, mine's a bit of a, a family story. My uncle met an American woman at the Mexico 86 World Cup 
Um, he moved to America. They moved to Tampa. Start from there, really. So growing up, obviously, the NFL has been part of it. Buccaneers was the obvious choice with them living in Tampa. Ha, that's amazing. Johnny? Yeah, well, I, uh, I've spent a lot of time over in Central Florida as a kid. I've uh, been watching the game since the mid-90s. Um, Tampa was the closest team there, the ones that you saw in the shops, all that kind of thing on the TV. Um, just carried on since then, had some highs, had some massive lows recently. And I mean, if you'd have told me 12 months ago, would have been in the Super Bowl this year. I'd have laughed. Yeah, I, 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 you know, it's amazing. I was on, uh, I was having a, a conversation with someone. Um, I think I went on their show about twelve months ago, and I was like, "Yeah, twelve months ago, if you'd said <laughs> that the Buccaneers would sign Tom Brady, sign Rob Gronkowski, sign Leonard Fournette, sign Antonio Brown, um, not win the division but make the playoffs, I'd have thought you were mad. And then, and then." Oh, uh, uh, by the way, they're going to go on the road in the wild card round, knock off three divisional champions, and make the Super Bowl. I would have gone, nah. That's <laughs> an he's written this script. So, uh, yeah, unbelievable. Sorry, Johnny, yours is very similar to mine. Obviously, I lived in in Orlando, so I, I understand a hundred percent why you picked Tampa. If you go there a lot as a kid, you you, you spend a lot of time there because it is it is all Tampa really in Orlando. You don't get Jacksonville or, or Miami. It is it is really Tampa that, especially on the TV as well. So. Look, we got we got a short period here, and we what I want to do really is get a Buccaneers viewpoint here from from you guys to understand one how we got here in this crazy 2020 uh, circumstance that we live in. Um, also, just get some perspectives on the games and what the Buccaneers really have to do to to win this game because it's going to be an uphill challenge against. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, the, the holders of the Lombardi Trophy, currently the number one team, best record in football, et cetera, et cetera. So, so to go to you, Matt, so my question to you is really in terms of how the Buccaneers have, have got here, what was the route through the playoffs and what has changed? Because even coming into the playoffs, no one really fancied Tampa to, to get this far. Uh, no one really looked at them and went, oh, yeah, they're, they're going to go on the road three times and, and knock over everybody to, to, win, to win the NFC. Yeah, right. And it's one of those, isn't it, where very rarely does a team come into the playoffs and have to go on the road three straight, you know, three weeks in a row in order to make the Super Bowl and do that. It's very, very difficult in the NFL. And obviously, you know, it's slightly easier this year with no crowds and stuff like that. But it's still a huge feat to go on the road to be underdogs in two of those three games against two very, very good teams in both the Saints and the Packers and overcome that is massive. And it's whatever happened in that bye week is something special because we are we have literally been undefeated since the bye week. I think we're seven and zero since the bye week. It just feels like it all came. Whatever they did in that week and that little bit of time off. I think they must have done some self-scout. They must have had to think about, you know, what they were doing both on play calling, on offence and defence. And um, whatever it was, as long as that continues next week, I'll be, I'll be happy. Yeah, I, I, as you pointed out, seven straight wins, franchise record. They've gone from a record of seven and five going into the bye week 13 to 14 and five. Um, and five of those games on the road. You know, it, they didn't have the benefits of a huge home schedule to, to do this. So, you know, I think all Buccaneers fans would have looked at this that four game stretch at the end of the season and thought that's where they're going to make the playoffs or not. Um, maybe most people might have thought we'd gone in six to six, maybe five and seven, and then you would have looked to that and God, those four games are going to be the Buccaneers will either make the playoffs or not. But you're right, it, it's been lights out. Brady had a period there for four quarters 
that he threw for like 600 yards and six touchdowns or something. So, uh, yeah, it, it seems to be a lot has changed since then. But so, so based on that and based on the fact that things have changed um, with this Buccaneers team since since the bye week, um, what do the Buccaneers have to do from a general perspective? What is their route to victory in Super Bowl 55? It has to be, for me, what has been the tale of the, the back half of the playoffs, really. And it's the defence that matters because um, this is a defence that parts of this season just looked like they couldn't cope with anybody. You know, we came up against lots of teams who their best players were destroying us and then their, their second and third string receivers were beating us. That just has not been the case down, down the stretch in the playoffs. You know, we've held almost every well we've held all the teams that we've played in the playoffs to less than 30 points which is winning football isn't it right you know against a Packers team that put points up for fun against a Saints team that have put points up for fun it's going to be the same tale this week of a Chiefs team that you know if you keep keep the Chiefs to less than 30 points you're going to win that game that's for me that's that's as simple as it comes and you know the defense is playing as good as I've seen any Buccaneers defense play for you know, I, I don't think it's too strong to say since the last Super Bowl run, you know, in this playoff stretch, they really are playing fantastic. And I, I just think the defence has to come up with those turnovers and has to stop, find a way of stopping Patrick Mahomes from putting up 40 points. Yeah, uh, that, that's definitely one way. And Suk, in terms of the, right, keep the Chiefs under 30 points, that's not necessarily the easiest thing to do. It's very rare that they they're kept under 30 points. So if that doesn't happen, what do the Buccaneers have to do overall? We, we know they've got to get turnovers if, if they can, and we know that they've got to try and chop, stop the Chiefs scoring, which is, which is hard. But what other keys do they have to really do to, to try and win this game? Because it's not going to be just about restricting the Chiefs. They're going to have to do things differently to what they have done previously. Yeah, one thing that we've highlighted a lot, obviously in our group, um, we've not played for four quarters. Uh, you look at the books throughout the regular season, even in the playoffs. Yes, we've got the wins, but at the same time, we've not consistently performed over all four quarters. There's always been one quarter or even a half, for example, where we've kind of just fallen asleep. And I think against a team like the Chiefs, you won't get away with that. Um, you look at teams like Green Bay, um, even the Washington game, you know, we're very fortunate, although we're sitting here today celebrating a Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl uh, birth. We were very fortunate to actually, you know, be there because it could have easily gone the other way. And I think against a team like the Chiefs, it's going to be very, very hard if we don't perform on all four um, quarters. The other factor is as well, um, for me, I mean, the Chiefs are the most all-rounded team that you can get in the NFL at the moment. They're good on offence, they're good on defence, special teams. I mean, I know you guys are going to talk about the special teams as well later on, but they're just good throughout. And if we don't perform for all those four quarters, we will struggle. Yeah. I, I think that's a really key point there about playing four quarters. I think the closest that we came to it was against Detroit, but then we pulled all our starters because it was game over at, at half time. So you, you probably give, give the bucks a, a pass on that. But yeah, I mean, you look at when these two teams played um, before the bye week, you know, this was the game before the bye week. Uh, so this was our last defeat was against the Chiefs. And they, you know, gave the game was over in the first quarter. You know, Tyreek Hill had 200 yards in the first quarter almost. And you, then, you know, you, you can't, you can't give the Chiefs a, a 20 point head start and ex- expect to win the game. Um, so I, I completely agree with you in terms of then looking at the, the offense, Sam, and breaking this down a little bit more. We know that 
Tom Brady 10th Super Bowl. Um, we know about the weapons on here, but what, what do they have to show either that they already have done at some point during the season or something different to to really get at the Chiefs and, and either stay with them or get a lead and go ahead? For me, we did this very well against Green Bay than the other two playoff games. And I mean, we did a bit against the Saints, but it's, it's a case of utilising every weapon we have because there's not a defence in NFL history that can stop like every member of an offence for every play of a game. It's, it's, it's impossible. But you look at the Scotty Miller touchdown. You look at that Tyler Johnson catch against the Saints. He had another big one, I think, against the Packers as well. You've got Antonio Brown coming back. You've got your big names of Gronk, Evans and Godwin. It's all about making sure that the ball goes to firstly the right person to avoid the mistakes. Obviously, we, we give a bit of leeway on one of the interceptions for Brady last week, but three are still a bit worrying, especially post-Winston era. Um, so you look at the wide receivers especially, and it's all about getting them extra yards, making sure that everyone is doing their jobs, keep scoring 30 points, and that's, that's how we're going to beat the Chiefs. Because you can't just... It isn't, I don't think we have the capabilities or that any team in a Super Bowl is going to allow a Mike Evans to go for like 150 yards at a touchdown or Godwin to go humongous. It's all about making sure we just move the chains. Because I think we were, we were stupidly clinical on third down against Green Bay. We really were, especially with the passing game. So as long as we can keep making sure that we go 10, 20 yards of play on the third down or whatever, as long as we keep getting the different players on the ball, you know, we can get different touchdown scorers. We've been very good at getting ranged touchdown scorers. Like you look at you look at the names you scored against Green Bay with Bray, Miller, Fanet. You know, those are not names that you would put at the top of the list. Maybe maybe Fanet's in the argument, but it, you don't assume they're the first touchdown scorers. Obviously, Evans being the other one, obviously is. But yeah, I think it's it's I think it's making sure we get everyone involved because they're not going to have film on everyone. They're not going to be prepared for everyone. So let's attack them where they don't know how to defend. Yeah, uh, I agree. And and I think one area to really sort of look at, and, and I think for me has been the biggest improvement room of anywhere. I mean, everyone will look at Brady and say, well, Brady, massive upgrade at, at quarterback, and there's no doubt about that. But for me, this offensive line has been uh, sensational in, in recent weeks. If, if you told me a year ago that this, that, that this offensive line would be, you know, keeping Tom Brady clean, 98% of the time I'd have laughed at you and said that this that's not going to happen we've been at a bad offensive line for years so what how important is it for them in terms of not just you know giving Brady time but just in terms of developing the holes in in the run game and allowing players like like Fournette and, and Jones to to get away potentially well Tristan Worth's been a phenomenal pick I think everyone could agree on that I think well, I think both of our two first first picks have been amazing rookies this year. I think they were both ranked top ten in a lot of PFF rankings. But I think I think Tristan Wirth's shoring up one side of that D line, or sorry, O line, has allowed us to then sort of work hard better as a team. There's no like missing link. I feel like you've had games, especially last season and early this season, where we've all jumped on Donovan Smith. And it's sort of nice that it's almost like if people don't have to do that extra bit of work because somebody's letting the side down. We're really good. So even with the, I can't. You have to forgive me. I can't remember the guy's name who's coming at guard. But for the fact we've had a guy come in who's not played with this offensive line at all, who's slotted right in, and we've allowed one sack against Green Bay, is is really nice to see from a Bucks perspective. But you look at, you've got to love the aggression that Ryan Jensen has. Like he's mm. he's a very fierce man. You know, he, he's not here to mess about. You look at Tristan Wirfs. He's coming in as a rookie. He's allowed something like one sack all season. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous, you know. So, it's just keep doing that. Just keep just keep working together as as a good O line and keep stopping these big plays because we give Brady time, we score points. 
Yeah, Aaron Stinney has been great. I mean, first two career starts are in the postseason. And, you know, to come in for Kappa, who was borderline pro bowl voting, he was kind of up there all season and it sort of tailed off at the end. So, yeah, I agree. Aaron Stinney, the offensive line, going to be really key. But let's, let's switch to the other side of the ball. And, and this was the side of the ball for me that really won the game at, at Lambeau Field. And and arguably, again, against against the Saints. And that asked the defense. So, to Derek, break down what, what the Buccaneers have to do against um, the Chiefs, because they're going to have to do something that very few teams have done in the last three seasons, which is to to get pressure on on Mahomes and and force him into mistakes. So, how, how are the Buccaneers going to do that? I think that's the key. I think you know you can look at stopping Hill and Kelsey and all them, but it's getting pressure on Mahomes. He is carrying this you know turf toe injury, which should be better, but we've got to get pressure on him. You know, um, Shaq Barrett, JPP. Then losing Eric Fisher's massive. You know, we have to get to Mahomes, and that's the only way really we're going to stop him. I think, you know, he does have some erratic throws in him when he's under pressure, and we've got to do it. We we, we can't win this game without getting pressure on him, whether it's a sack or whether it's just getting, you know, the odd hit on him. We've got to make him rush and panic a little bit. Yeah. And then how do, how do these guys deal with? Because we saw, we saw the. We saw the Bills a couple of weeks ago. We saw the Bills and we looked at them and thought, that's a good defense. It's been pretty good all season. Um, does quite a lot of different things. Um, but what they seem to do for me is they seem to say, right, we're not going to give up the big play. We're going to say, right, you can, we're not going to give Hill a, a 70, 80 yard catch. They ended up doing it in the end because they got desperate. But they, they just sort of let, let them beat them over the middle, ends up every time. So, I mean, how do you how do you manage to? You've got a massive threat inside in, in Kelsey, and then you've got a massive threat outside in Hill. How do you, how do this how do the Buccaneers team contain both Hill and Kelsey? Because I feel like if you can contain them both, your chances of winning the game are pretty good. But obviously, no one's managed to do that. So, so what do the Buccaneers have to do to cover those two guys and 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 make sure that they they might get their catches like the Bucks gave Ante, uh, Devontae Adams catches, but not really allow them to hurt him. Yeah, I think we're strong sideline to sideline. We've got Devin White and Levante David, who you know the most underrated player in the NFL over the last sort of five six years. It's it's going to be a lot on them. I mean, hopefully we can get our safeties back as well. You know, Winfield Junior was a massive loss last week, and even though it didn't show, you know, the other guy stepped up but against the Chiefs. We're going to need players like that. So as well, you know, we've got to get the pressure on Mahomes, like I said. But we've just got to be, you know, not falling asleep like we have done far too often this season. We saw. Carlton Davis do it at the weekend against Green Bay. Just got to make sure we tackle the man. He's, you know, he's going for superstar players instead of just, just wrap the man up. Just, just make a tackle. <laughs> That's all we want to see. We don't want to see, you know, you make him world class plays. Just, just stop the man, and we'll build from there. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I thought Carlton Davis was extremely poor. Um, he made one or two plays towards the end, or, or at least coverages. Um, but really, he was he had a, a very poor game, one of his worst games, I think, for the Buccaneers. But it didn't it didn't matter in the end. But um, yeah, a lot of things have to change in terms of um, the special teams. Then Johnny, uh, so special teams and uh, and the coaching stuff. What do they have to do? Well, it's uh, <clears throat> I mean this season the special teams have been a bit of like the good, the bad, and the ugly, haven't they? This uh, the good side of it. We've got sucker. I mean, has anybody had as much confidence in a kicker as what we have in him now? I mean, Bath was probably the last one I had confidence in like this. Uh, going back before that, Brian, Grammatica. Um, but then you got the ugly. Our coverage when we punt downfield 
I think we get too aggressive sometimes. So we rush up. One guy sprints out, tries to make the big hit, misses, and it just exposes the whole field. And that's something we can't do against guys like um, Harmon and Pringle. No, absolutely. Um, I think it's important because we haven't had a lot of success there. So I think it's going to be important to see how how we get on. So, um, and, and the coaching staff, what do they have to do to, to make things different and, and change it up? Personally, I just think stop being as aggressive. Just tell the guys just to rein it in a bit. Get guys going up in groups. You know, you've got, you obviously got the outside guys rushing up. Don't have one guy sprinting ahead. Get two guys in at the same time. Wrap the guy up. Don't try to force a fumble. Just make sure that we stop them and don't give them an easy field position. Because at the end of the day, field position is what will win the game. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. So look, we got we got about two minutes left. So let's just wrap this one up. Um, in terms of uh, predictions, let's go around the same order we did. Start with you, Matt. What do you reckon the prediction is going to be for the game? Uh, Bucks 42, uh, Chiefs 35. Massive. Sig? They have to score more than 34, so I'm going for 37, 34. Okay, Sam? Very similar to the other guys' range. I'm going to go 38, 35. Derek? I've gone 42, 40 with a Brady two-minute drive to win it. And Johnny? I'm going opposite. I think it'll be the opposite of last time, 27, 24 with a Winfield interception in the end zone to seal the game with no time left on the clock. Okay. So most of you are predicting this to be an all-time classic and, and Johnny's expecting to be a bit more middle of the road. So that's interesting. Look, uh, thanks, guys. Why don't you go ahead and tell everyone where they can find you? Uh, I appreciate you coming on and doing this because, uh, you know, we've been chatting for a few years, but it's good to, good to have you on. You can uh, find us on our UK Books podcast. Just search UK Books anywhere where you get your podcasts and our Twitter handle is the same. Okay, um, you can find me at Suck NFL UK on Twitter, uh, part of the Fourth and Inches podcast. At Sam Shark Twenty Two on Twitter, just usually pottering about, nothing too special on that. The other two, yeah, and same Twitter, Instagram at Johnny Orbell. So that's O R B E W L. Yep, I'm the same. Mine is at Derek D E W R I C K M C F C. Same again. I'll, I'll post random rubbish every so often. Perfect. Thanks, gents. Let's, uh, let's enjoy the game. I'm, I'm, you know, not biased at all. So, uh, oh, sorry, I am very biased. So, I'm, I'm with you guys, and hope that we bring it home. So, uh, appreciate that, and uh, good luck. Um, we'll all be suffering through it together, I'm sure, uh, on the chat. So, appreciate you guys coming on, and uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Yeah, no, me either, Rush Nation. I had absolutely no idea what was going on with that second one with Murph and his band of Berry, no, band of merry pirates, <laughs> band of merry men. Yeah, yeah, one of them, all of them, all the pirates and all the buccaneers. It, yeah, great fun. When I couldn't believe it when he sent me through the, the file thing, and there was all those names of audio files. I was thinking, are you having a giraffe? I've got to try and put this together. An was interview, it not well interview. It was just an absolute chaos-ridden mad time. No, it was great. It was really easy to get through, and I appreciate it a lot. Right, Murph, we've got to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're going to go through what they need to do, offense, defense, special teams, difference makers, and the keys to victory. It's over to you, mate. Uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, privileged uh, last week to have been on TalkSport and talked about this with Nat Coombs um, and Will Gavin and Ben Isaac. So, you know, if you heard me on that, you might hear some similar things to, to what I talked about on there. But... You know, for me, the keys to victory are getting at Patrick Mahomes, causing that pressure. You know, you've got two backup tackles to go after and you've got the quickness of JPP and Shaq Barrett. Really, really important. They make Mahomes uncomfortable and not give him time in that pocket to to make the big plays and the big throws. They've got to find a way to somehow 
stop both Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Um, you know, normally defenses pick their poison against them. So you either defend deep, don't give up the big plays, um, but then you get beat over the middle or you try and squeeze the middle and then can be done over the top. So the Buccaneers have to be very, very clever in what they do with their coverages here and have to be a bit creative in what they do with some of their blitzes. We talked about this with with, with Coach Reinbold, uh, and he came up with a really novel idea of perhaps removing one of the one of the tackles and letting Devin White go up the middle and then covering extra in, in the safeties and and the, the DB. So that would be a really interesting uh, way to approach this this problem, this unique problem and getting your best players on the field. Um, but Vita Vey is vital in this game, just not just stop the run, but to free up Shaq Barrett. So that's that's what they need to do on defense to contain the Chiefs. I mean, that's no no easy task, and it's easier said <laughs> than done. But really, they need to find a way to get sideline to sideline, make the hits, don't allow big plays, don't allow too many yards after the catch or after carry, and just make sure that their tackling is spot on and make the Chiefs really work for it. On offense, they've actually got to do something they've not done that much this season that's gone on very long punishing drives they need to really dominate the time of possession to do that you need to go on eight minute drives nine minute drives ten minute drives you need to use a combination of your running backs um so the fauna and and jones but you need to use yards over the middle if ab plays he could be vital in to really help out with this but if not you need to use uh godwin effectively in that sort of mid slot maybe gronk maybe even break you probably will see some cameron break in this game and go on those longer drives and try and win the time of possession battle. If the Buccaneers can not turn the ball over, can do, you know, can win the time of possession battle and not give up the big plays, they will probably be the ones lifting the Lombardi trophy uh, at, when it's all said and done. But, you know, there's so many different areas. And then the, the one real mismatch in this game is... Um, the special teams units for both teams. You know, Kansas City have probably one of the best special teams units in in, in the NFL. The Buccaneers, not so much. Um, Minkins has, has proved to be quite useful. I get worried every time he carries the ball one-handed like a rugby player. That does worry me because it makes it more prone to being popped out. But he did come up with some really good returns in the NFC title game, and he's going to need to do the same again in, in this one. But they really need to stop Hardman from getting away from them. And if they can limit what he can do, um, and maybe try and create some some pressure on blocking field goals and trying to get cheap turnovers that way. Um, you know that that's going to be a real key. And the difference makers again, it goes back to the coaching staff. Todd Bowles, you know, is is has been ready for this for his whole career. He's um, one of the best defensive coordinators in the game. Uh, Bruce Aarons, you know, he'll be ready for this. For me, the weak point here is, is Byron Leftwich, but luckily you've got Brady on there who will basically do what he wants to do. So um, if you didn't have him there, I think I'd be worried a little bit more. But it's going to be a really fascinating game because you've got two teams that should match up pretty well in most areas of the field. And it is going to come down to coaching and who has the best ability really to to execute their game plan. Uh, but if you get a game with, with no turnovers or very few amount of turnovers where the time of possession is pretty even... Um, you would probably expect the Kansas City Chiefs to, to win this game. But if the Buccaneers can force turnovers, not turn the ball over, win the time of possession, they they, they will probably end up winning this football game. Lee, anything to add as a, as a non-Buccaneer? Yeah, I mean, as a non-Buccaneer, don't be scared of Patrick Mahomes. It feels like so many teams are beat before they ever take the field. And, you know, it's almost that old Manchester United thing where teams would go to Old Trafford and, and, and you know, pooping their pants before they ever took the field and then the game plays out that way. I think 
Mahomes puts the ball in in places where it can get picked a lot, right? He seems to get away with it a lot. But there's been games, you know, the Dolphins are able to pick him off three times this year. The, the ball gets put in dangerous places. Um, there is opportunities there to, you know, to create change of possessions. And I couldn't agree with Jeff Reinbold more. You know, Patrick Mahomes does this, this thing where if he drops back and it's not there, he just falls back further and further and further until he can set his feet and make a throw because eventually someone's going to come open. That's great. I don't want Vita Vea chasing him down the field. I want Devin White chasing him down the field because we've seen if you can just stop him from setting his feet, that's when the ball then goes out bounds. The ball gets put in a dangerous position or you can actually get some really long fields against this Chiefs offense. Yes, they have, they've found ways to pick them up, but hey, you know, you take your chances. You know, they've been in a, a lot of places where they've been on third and 20s. You know, we had them in a third and I think it was 36 or something. It was absolutely crazy, you know, because the guy chasing him wasn't a true D lineman. It was a linebacker who was able to to run at a speed that just kept Mahomes moving. He wasn't able to do that thing where he, he looks, doesn't even look upfield. He just runs back 30 yards, sets his feet and then makes a throw. You were able to stop that from happening. I was thinking if, if you can be assignment sound, you, you have, a, have a great opportunity to, you know, to win the game. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think the one other thing I, I, I think I should say, because I, I think watching the Bucks this year, they seem to, on offense, for me, not necessarily have put that full game together. They have these kind of like lulls where, you know, all of a sudden you see a drive where there's just a bunch of drops and it doesn't, it's not characteristic. I think it was um, Godwin against the Packers where he dropped a couple of easy ones, then makes a spectacular catch. Everything's fine. And we move on. Great. But if, if you can eliminate that drive, I mean, that just, this is the, this is the game to do it. I mean, the Buccaneers have not put four quarters together the entire season. They've been very good for two or for three yeah. or for three and a bit, but they've not put four quarters together. Um, and this is, yeah, if you can put it all together in one game and this is the one you want to do it in. Right. So, um, but I also will say they been a different team since the bye week you know they've, they've won seven straight five of those on the road um you know they they seem to be putting more and more together they seem to have just been this little train that just started very very slowly and bumpy and it was a bit uncomfortable and then all of a sudden they've just picked up some real steam and they're the ones that i think bring the real momentum into this game more than the chiefs because the chiefs looked you know they were very lucky to get away with the, the game versus the browns um when chad henny comes in yes he makes some great plays but Really, the Browns should have put that game to bed. They had one drive to win that football game and didn't. Um, you know, and that's where I think the momentum is, is really key in this one. And I don't, I don't think we can write the Buccaneers having that perfect four-quarter game off. I mean, I don't think enough has been made of what Tom Brady and Gronk bring to that dressing room with the wealth of Super Bowl experience they have. Those two guys can single-handedly almost coached the others into a Super Bowl mentality before even stepping onto the field because of the experience they have. And it's not even really a home game for the Buccaneers because of the amount of fans and stuff and, and who's going and who attends Super Bowls. So I think it, it, five or yeah. seven, like you said, Murph, road games, why not make it six of eight, essentially? Yeah, I mean, they get all the benefits of the home game in terms of the fact they don't have to go anywhere. They don't have to travel anywhere different. They don't have to play on a, on a strange field to practice. So they get all the benefits of home, but the stadium, yeah, will feel a bit foreign, but they've not played much at home. You know, they've played two times in two and a half months at home. 
I actually did have an interesting question for you as well. Who's the designated home team? Are the Bucks able to use their own dressing room? Because I know in a lot of stadiums that away dressing room is different. And I know, for, you know, being the Super Bowl, there is a designated home team, designated away team, not just the Bucks are at home, they're the home team. I feel That's like... a very good question. Um, I, remember, I do believe. I remember seeing a, a, a documentary about college football where they actually had painted the away locker room pink because it changes the mentality. It subconsciously changes the mentality of players. Um, yeah. So the Buccaneers are designated. Um, they are designated the home team and it has been designated for the, for actually because they are at home. Okay. So normally it is a random decision. Um, I'm just reading a piece on it now. Um, but yeah, actually because the fact they've, because it is their home stadium, they have designated them the home team because it's their home stadium. So there wasn't a, a random flip like there would have been normally. That makes perfect sense. I just didn't know mm-hmm. the answer. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I, I hadn't thought about it. But the Buccaneers will be playing in white and pewter um, and the Chiefs will be playing in their traditional home colours. So even though the Bucks will be playing in effectively in a away jersey, that's the one they're choosing to play in in this game. Just, just out of interest, do the Bucks play uh, in that white jersey at home often? I know the Dolphins... No. The Dolphins' designated home jersey is aqua, but at home they're very, you know, they most often wear white. As Don Shuler had said many years ago, it's an advantage to make your away team wear a dark colour. We're just going to wear white, but it is technically our away jersey. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not, not happened, but it's not, uh, not as common. Yeah, because I, I, I saw that the Chiefs uh, put out their uniform decision before the Bucks, so I just presumed, I, I instantly presumed that the. Buccaneers would be at home because they're the first team to ever get to their home venue for the Super Bowl and then that gave the Chiefs opportunity to pick their uniform as a sort of level playing field I don't know whether that is actually true but well, it was released at the same time so I think both teams would have made the, the made the decision of what okay, they gotcha. wanted to wear I think both teams got what they wanted yeah of course of course because the Buccaneers have worn white all through the playoffs so I think it's that sense of continuity of going with the same jerseys the same feeling I think they're trying to channel that this is just the same train yeah, and the Chiefs um, have got their exact same um, outfits from last year, haven't they? They're, they're yeah, exactly. The so I think it's yeah, I think that the kind of works for all teams in this scenario. Well, Murphy, it wouldn't be it would be remiss of us not to continue the Bucks talk with uh, one of our favourite guests of all time, Joey P. So we're going to do some Tom Brady DFS and prop betting with Joe P. Zapier. Murph and Joe get into it deep. Here we go, Rush Nation. Well, everyone, it wouldn't be Super Bowl without our returning uh, Super Bowl analyst guest. I don't know, every year, whenever we do Super Bowl episodes at some point, he somehow manages to come on. He's basically on my speed dial at uh, position two behind my wife. So uh, if there's anyone I'm going to call in the fantasy industry to come and do a show, it's going to be this guy. It doesn't need a big introduction. You know him from the Fantasy Black, but you'll know him from his voice. He's the most requested guest we ever get. Joe Pisapia, welcome back once again. Uh, I don't know how many episodes you've been on. You've been on almost as many as I have, so it feels like <laughs> at this point. But welcome back. Uh, I am always happy to join you, Murph, and uh, I appreciate Look, We got your mug on TV, your handsome <laughs> mug. You, I can't imagine how excited you are. There's a few Bucks fans that I know that are, I'm very close with. And I just sense this excitement. And I feel like, you know, they, they are, they're ready for the game. They, they, they understand that, you know, they're going up against Patrick Mahomes. So there's a little bit of fear, mm. but it's just the idea that it was such an enjoyable season for them that they got this. So I feel like they're happy regardless. It's been good. It's been a good run. 
they understand what they're up against, but I don't feel like they think that they're out of it, right? Like you feel like no. you have a puncher's chance of this thing for sure. I think I think, I think I think better than a puncher's chance, especially now they're down two offensive tackles. Um, right. I think I think there's a good chance. I don't. I, I'm not saying we're favourites. I'm not saying walking in expecting it, but I think. If you had told me, if we'd done this podcast 12 months ago, reviewing, well, we did, we reviewed last year's Super say, Bowl. Are you sure we didn't, yeah. my friend? I, I was going to say, 12, 12 months ago, we'd be sitting there talking about the Chiefs and, and the 49ers, and you'd said to me, well, do you know what? The Buccaneers are going to be in the Super Bowl next year. I'd have gone, with Jameis? What? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, it's been a wild ride about 12 months, and then well, here we are now. And yeah, I, I, I think it's one of those things. Whatever happens. Mm-hmm. Monday morning, I'm either going to be ecstatic or deflated. And I think that's normal. After about a week, where let's say we lose, and after about a week, I'll be really pleased with how the season's gone. I won't be one of those that are like, that has ruined my season. Because we weren't expected to be there. So I don't think it's... Yeah, and and there's a lot of Bucks fans here. I think the nerves now, we're recording this on uh, Thursday for those uh, listening behind the scenes. (laughs) So the nerves are coming in now, and I'm starting to feel like they're. I, I mean, I got the, in fact, you know what? This is cool. I got this today. This? The, the Super Bowl ba- uh, oh, program. Oh, very nice! Look at you. So that very came cool. in the that came in the post today. I've ordered the boy a Tom Brady jersey. Uh, I don't know if it's going to make it here by Sunday, but if not, it'll be here regardless. Because I'm want very him torn. I'm very torn now because I love Mahomes. Like you know, I yeah. I, I got the two Funko Pops. I don't know if you, you can't see them in the shop because I think uh, Rick Sanchez is there from Rick and Morty. But <laughs> that's right. right. Uh, I'll bring him up here. You got the. All year, all season, every show that I do, you got Patrick Mahomes here and Tom Brady there. And now they're going <laughs> to have two Funkos, like the old and the new goat, and it's a great storyline. And it's it's stunning to me that, you know, you can continue to tell Tom Brady he can't, and it's the most dangerous thing in the world. People talk about, you know, missiles and talk about, you know, um, you know pandemic things. No, Tom Brady's the most dangerous thing in the world when you tell him he can't do something. It is stunning to me how good this guy can be at certain times. And again, I'm, I'm being facetious here, people. Yeah. It's, you know, don't get too crazy on me. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, it's, I, I had actually picked the Bucks on TV against the Saints because that same thing, everybody was saying no. <clears throat> you know, they said, well, you beat Washington, okay, but you're not going to beat the Saints and in New Orleans. I was like, no, no, no. Yes, they are. Trust me, I've seen enough Tom Brady in my life. I know when things are running. And then I was really skeptical about the Green Bay game. Because Mm. Green Bay was working at such a high level. And I honestly think they got overconfident. You know, they beat up on that Rams team after the game. You know, Rodgers is smiling, which he never does. And he's all, like, you know, doing his little dances and stuff. And, you know, we all should have recognized that they were overconfident. And still, you know, Tom Brady had some turnovers. They should have potentially even tied that game or won that game. And, you know, they did not take advantage of those opportunities. And you don't do that against Tom Brady, you're going to lose. And and it's an incredible thing to think that he could go to another team and in the first year, take them to a championship. And anybody who doesn't think he's the goat is just, I, I don't get it. Like, and, and I know I'm a Pats fan, but yeah. I mean, it's at a certain point, like when does everybody recognize this is not normal. It is not normal to be in the Super Bowl 48% of the time of your career. That is crazy. That's madness. And, and that includes, that includes the season that he was injured from right. like week one and another season where he didn't start, i.e. his rookie year. So yeah, I mean madness. He he has a better percentage of making Super Bowls than Steve Steve Curry does making yeah. three. Oh yeah, Steph Curry's three pointers, <laughs> which is which feels automatic, right? Doesn't it? Like Steph Curry <laughs> three pointers feels like automatic. So so to the Tom Brady Super Bowls and, and look, it, and I'm happy for Bruce Arians too because yeah, not only is he one of my bald brothers, but like he's just a. He, 
you know, who's the football coach in the NFL that tells all their guys that he's going to find them if he misses their kids' piano recital or dance recital or, or football game? You know, like, why, why can't these guys have lives? Why can't they, you know, why can't we do our jobs proficiently and then make sure that we have a life as well? And, and I love that. And I, I always thought it was crazy, these coaches that don't see their families and yeah. sleep three hours a night. Bruce Arians just told everybody, no, nah, you don't have to do that. That means you're not doing it right if you have to do that. And I, I like that. So I, I love these guys. If it was anybody else but Mahomes <laughs> on the <laughs> other side, I would feel really confident. But then, but... But then we wouldn't have this this match because yeah. it's either going to be a case of, uh, this, this, this gets right, it could be defense, it could be anything that wins this game, mm-hmm. but it's either going to be a passing of the torch to Mahomes mm-hmm. or it's going to be the the undisputed it's going to be the undisputed. He's already undisputed. Like, I, see, I don't night, think he's already undisputed. He's got I'm the belt you. already. You, this is, and, and you know me, I'm a big wrestling guy. For any of the wrestling fans out there, I know UK's big wrestling place too. Yeah. Um, it's that thing where you have the old great champ who loses to the next guy and it's called giving him the rub. That's what it's like, you know, and it's funny because they've had this moment where, you know, Brady beat him a couple of years ago in the championship game. And then, you know, he came into New England last year and beat him up and, and all that stuff. So, you know, this is like the rubber match of all that stuff. And, and they, you know, they, they met this year and I think they're two and two lifetime now against each other. And it feels like, yeah. is it two and two or is it two to I one? Think, I, I think Brady's two and one. Brady's two. Okay. Um, And it feels like, you know, that's what it is. It feels like more of the passing of the torch kind of thing. But I mean, in the way where the, you know, the, the great champion still looks good because the fact that he got to the dance. And I think that's, what's so stunning. And it's not taking anything away from the defense too. The defense has played terrific. I think Fournette's really stepped it up in the playoffs, which is terrific. And I, I think he's played himself into a, a number one role somewhere next year. So who would have thought too, how many times have we talked this season and did just miserable about Leonard Fournette. And then at yeah. the end, it's like, Hey, look, it all worked out in the end. Who would have thought that? But well, yeah, it's crazy. I think, I think he's going to be the next great contract mistake. Probably. Oh, hundred percent. Probably. But you know what? He's <laughs> my favorite it. mistake. Just like that Cheryl Crow song. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, look, let's break down this game. So we've got, we've got this great matchup. I, it was a wild ride because at the beginning, Brady signs for the Bucks. Everyone's like, Bucks are going to win the Super Bowl. And then, and then all of a sudden, it got two months in. So it was like at the peak of Tom Brady mm-hmm. signed hysteria, like a boy band kind of thing. This is going crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then you had this massive tank. It was like, well, yeah, no way he's going to do it. Not in COVID, not with no preseason, not uh, preseason, mm-hmm. not with any practices, etc. And then you had this whole, and then he loses to Drew Brees week one. And they're like, well, that's he's not going to make the, he's not going to make the Super Bowl with the Buccaneers. And then all of a sudden, this. Meteor rise of five away wins uh, in a row and, uh, you know, seven wins on the bounce since the bye and knocking off three divisional champions. Um, and here we are. Do you think, I mean, like, I think back to the last five or six Super Bowls and just paper and expectation storylines. Mm-hmm. Is this really like one of the great Super Bowls coming into it? Because I kind of get that oh, feeling. This is very yeah. different from the last few this is the one i think everyone's genuinely excited for i think the last one we had that had this much i would say storyline behind it is probably back the drew Brees, peyton manning because <clears throat> you had two classic hall of fame quarterbacks it was new orleans coming off the season with katrina yeah so there was a lot of emotion it was a lot of national like kind of good vibes towards them <clears throat> and it was an entertaining game especially remember the the, the second half started with the onside kick right you know <laughs> so <clears throat> so that to me that probably sticks in my head right away is 
oh my gosh, you know, like this is going to be a Super Bowl. You know, you don't always get that. Sometimes you get, you know, the Bears and the Colts. So that wasn't very, very fun. <laughs> you know, like you get, you know, um, I remember the, the Denver versus Seattle one. It was oh. over in the first play, <laughs> which is, you know, still it's like, yeah. and here's the kickoff and the game is over. <laughs> but um, yeah, it does feel like that. So now the question is, does it live up to the hype? The question is, can we get the the build that could not be any bigger. And I think for the NFL's perspective, this would absolutely be the storyline they would want. And they actually got it. And it doesn't happen all the time. And people can make jokes about the refs all they want, but they did, they got it. They got the two biggest stars in the league at quarterback. They got two very well-known coaches. They got two, I would say different styles of football too. And it's great. I mean, it's, it's going to be a fan. They got tons of hall of famers potentially in this game, you know, not just the quarterbacks. We're talking about guys like Gronk. Uh, we're, we're talking about guys like Kelsey. There's, there's, you know, a lot of guys on both sides there that have some great careers either ahead of them or have had some great careers. And I think that that's, that's just money. Like that's, that's so great. Now it's a matter of, can the game live up to it? And knowing these two guys, I would be shocked if it doesn't. Yeah. I really would. Like, I, I think we all should sit back. Everybody should be sure that they're not like doing extra things or making too much food or whatever. Just sit back and actually watch this game because for all the pomp and circumstance of the Super Bowl, this actual game, I think, has the potential to live up to the hype. Yeah. And, and you know, it's a record breaking one, Tampa being the first team ever yeah. to host. I mean, to be honest, I'm going to be really glad that that narrative has gone away because it seems like every season when you get the, the, the <sighs> yeah, team hosting yeah, the Super Bowl. Yeah, but you Bowl, know what? But they're hosting it and, and they're not because it's no. not going to be a packed house. You know, it's not going to be that. That doesn't matter, Envi- Ray J. It's very rarely a packed house. That's uh, <laughs> true. And they haven't been a great home team this year, no. which is something Brazarians loves to point out. He's like, you know, and, and now there's going to be some rain involved, of course, because it's Florida and it rains every day. And, you know, it's just, you know, there's a lot of a lot of little pieces there. But, it, yeah, man, this is this is going to be great. I, I'm looking forward to this. I'm sad it's the last game of the year <laughs> until yeah, I, August. I but, you know, it's if you're going to go out, go out with a bang. And this is the one. Yeah, I completely agree. So let's look at the game in some detail. Let's look okay. at the, the the Chiefs first of all. Yes, they've got Mahomes, and and yeah, you, you know, arguably when you look at some of the bigger stars at their prime, you'd argue that the Chiefs have got that in spades, especially on offense. But what do they have to do? Because first of all, you've got Tampa on the other side with their defense, and and they've shown they've turned up the play, especially in the playoffs. But you know, what what do the Chiefs have to do, um, just on both sides of the ball, to win this game? They need. Tyron Matthew and Breland to have good games because that that's how you really are going to slow them down. You need to be able to stop Godwin and Evans and, and figure that out. Um, you know, if Fournette gets his, that's fine because he, here's the thing, you know, the chiefs aren't um, you know, the, the chiefs don't run the football a whole lot. We all know that they don't have to, because they have Patrick Mahomes. And that's the one thing the bucks are so good at. So from the Chiefs' side, it's like execute, you know, continue to use the pieces that you have. And, and I think that if, if the chiefs do that, they will put up, you know, at least 28 points or somewhere in that range with potentially for more here. And and that's odd. Sometimes with Super Bowl, you get, you know, teams are a little jumpy in the beginning and it's kind of, it takes a quarter to get everybody calmed down. But we're talking about two guys who have been there and done that before. We're talking about two guys that they're not intimidated by the big stage. So this is going to be just normal for them. So I don't anticipate the problems executing early on that you get most of the time because everyone's just a little nervous, especially the crowd. And you're not going to have that either. I have incredible loud crowd, incredible live events, all the pomp and circumstance could be different. Uh, so from the chief side, it's about the cornerback play for me mostly. So really it's about the defensive side. I have no worries about the offense. In fact, if anything, I'm still worried about Tampa's ability to stop Tyreek Hill because with not one, but two safeties banged up there, 
that's a lot. You know, Whitehead and Winfield are good players. And, you know, both of them, <laughs> by the time that Green Bay game was over, neither one was in the lineup. So that to me is, is a question mark because we all remember that game Tyreek Hill had against them. And you can game plan all you want, mm. but if you don't have the personnel to stop him and you don't have the, you can have the scheme, but if you don't have the personnel or the healthy personnel, that could be a real problem. And I think that's something that it's going to tell the tale. If you get that one big play from Tyreek Hill, that's backbreaking. And in games like this too, it really deflates you. Now, look, you got Tom on the other side and, and Tom's able to pick everybody up. And we look at 20, you know, down 25 points. Let's not forget that with Atlanta. That's yeah. to me, that was the goat. That was the moment where yeah. it's, if you don't think he's the goat now, I got nothing for you because that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. But for Kansas city, to me, it's about the cornerback play. If they can get the secondary to continue to play well, Matthew plays well. If Breland plays well, those guys play well, then, you know, I think you're in a really good spot there to win this football game. So for me, offense is never a worry with the Chiefs. It's defense, actually, I'm more worried about. Is there not a slight concern, though? Because you've got two backup offensive tackles, Eric Fisher's missing from this yeah. game. And then now you're looking at Daniel Kilgore, the center, the center who's yeah. barely mm-hmm. missed a game. And, you know, he's a close contact recording this on Thursday. At this point, he is still in the COVID protocol. It is... I don't even want to say 50-50. I don't know what his percentages are making the game, but it's it it's it, it's it's not particularly high. It's not it's not out. great. It's not great. And centers are a big deal. Yeah. Uh, I always you know you you know me, I'm the quarterback guy, right? Yeah. I do the quarterback profile sort of black book. I I try my best to really study that position more and that, you know, go go back and look at the 2018 profile of Josh Allen that I guarantee you nobody else had written but me. Uh so quarterbacks you know, it's, it's what I do. And, and I think that people, you know, take for granted you know, how important the timing with the center is. Now, the one thing that the Chiefs can do, and it's going to be important because the pass rush is very good for Tampa, you know, JPP, those guys get after it. Um, <clears throat> the one thing that they're able to do is they run so many of those jet sweeps and those gimmick plays and those quick tosses and all these things that they can do. That kind of takes back control a little bit of the rhythm. And you might see a lot of that early on to throw the defensive pass rush off a little bit or to wear them out a little bit up front. And I think that that's how I would game plan it. If I was Andy Reid, and I am not, Andy Reid is way smarter than me. Um, and we both love cheesesteaks and other things. But the the uh, <laughs> I would say that to me, that's what you do right away is you throw them off. You get rid of the ball quickly. You find ways to get guys open in space right away, spread the field a little bit. You know, it's more sideline to sideline, get guys running a little bit. And that kind of slows that pass rush down. And that takes a little pressure off whoever's playing backup. And and it's a, it's a distinct concern, but Patrick Mahomes awareness, Patrick Mahomes ability to read defense, his ability to get rid of the football, his ability to move in the pocket. The toe was a concern for me going in last time. You could see he wasn't quite himself, but this is another two weeks removed from it you know, without massive contact, which I think is a good thing. So it's, it's certainly a concern. It's a legitimate one. I don't want to overrate it because if anyone is built to overcome this, it's actually the chiefs. So let's flip this to the other side of the, <clears throat> of the, of the gate. Now we know what the chiefs have to do and we know that they come mm-hmm. in as favorites and, and rightfully so. I think and they should be anyone, the champs. That, yeah, exactly. They've, they're you know, the they've champs. only lost one game. I think everybody forgets. I know it hasn't been pretty. They haven't covered a whole lot, but they've lost one game. All yeah, we're, yeah. We're not going to count week 17. Like we'll throw yeah. that one out. No, 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 yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they play backup. So they've they've lost one game in their starters. So in one game. They yeah. really lost. Um so what do the Buccaneers need to do? Because they continue to upset the odds. First of all, you know, I don't think anyone was shocked <laughs> with the Washington game. I wasn't overly shocked with the Saints game. The the Packers game, I think, is where everyone sat up and went, <clears throat> yeah. Okay, these guys are the real deal. So what do yeah. they have to do? 
they have to, I know this is going to sound funny, but they have to run the football. <laughs> like they have to. And, and for two reasons, number one, you know, Tom Brady running off play action is the best Tom Brady at this stage in his career. It has been for the last five years. And it's the thing that got, <clears throat> when Devlin got hurt for the Patriots two years ago, or I guess last season now, but technically two years ago, you saw the run game disintegrate. And <clears throat> we saw the run game disintegrate because they didn't have a lot of athleticism around them and playmakers, the passing game disintegrated around it. <clears throat> and that's a problem. Now, this is a good thing because you got so much talent, at the wide receiver core here with Evans and Brown, all these guys, right? But Tom Brady's still at his best when you have that balance of the offense, because it allows him to, you know, that laser focus of, of knowing exactly where the guy's going to be. And, and he's so good at that and finding the holes in the offense and exploiting them. And that's, that's always what made Tom Brady so great is his efficiency. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's been efficient throwing the football downfield this year too. But Andrew Erickson was just on with me from PFF and he told me a whole thing about, you know, that he's the most efficient passer downfield <laughs> of all the quarterbacks this year. And who would have thought like Tom Brady, right? Old man, Tom Brady at 43 could still do that. Um, but there has to be that balance. And if you look at the script a little bit of the last two wins that they've had in the playoffs, it's getting Leonard Fournette the football and letting him kind of physical, you know, presence out there a little bit, knocking guys down, roll, you know, spin around guys. I think that's the good balance. And I know Bruce Arians is going to want to continue to throw the football downfield and do that regardless. But it did get them in trouble in the second half of that game against Green Bay. And I don't believe Patrick Mahomes is going to miss the opportunities that Aaron Rodgers missed. It's just not going to happen. And partially because Andy Reid is going to go for it on fourth and two or fourth and five or whatever it is to get it because he's that kind of confident. So you're running up against a very different football coach, very different mindset and and a very you know, different quarterback at this stage. So if, if I'm Bruce Arians and I have a lead, I'm a little bit more careful with it. I want to keep Mahomes off the field. I want to run the football a little bit more. And if you look at when the Bucks are really good this year, it's when Ronald Jones had big games. It's when Fournette had some big uh-huh. runs in there. It's the balance, <clears throat> to be honest with you. That's that's the thing that I, you know, for all the passing glory and all these things, it was the moments when the Bucks were balanced that I thought they played their best football. So I would love to see Leonard Fournette continue to get more involved. If Jones is healthy enough to get involved too, that's great. It's not that you're taking the ball out of Tom Brady's hands, but what you're doing is you're keeping the defense honest and let's be frank. I mean, that Kansas City defense up until last week hasn't really shown up all that much. They were great last year in that playoff run. And at the end yeah. of the season, they were playing fantastic. It's like all of a sudden they flipped the switch against Buffalo. And and who knows if it stays on or if it shuts back off. But they had a lot of trouble closing out teams. They had a lot of trouble taking their foot off the gas in games. And you can go back to that game against Tampa as the prime example of it took their foot off the gas and they almost lost that game because of it. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned for that. But if I'm if I'm Tampa, if Len, they are going to win, Leonard Fournette or whoever they decide is going to run the football is going to have at least a significant game. I don't want to say groundbreaking no. or record breaking, but at least significant. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think they have to go on long punishing drives. They need to keep the Chiefs off the field. For yeah. me, I think if the Buccaneers win this game, they have to win the time of possession. Yeah, they have. Because I, I think the quick strikes... you can lose to Patrick Mahomes and still win time of possession. That's the scary thing. Like he's that good, yeah. and he just does things that just no no human I've ever seen at the quarterback position do. It's just not fair. Yeah. It's just he's so good. <laughs> Absolutely. And let's not forget the Steelers have an interest in this because you know either one of Antonio Brown or Le'Veon Bell uh, is going to get a ring at the end of this. <laughs> 
So, you know, they, oh, my, oh, I have a lot of family from Western Pennsylvania and they are miserable. Yeah. <laughs> they're just, they are so miserable right now. There's, there's no game. outcome for them that works. No, no. And now the Super Bowl. And, and of course, it's Tom Brady, too, their least favorite person. So it's just yeah. a combination of things. It's just, <laughs> it's miserable. And I'm enjoying it. I'm yeah, enjoying I, it. I think it's a few, a few are, that's for sure. <laughs> Let's get some, um, some takes from you in terms of, uh, DFS and prop bets, because okay. this is your specialty. This is what you do. You help people make money. Um, Try. <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're that kind of podcast that we want people to, to do well. So, you know, we do have our own DFS podcast. We've put that out. We've given people some insights of what to do for the game. But in terms of, from your experience, what are some of the best picks, best advice you can give people who either are DFS pros or people who perhaps are, it's the big game, they decide they're just going to put some money in uh, and, and have a go. Yeah, well, look, uh, I, I always talk about the good chalk on all my shows always, you know, people, especially in the NFL, you know, because you can control that. Baseball is very difficult because the failure rate is 70% of the good players. But with with football, you know pretty much who's going to touch the ball. And, and you know, if you're going to play on FanDuel or somewhere like that and you have the, the MVP spot or whatever it is, it's, you know, pick the quarterback. Pick, you know, like you could go crazy and go pick a Tyreek Hill or something like that, but these games typically come down to the quarterback when you get to the Super Bowl anyway. I mean, sometimes you do get the James White game and things like that, but uh, I would say stick with that notion in your head. Uh, I would also look for, you know, paying up at the tight end position uh, with Kelsey because mm. he is like having that other wide receiver and it only takes one big play from Scotty Miller to offset the cost of Travis Kelsey. Yeah. You know, and there, there are those guys on there, Mikul Hardman, there's guys that you can throw into lineups and offset that cost. But the difference is, you know, even though Brate's had some moments and Brate could very well, you know, do that and, and, and have a good game. Gronk could certainly have a touchdown, too. That's not out of the realm of possibility. But none of them are going to have the volume that Travis Kelsey's going to have. And Travis Kelsey is just a <laughs> – he's a freak of nature. You know what's stunning, too? Somebody put this out, and I didn't realize it. I guess uh, it's just – I know where this is coming. You're going to yeah. say that they're both 31, yeah. right? That Gronk <laughs> and Kelsey are 31. And that just blew my mind. I sat there and went, Wow. Are you kidding me? And, and I'll and I'll be honest with you. I typically don't love like I don't play just the single Monday night football slate. It's not something I do. But I understand that Super Bowl is the last game. People want to have some fun. I would say you know you have a finite number of combinations here, so you can't just do one. You're going to have to do probably at minimum three to five somewhere in that range, and do some combinations of those things. And what you're hoping for is one of them hits enough to pay off the entries and then bonus. That yeah. that's what I'm looking to do. Um, and you're going to have so many of the same lineups that whatever the pot is, if it's 300,000, if it's that, whatever it is, it's, it's going to get divided up. So understand that, like, even if you do really, really well, all the ties are going to bring down the money. So just understand that it might be a better day for for prop betting and 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 wagering and things like that than necessarily the DFS side of stuff just from that. side. But look, you know, everybody wants has their version of entertainment and that's what fantasy is. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a bit of fun, and yeah. Oh, know, yeah. Absolutely. If you can, if you can play for free, then well, I, hey, I man, make a couple of bucks. Or so, championship Sunday was very productive for me, <laughs> and I <laughs> and I use the same. And I'm and I'm like I'm one of these practice what I preach kind of guys. I had my three lineups, two uh, my five lineups rather. I had uh, three of them do very well. Two of them were awful, but the three that were very good, <clears throat> it, it made up for the entry fees. It was it was no harm, no foul for the other stuff. So that's. That's kind of what you want to do. And it and it's okay to just throw a buck in and play just for fun to watch. Like it, it's yeah. it's okay. You know, just because you're playing DFS doesn't mean you're gonna leave your job tomorrow. And I think people <laughs> need, like you need to shake that notion. It's just for fun. It's something you can do. And if you want to really take it seriously, you can do it better than that and, and make some money with it. Nice. 
So let's look at some prop bets. You mentioned that okay. that might be a way that people can pay for their Super Bowl dinners or, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe Valentine's Day's coming up. Maybe they can buy some flowers for, for their other halves or, or whoever. So what what's some great um, prop bets that people can, can have a look you know, at? I, I, even with the weather involved and everything, and even with Tom Brady, you, you have no idea how conflicted I am, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, behind me, up up above, you can't see it, is the Tom Brady draft card blown up poster size. I'll pick 199. In oh, fact, I can. It's above the, the TV, isn't it? Can you see it? It's, it is above the TV. I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. put it up there a little I bit. I can see so you it. Can yeah, see yeah, it. Can there see it, it is. So, so you get the Tom Brady draft card right behind the TV. And the Tom Brady draft card is a reminder of don't tell Tom Brady he can't. And this is where I'm struggling so hard because some of these prop bets really, you know, <laughs> it's like, you're going to tell Tom Brady now. So my favorite thing so far is the parlay of chiefs on the money line and the over, because I'm not going to tell Tom Brady. He can't, yeah. I'm going to tell Tom Brady that he's going to be competitive in this football game and find a way and never relent because he's Tom Brady. And, and if you do think that, and, and the rain is, you know, rain is rain, you know, in football, it's the wind that is way more of a factor in things. And, and there's not going to be significant winds here. So, and by the time we get to game time, I mean, who knows if the actual weather is going to hold that. So I think that's a lot. Uh, everybody's going to be pounding the under for the next two days. I know this is going on Sunday. So, yeah. you know, as we're recording this on Thursday, I, I'm going to throw that out of my head. I'm just going to concentrate on the quarterbacks and the style of play. And I, I think, think it's, a, good even though it's high, I don't want to take the points because I'm afraid of Tom Brady. It's my insurance policy. So I'm going to get worse odds because mm-hmm. I'm going to be on the chiefs for the win and the, and the over, but I I'd rather, I'd rather have a little insurance because I don't trust Tom Brady when he's on the underdog side. It's just a terrible place to be. It just is. It <laughs> so doesn't happen great. often. So you don't happen. Every thing time I'm it a... happens, he wins. <laughs> he That's does. the thing. I just like, it's very scary. One thing I would say, I lived in Florida for five years. Yeah. I tell you now, weather changes like that. In oh Florida yeah. It's crazy. Because you've got the coastlines, you've got any bit of wind or pressure. The amount of times, I mean, people talk about in this country, the weather's unpredictable. We, we get a forecast and we say mm-hmm. it's going to be, um snow and it doesn't turn up or we get rain and it doesn't rain which is a pretty safe bet because it rains like 300 days a year here so um you can say rain and and you're right a lot more than you're wrong um Mm -hmm. but in florida it changes it changes very quickly the amount of times i mean i've i've been there for hurricanes and tornadoes Mm -hmm. oh yeah and the amount of times it's like, oh, hurricane coming your way. And then all of a sudden, oh, do you know what? It's going to go up the coast. You're going to be okay. Um, it <laughs> happens all the time. It's That's what happens when you're by a coastal environment. Just don't buy the weather. And all the people that sat there and, and bet that the Buccaneers were going to struggle in the cold and all this, this the, the elements don't matter. As you say, wind is the one that matters. So, yeah, I think just ignore the weather. It's not important. It's not going to make a, a massive impact. It's going to be... You know, you say the players are too good for for that. If it was snowing and there were things on the field that were going to cause some major issue, that's Mm -hmm. different. But yeah, I don't think there's anything to worry about. And and the other recommendation I would do to people too is just be mindful of the juice you have to lay on certain things too. You know, once it goes over one six minus one sixty for something, it's it's not. I mean. There's so much bad can happen. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's just, I would stay away from that. I would look at the things where you see even just a little plus, and you feel like, okay, well, this is possible. You know, the the lines tell you, and this is something I've learned a great deal from working at Sports Grid for the last few years, and 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 working with some people who are really good at the at the gambling side of things. And you know, they they always point to the lines telling you something, where they said it, how they said it. You know, and, and you know, when you see like a minus two forty on something, you're like, don't don't even bother. Like you you can do it. 
but you know, to, to risk 240 to win a hundred is kind of madness. You know, that's not yeah. necessarily, you know, a good habit, but you will see some things whether, and, and you could bet on everything, but God, you could bet on who's the first guy to get a sack. Who's, you know, who's going to, which are they going to score in the opening drive? In fact, that's another one too. Um, that is interesting. I think on FanDuel, they have interesting odds on that one about um, that. I think it's either team or both teams scoring on the opening drive. And normally we talked about, um, you know, how it's difficult to come out. Everybody's jittery uh-huh. and stuff like that. But because of the quarterbacks that they are and the offenses that they are and the extra time that they have, you know, and I know they're going to come out with a set of plays. And if you're telling me one of those teams isn't at least coming into the field goal, I would be very surprised. I really would, because these are two of the absolute most proficient, efficient, effective execution oriented quarterbacks that you're ever going to see in your lifetime. And I think you can wager on whether or not um, there will be a, a touchdown in one of the opening drives or, or one of the two. That's something I would look at too, because I think you want to take your fantasy acumen and what you know about these teams and try to apply it to the prop bets, you know, try to apply like where, where is the weakness of this team and the strength of this team. And, and then look at the lines and look at the wagers that are available. There's also one too, for a missed field goal in the game, right? Have we seen a game all year without a missed field goal? Like, yeah. I feel like, like I, I would put that in there, especially if it is wet, maybe. 100%. Like, well, like and that's also, another one. Some of them aren't sexy. Like that are not all like the over-unders on the yardage and things like that. That's that's kind of easy. We can run through those if you want. But it's sometimes those little tiny ones like, yeah, there's probably going to be a missed kick in this game. <laughs> so that, that was the one I was going to say. Is, uh-huh. I, that, is, that is house money. And I'll tell you why it's house money. First of all, Butker's coming in. It's not kicked that well in the playoffs. He's not kicked nope. well towards the end of the season. Second of all, if you've ever been to Tampa, if you've ever been to Ray J Stadium, that is a very, very difficult place to kick because it it's is. low It's low stands. So it creates a bit of a wind tunnel. So mm-hmm. even though there's not much wind, it, the way that it swirls, you know, how many kickers have you seen struggle at Tampa? Yeah. You know, Roberto Aguirre drafted the second round, best college kicker of all time. Couldn't kick in Tampa. Uh, Matt Gay, who's putting them in left, right and center. He, actually, he wasn't that bad. He was 74%. He still missed. He missed a few, especially mm-hmm. extra pointers. He was bad. Um, you know, there, there hasn't been a good kicker except for Ryan Suckup this year, who's been automatic almost mm-hmm. um, since um, since Matt Bryant. And that's yeah. what ten years. Yeah, and probably. the rest. So making me feel old, Murph. Don't do this. So, <laughs> making myself feel old. Um, so I'm I'm saying there that I, I'd back, but I'd back Butker to miss a kick all day long. I just think that's it's automatic almost. He's going to miss something. Um, because it's a difficult place to to kick, and he won't get much practice. He's not going to get a yeah. lot of kicks out there. To, no, to do that. and then there will be elements. You know, if and if, the, if the field is wet to a certain degree, or if it is raining, mm-hmm. the, I, I, though there are things like that. You know, you you can go with the safer ones. I mean, on, honestly, I mean the the numbers that I've seen for Mahomes, you know, passing yards, things like that. You know, they're they're pretty high, but you know, it's very hard to imagine that they're going to try to run the football against that defense. No. So I would I would actually go over some of those. Um, same thing with Brady too. They're high, but I think that you're going to see these two guys go out there and lay it out on the field. And if I'm wrong, I'll eat it on Monday on the show like I always do. But you know, I just I don't feel like it's going to be wrong. <laughs> I feel like it's going to be these two guys going out there and slinging it, and it's going to be fun to watch. And you're going to see it's, it's the old man and the young man, and just like hey, let's go out there, and, and they're going to just be entertaining and, and throw the ball around and it's going to make for some interesting moments. But I, I think that overall, when you look, like I said, you know, for the people who listen to this pod and maybe don't wager all that, but want to take that acumen, take, take what you know about these teams. You know, I, I would take the over on whatever Tyreek Hills yardage is just because, 
because he just needs that one play. You know, he's not the guy that he has to touch the ball so many times in order to get over a hundred yards or something like that. So, you know, it's, it's, that's, those are the kind of things that I think you can carry over and make good choices. Just be careful about what the odds are. You know, once you cross over that one minus one fifty minus one sixty range, I don't, I don't think it's a good juice. I don't, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to make that wager. Even if you think, oh, it's a lock, it's gonna, it's easy money. You know, yeah, it is until you lose it, because <laughs> because at the end of the day, every bet is fifty fifty. <laughs> yeah. So for for those of you in the UK who are confused with the minus one fifty, that's uh, American uh, gambling vernacular. Um, what Joe's talking about is like uh, two to one on odds, so one right. one one dash two really. When mm-hmm. you're when you're basically having to stake double to get your return back, exactly. Et um, that's uh, that's that's the one you're talking about there. So yeah, be very careful. Anything that's that, that's odds on, unless it's just a gimme. And, and I think you're right with passing yards from Mahomes. Um, I think Hill, Kelsey, even Hardman. I think all of those are going to be. Are going to be gimmies, I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, because they're not going to run the football, as you say. They're going to they're going to throw the ball forty times. I, I would I would stay away from all the running back props just yeah. because, like, just be, they're, they're going to be so volatile potentially, uh, where you might just not get any of the like they none of them might come in over or 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 you know you just don't know who the guy's going to be in Tampa. You know, it's just it's it, there's just you have to look at it and and focus yeah. on the identity of these teams because they didn't get there by changing who they are. They're going to go out there and be the teams that they are. Tom Brady is going to go out there with, and they're going to no risk it, no biscuit, and throw the ball down the field. They're just going to do it. Patrick Mahomes is not going to turn off and hand the ball 25 times off to Clyde Edwards-Alaire. It's just not going to happen. No. You know, Williams will get some runs and Lair might get some work and things like that. And they'll do a little thing, but it's at the end of the day, the ball is going to be in Patrick Mahomes hand because he is the MVP. You know, he's the guy, you know, I think that's, that's what it's going to come down to. Absolutely. Who's, who's going to be lifting the Lombardi? on Sunday night, Monday morning. I think it's going to be Mahomes. I do. Uh, I, I, and I think it's, and I hope it's tight. Like I don't want it to end up being a, a one-sided thing. I want this game to be good in the fourth quarter. And, and I, I can't imagine it not being because Tom Brady, he, he knows this is, I mean, I, I've said this so many times, Tom Brady probably knows this is the last time he's going to play in the Super Bowl, and, and then yet again, he's, he's there year after year. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he knows he's getting older, so he's going to just leave it all out on the table. But that's why I, I tell you, I, I'd rather have the chiefs to win outright than to take the chiefs with the three or the three and a half or whatever you're getting, mm. wherever it is, because I, you know, and, and on the same flip side, I don't trust the bucks enough to take the buck side of this and take yeah. the points either because of how good Patrick Mahomes is. So I'd rather keep it simple, parlay that with the over. And just kind of try to make because you can get like two to one odds, you know, on that you can you can get some good, you know, parlay odds of putting those two things together at least and and making that work. And you know, that's a fun way, easy way to double your money. You don't have to stress. You just watch the game and and hope for both of those outcomes. Yeah, I mean, I I hope you're wrong and I hope you lose some money. I know. In, I, in the hey, there's a part of me that hopes I'm wrong. There's a part, you know, I, I I'm the Tom Brady guy. I just interviewed um, Sean Glennon this week. The guy oh. who wrote the book, um, Tom Brady versus the NFL, the, yeah. the case for the greatest quarterback. And he and I both sat in the interview, like you know, he wrote that book in 2012, where <laughs> he already had anointed him the greatest quarterback in, in NFL history. And he does the whole, it's a great book, by the way, if you're looking for, a, if you're in a football situation where you're looking for something to, you know, fill the void <laughs> out for the next six months, it's a great book. He goes through Unitas, Montana, Manning, Elway, and builds the case of Tom Brady versus them. And it's a fascinating read. And he wrote it in 2012. He had to update it again, I think, in 2015 or 16 or something like that. And now he's like, I'm just going to wait 
for him to retire. <laughs> He's like, I can't keep doing this because he keeps going to Super Bowls. He keeps breaking records. I mean, it, it is stunning. But even then, it was a fascinating read, and he laid out a really good case. So it's it's a good book. But he and I both were sitting there going, I mean, it wouldn't shock any of us, right? It would surprise me, but it wouldn't shock me. I, I think I think it we're we're so spoiled with this sport because just when we think we've got it all figured out, something comes along and surprises us all, and that is why the sport keeps giving back. And it's not the same team every year. And I know we had this battle of the Patriots, but e- even then, you know, you had people that were unseating them. You know, the Eagles. Yes, okay, mm-hmm. for short periods, but you know, and, and let's not forget, you know, the guy who did it to him twice with the Giants, right? And the defensive Steve coordinator Spagnola. was Steve Spagnuolo. And if anybody knows how to get to Brady, it's him. And yeah. if anybody knows and understands the things that he struggles with, it's him. That Tom Coughlin tree of guys really does give Tom Brady problems. It does. It gives him fits. And historically, it always has. Um, so it's just something to um, to keep in the back of your head. And that is another nugget that is not lost on me. And I keep looking at Spagnolo, and I keep remembering those two Super Bowls. And I keep thinking about 18 and one and how frustrating that was. And, you know, like I said, if anybody can do it, it's Tom. But this is it. And I'll tell you what, if it was Buffalo, I think Tampa wins this game. If it was Baltimore, I think Tampa wins this game. I think any other team in the AFC, which what I've seen the last two weeks out of Tampa, I think they would have beat him. But it's Patrick Mahomes on the other side of that field, and it's just – it's tough, man. It's just a tough one. Well, we'll see. We're in for who. I appreciate you coming on, as always, and breaking this down. Some great insight. Um, I'm sure everyone listening to us has – uh, knows where you are but also i know that we've got some new listeners because we've been creating or i've been creating some new leagues for people who have never played fantasy football before and i've been pushing them uh towards this so um tell everyone where they can find you and get some great insight uh sure. from the man himself and enjoy well you can follow me on the twitter machine at joe pisa ps17 uh sportsgrid.com uh we're a streaming service of tv i host a lot of shows there for nfl and major league baseball so you can find me usually on the sunday mornings there early 8 a.m on the east coast time but most of the shows are on demand if not all of them so you can always pick those up too uh and of course the new fantasy black book for football will be out in june the baseball book is up right now on amazon you get in uk so no excuses uh, we got a nice little fancy cover behind me too. That's right. For I'm 21. You like that? That's all. Oh, artwork it. was all done already. We're, we're already think we're on to Cincinnati, my friend. We're already on to Cincinnati. We're looking forward to 2021 already. Um, and yeah, you could check out, uh, on my Twitter handle at Joe Pisa PS 17. You'll find links to wherever. Right. Yeah. And but, we hey, Mark, it is so great to, this is a, <laughs> this is exactly how I want to end the season. Like talking to you, because I feel like when we started, we did previews and things like that together. And yeah. then we chatted throughout, but I remember talking to you so much. And having you on the show about the Tom Brady thing in Tampa and all that stuff. And to think that we're sitting here on Super Bowl Sunday <laughs> is just stunning to me. And it's, uh, it's, um, it's a perfect, perfect circle of the season. I love it. Man, me too. And I'm, I'm so glad that at least when I was on, I, I got more right than I did wrong. You sure <laughs> did. You <laughs> got all right, Sanders not being a Mark Miles Sanders not being a top 15 running back. Don't invest in him. He's going <laughs> to let you down. If you listen to me, at least you avoided one of the running back catastrophes this year. But now, nah, as always, appreciate you coming on. We'll do this in the off season. We will chat for sure. Uh, if not during the game, after the game, I'll be uh, I'll be a nervous <laughs> wreck. So oh, I'm, I'm sure. I've already got people giving me welfare checks every couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's been idea. 18 years since I last watched my team in the Super Bowl. <sighs> Yeah, I, I, I wasn't even a, an adult then. I was, I was I seventeen. <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm a spoiled 
rotten child. I get to yeah. see my team in the Super Bowl pretty much every my kids are all confused. They're like, what do you mean? The Patriots aren't in the Super Bowl this year. They just don't get it. Every year we have a big party and things like that. I'm like, well, they're not, when they're not in it, it's more like just, well, what do we do? Like, well, you we just watch the game. <laughs> but they'll have their Tom Brady jerseys on. I know them. They're gonna be rooting, that. you know, and they did picks this year. My two girls, they did picks. They picked every game the entire season. It's funny. If you could believe it, they ended up in a tie. I think it was like wow. 161 to 161. And then the, the older one fell behind the younger one. So she started, she's like, she starts looking at the, she starts doing homework and like looking at the standings and looking at the spreads and things like that. And I was so proud. And she caught up to it. The younger one was amazing. So, Genius. you know, get your kids involved so you could be, you know, enjoying the games with them and they know who everybody is. And, you know, it's not, not just watching for the commercials. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Joe, as always, thank you so much. And uh, until next time, we'll uh, we'll do this again and, and get you back on. Well, there you have it. There was Murph and Joey P chewing the cud on Tom Brady prop bets and DFS. Peek behind the curtain, Rush Nation. As we've gone through this, Murph has just removed our favourite prop bets from the uh, from the show doc, and I have two absolute buttes. So I'll get oh, well, to feel the... free to go from. Okay, so my first one is you can get three to one on the colour of Gatorade thrown over the winning coach now favorite two to one is orange but red is three to one and considering both teams are traditionally red teams i think gatorade might get a little bit on the team bandwagon here and throw red into the cool into the coolers so perhaps three to one isn't a terrible choice on that but are they going to throw gatorade well i don't know i'm just saying if they do well at the senior bowl they were able to do it because brian flores got drenched in a gatorade bucket full of reese's peanut cups so I mean, they were able to do it last Sunday, Saturday. But just the NFC title game, it was confetti. Okay, I'm, I'm just saying, this is I've, I've looked up prop bets. This is one of the things I looked up, and you can get three to one on Red Gatorade. Okay, the next one that can definitely happen, because COVID cannot intervene unless Tony Romo gets it between now and 6 p.m. Um, <laughs> Tony Romo, over under on to say, let me tell you, Jim, is two, and I reckon that's going over all day long. The game is well going to be an absolute beaut. And to get over yeah. under on two, go and get yourself some Tony Romo over on Let Me Tell You Jim. Yeah, definitely. Right. Let's do some Super Bowl traditions and questions from listeners. Do either of you two fine gentlemen have any Super Bowl traditions? Lee, I'm coming to you first. Nope. No, nothing for the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I like to do... I like to have food around me. I mean, <laughs> I, often, I, often, I often watch it on my own because of the time of mm-hmm. night and... You know, now and again, my brother will come depending on his work situation and stuff. But I often find myself watching on my own, talking to mates on, on the phone, chatting to you guys. Like, you know, that's that's I wouldn't call it a tradition, just kind of the way I enjoy the game. I'm exactly the same. I, I have two traditions. My first one is I always grab a four pack of Budweiser Prohibition. So it is alcohol free beer, but I generally do have to work the uh the, the next day so i i try and keep my drinking to a limit but i like to have a beer whilst watching so i, I will get a four pack of budweiser prohibition and then my second one is i always always for some reason have a bag of doritos um mint chips and some salsa to go with those beers so that is what i've done ever since i don't know four years ago so that's every year that's my thing four alcohol free beers and a bag of doritos because i'm hardcore and i'm living the best life <laughs> fair enough and then questions from the listeners Murph what do we got 
So if the game is on the line, the fourth quarter, which QB, RB, and wide receiver rooms would you take out of the two teams? So I think everyone would go with Mahomes over Brady. I don't think that's too... I, don't, I mean, uh, I, Brady was part of one of the greatest Super Bowl comebacks ever. How can you yeah. write him out? I'm not writing him out. We're just going with talent. But I, yeah, I guess see for all. Running back, I, ugh, it's, it's just a... It's not a great matchup. I'd probably take the Buccaneers too over the over the Chiefs too. The wide receiver rooms is interesting because the you know the Chiefs have the best wide receiver, but the Bucks have the best depth. Yeah, I'd probably go with the Bucks just because of the depth. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. I feel like Travis Kelsey has been horrendously missed off this list somehow. Well, you but... just put him in the wide receiver. He's a wide receiver. Well, okay, if he's a wide receiver, you're taking the Bucks depth over Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey then. Yeah. Oh man, that's that's tough. Because <laughs> you've got so many. You've got you know you you've got Evans, Godwin, Antonio Brown, Scotty Miller, <laughs> Tyler Johnson. All these guys can catch the football. Sc- Scotty Miller is is quick. <laughs> um, so you've got your speed guy like Hill. You've got Evans, probably one of the best catch radiuses in the NFL. Godwin, former Pro Bowl, a great player. AB. You know, if he didn't have all the off-the-rail stuff, might be one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. I mean, you know, what, what more do you want? Like, yeah, yeah, you got yeah. embarrassment of riches. Like, you got two guys versus four. Give me the four guys. It's not like they're it's not like they're any slouch. Yeah, that's fair. I think we've got to go with the, the Buccaneers then. So we're saying we're saying Bucks wide receiver room, Bucks uh, running backs, but maybe the Chiefs quarterback, or you going with Brady. I feel bad on the Chiefs now. They've got no representation. This is a one-sided affair and we need not watch it. Um, <laughs> oh, Lee? Uh, it's, it's really difficult. I I mean, if, if the game depended on it, I, I, I want Brady. Just he, History tells me that he's going he's gonna to make it happen. And I don't, not just talking about Super Bowl games, just the, you know, the, the sheer amount of games that he's, that he's managed to pull that off in. I actually, the, the running back room... Go either way. I'll be honest. The the the, the Bucks running backs just don't excite me any more than than the Chiefs. It's no, not, it, you know, it's not. It's not necessarily a slight against the the Bucks. It's just I, I think pff, give it to the Chiefs just because the rest of the Bucks, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, no, that's fair. And then we've got one more, Murph. Uh, how how will we all watch the game? I'll be watching it in silence, messaging you all and and Buccaneers fans, I suppose, um, trying to not wake up my two-month-old son. Has someone been designated to check on you, you know, at the end of the game, in case resuscitation no. is needed? No. I suppose I'm not far away, and if I don't hear anything <laughs> at, the fight, at the ceremony, maybe I'll take a drive down. <laughs> a last-minute yeah, check. Can. Yeah, he's running down the street. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly the same for me. I'm going to be on the sofa with the uh, with a four pack of, of Budweiser and uh, and some Doritos. But yeah, it's 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 going to be a different Super Bowl this year, regardless. I think because there ain't no Super Bowl parties, right? Murph, what a lot of fun that was. Yeah, uh, unbelievable guests we had, and it's going to be uh, a very special Super Bowl. And it's been this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, right, Murph. Well, we're going to let you go because uh, we can tell you're itching, chomping at the bit to get your preparations ready. <laughs> Lee, thanks so much for jumping on, man. This has been an absolute hoot. No, it's been great. Rush Nation, enjoy your Super Bowl Sundays. We will see you on the other side, heading towards another fantasy football season. 
Let's go, Bucks. I'm saying it right here. Let's get the dub. Let's make Brady undisputed goat of all time and Murph the happiest Buccaneers fan on the planet. And until next time, Rush Nation, as always, don't forget, keep rushing. a long healthy life if you're HIV positive with the current treatments we can get patients down to being undetectable the array of options is so much greater today U equals you undetectable equals untransmittable if someone who's HIV positive they're taking their medication they're undetectable they're not able to pass HIV to their partners do it for you Montgomery County your HIV treatment is their prevention get more information at doitforumc.org Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.